It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Welcome. Welcome to the mop up for October 11th, 2021. You're a a sweet, sweet crowd. And thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. He'll be joining us a litter, litter, little, litter on, uh, (laughs) a little later on in the show. John Ross coming up in about an hour and 10 minutes. Welcome to the mop up for October 11th, 2021. Well, we have an amazing show today. Fasten your airbags. It's going to be amazing. This is fasten your airbags. I'm about to talk about something that is going to blow your mind when it comes to Pandora. The Pandora Papers. I did a little research over the weekend. And I'll give you a little teaser. Fasten your airbags. This is going to be wild. A little later on, I'm going to tell you some stuff about the Pandora Papers that I've kind of uncovered that will. It'll just blow your mind. Uh, It'll not only blow your mind, it'll swallow your mind. It won't spit it out. This is incredible stuff. As a teaser, I, I said about the Pandora Papers that if we sat down with Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve and complained about the Pandora Papers, he would explain to me, no, no, you don't understand. This money has to be taken out of circulation. You don't. And everybody said, no, 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 no. So I did a little research and I'm going to tell you some stuff later on about your country, your Congress and our banking system. Thank you, Leslie, for that coffee. Thank you. I, I asked for a coffee enema. What am I supposed to do with this cup? All right. Thanks. Anyway, I anyway, uh, welcome to the mop up for October 11th, 2021. I'm David Feldman, barely coming to you from an air shaft 
overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is 75 degrees and partly sunny. And uh, I've had no sleep, just so you know, none whatsoever. Office hours this Friday night at 8 p.m. Meet Better People. And we have a big event over at the Ralph Nader Radio Hour this Sunday afternoon. Ralph Nader, Steve Scrovan, who co-hosts the Ralph Nader Radio Hour with me, and I are going to be hosting a town hall for members of Congress Club. If you're not a member of Congress Club, go right now to the Ralph Nader Radio Show website or go to nader.org. Sign up for Congress Club. If you'll notice in the Zoom room or if you're watching us on YouTube, there are phone numbers of our Congress people flashing below me. And I'm asking you to call these numbers and politely ask Josh Gottheimer, Nancy Pelosi, Senator Charles Schumer, Kirsten Sinema, and Joe Manchin to support Build Back Better at $3.5 trillion, not a penny less. I'll, I'll give those numbers out later, so go get a pen. One of the things Ralph Nader has taught us is write to your Congress people, write to your senators, call them, leave messages. That's the only way to affect change. And of course, protest. Let your voice be heard. Join Congress Club. Ralph will send you, if you give him your zip code, he will send you ideas for letters to write to your congressional delegation, to your senators, on how to move the progressive agenda forward. If you are already a member of Congress Club, you're going to be invited to meet with Ralph this Sunday via Zoom for a special congressional uh, town hall. So Congress Club is having a town hall. It's our first one. Please sign up for Congress Club by going to nader.org or the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Sign up for Congress Club and come join us Sunday afternoon for a town hall meeting with Ralph Nader. Steve Scrovan and me. So that's a little business I'm taking care of. And if you're watching me on YouTube, by the way, I've been looking at my YouTube channel. It's slowly growing. I'm kind of surprised about this. So if you're watching me on YouTube right now, please hit the like button and give us a good review. And wherever you're listening to this nonsense or watching this nonsense, give us a good review and most importantly, share this show with people who you think would enjoy it. We're not for everybody. This is a bizarre program. We go six to seven hours. People, it's a certain type of listener. It's a certain type of viewer. If you know somebody who you think would enjoy this, please share the show with them. If you enjoy this show, one of the ways to thank us is by sharing us with your friends. We're also on Twitter now. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm posting little two-minute clips of the show on Twitter. And of course, friend me on Facebook. Well, Alan West was a congressman, African-American congressman from Florida. He served in Iraq where he 
held a gun to an Iraqi's head and fired it, causing permanent ear damage. He didn't shoot the Iraqi, but he fired the gun right next to his ear. He's that kind of guy. He's an African-American Republican who is now chairman of the uh, GOP in Texas, even though he was a congressman from Florida, and he's running for governor of Texas. He's trying to get the Republican nomination away from Governor Greg Abbott. He announced on Saturday that he and his wife have tested positive for COVID-19, and he said, even though he's not vaccinated, personal choice, you know, he's pushing seven. He may already be 70 or he's in his 60s. He should have gotten vaccinated. Personal choice. He said he was throwing Joe Rogan's kitchen sink at his COVID. He was uh, taking ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Those are the two things, two drugs that Donald Trump was taking before he contracted COVID-19. And then uh, on Sunday, he said he was experiencing a low-grade fever and light body aches. And now he's got COVID pneumonia and he's in the hospital. We wish him well. We do. We're not rooting against these idiots, even though they're killing us. They are killing us. They refuse to get vaccinated. And then they go out in public. And if you ask them to wear a mask, they will kill you. They will try to kill you. That happened over the weekend here in New York City, where I bought my iPhone. I bought an Apple iPhone on 14th Street a couple of weeks ago. And a security guard working at Apple told one of the customers he couldn't come in because he wasn't wearing a mask. And the customer stabbed him. The guard was stabbed in the arm and once in the forehead, in the forehead. And uh, he's, thank, thank goodness, he's, uh, he was taken to the hospital, no life-threatening injuries. But this is what we're up against. There's so many important things that we should be taking care of right now. Jobs, evictions, you know, ending the war on terrorism, all these things. And we have to worry about getting stabbed by these cretins who refuse to wear a mask. Unbelievable. Well, Kaiser Permanente had some good coffee. Kaiser Permanente is a nonprofit healthcare provider. They had revenues last year of $2.2 billion. Kaiser Permanente serves California, Washington, D.C., Oregon, and uh, several other states in America. When I lived in Los Angeles, I had Kaiser Permanente. Today, uh, a union representing 24,000 of Kaiser's 50,000 workers voted to authorize a strike over wages. Workers will not go on strike quite yet, but the threat of a strike will hang over negotiations that are going on right now between Kaiser and union reps. Meanwhile, in Hollywood, talks continue between the studios and IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, whose members voted to authorize a strike earlier this month. They're not yet on strike, but 
the IHC president, Matthew Loeb, said on Friday his patience with the studios is wearing thin, and he warned that a strike of nearly 50,000 Hollywood workers is a distinct possibility. 1,400 members of the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers International Union are striking Kellogg's in Michigan, Battle Creek, right? Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Nebraska. These Kellogg's workers produce ready-to-eat cereals like Rice Krispies, Raisin Bran, Fruit Loops, Corn Flakes, and Frosted Flakes. They are striking Kellogg's because Kellogg's is threatening to ship even more jobs down to Mexico if their workers, if Kellogg's workers, don't accept salary cuts, reduced health care, and retirement plans, as well as fewer vacation time. So I would assume, I don't know whether or not we should be, I, I wonder if it's like Nabisco where we should still buy Kellogg's, but only Kellogg's that is made in the United States. I will find out. I don't wanna make a mistake of saying don't buy Kellogg's. A lot of people made that mistake with the Nabisco strike when in fact you were supposed to only buy Nabisco products made here in America. So I'm not going to tell you whether or not buying Kellogg's is a great idea quite yet. Well, nearly a year after Americans took to the streets to protest the murder of George Floyd and countless other unarmed African-Americans, well, calls to defund the police, it turns out, are not coming about. They're, they are not defunding the police in the big cities. According to the New York Times, one year after the, the, the summer of protests, cities like Los Angeles and New York plan to boost spending on police, not defund police, boost spending on police in response to rising crime. New York has already added $200 million in additional funding to the police, and Los Angeles has increased spending on the police by 3%. United States representatives met with Taliban officials over the weekend, and Associated Press is reporting that America will provide humanitarian aid to Afghanistan, which is suffering an economic disaster ever since America pulled out. America and the Biden administration will not recognize the Taliban as the leader of Afghanistan, but we are providing some humanitarian aid. Today, Monday, is Columbus Day, which commemorates Christopher Columbus discovering the new world and the new world discovering smallpox and genocide. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Monday is also National Coming Out Day, where millions of members of the LGBTQ community celebrate and encourage others to be proud of how they were born. So in honor of National Coming Out Day, I have an announcement. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina is a bachelor. I thought I would do that 
for him. He is a bachelor. Monday is also the Boston Marathon. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema is running today in the Boston Marathon. She says she's not hoping to win. She just plans to slow it down to a painful crawl by drawing needless attention to herself. Donald Trump wanted to appoint his daughter, Ivanka, to head the World Bank. There's a sentence I never thought I would utter seven years ago. President Donald Trump wanted to appoint his daughter, Ivanka, to, <laughs> to head the World Bank seven years ago. I would have bet my you, I would have bet everything I don't have on that sentence not being true seven years ago. And so he wanted to make his daughter, Ivanka, the head of the World Bank. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who has more ticks than the sheets at a Trump hotel. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin talked Trump out of this idea. That's according to The Intercept's Ryan Grimm and Max Uthberg. So Trump didn't succeed in appointing Ivanka to head the World Bank. He did, however, succeed in making Scott Baio chairman of the International Monetary Fund. So uh, that's something, you know, we took our eye off the International Monetary Fund and Scott Baio is making usurious loans to third world countries. Not true. Just uh, making crap up. Kind of like Trump at his rally in Iowa on Saturday. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, he's from Louisiana. He describes himself as David Duke without the baggage. He appeared on Chris Wallace's Fox Sunday and he would not, he would not say that Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election. Chris Wallace asked, do you think the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump? And Steve Scalise, who is part of the Republican leadership, refused to say that, that Donald Trump lost and that Joe Biden is a legitimate president. ABC's Jonathan Carl reports Trump, when he was president, asked his director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe, to look into reports that China, I'm not making this up, to look into reports, Trump wanted him to look into reports that China had manipulated Georgia's 2020 election results to favor Joe Biden by using wireless thermostats sold in America by Google. Isn't that incredible? They can make a thermostat that throws a U.S. election. But nobody from Enterprise can tell me how to prevent my rental car's windshield from fogging up every time I decide to turn off the air conditioning in the middle of a blizzard. I swear to you, I rented a car last winter, and the only way I could see what was in front of me was by turning the air conditioner down in a freezing blizzard with black ice on the road. They can't get the thermostats to work over at Enterprise, but these wireless thermostats can throw an election in Georgia, Georgia or Georgia. 
Uh, Jonathan Carl from ABC writes, the this Chinese thermostat fixing our elections theory was introduced to Trump by then United States Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Division of the Justice Department, Jeffrey Clark. I'm going to talk about Jeffrey Clark for a second. Harvard graduate, Harvard graduate. By the way, Josh Godheimer, Harvard Law. Jeffrey Clark, according to new reports from the Senate Judiciary Committee, violated Justice Department protocol in the waning days of the Trump administration by meeting in the Oval Office to plot the overturning of Georgia's presidential election results. Trump reportedly promised to make Jeffrey Clark the new attorney general in the waning weeks of the Trump presidency if Clark could somehow get the Justice Department on board and officially declare Biden's Georgia win corrupt. The Senate Judiciary Report, it came out last week, says Trump's White House counsel, Pat Chipolin, warned that such a move would result in mass resignations inside the Justice Department. And Chipolin also threatened to resign. So Trump backed off this idea. Nevertheless, this is worse than anything that happened in Watergate. And it's amazing. It's, it's truly amazing, not that there's an entire political party that sees nothing wrong with anything Trump has done. What's truly amazing is there's an entire political party on the other side that still hasn't been able to lock him up for this. The corruption isn't Trump. The corruption is that he's not already in prison. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. How is it possible that Trump has not been locked up or we haven't seen his tax returns? How is this possible? What does that tell you about the Democratic leadership? What does that tell you about Richard Neal, the Democratic congressman from Massachusetts, who's chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, who could easily get his hands on Trump's tax returns and leak them, hasn't done it. Well, if you remember Georgia, it's a traditionally red state that Trump won in 2016, but it went for Joe Biden in 2020. As I said earlier, the Senate Judiciary Committee issued a report last week on Trump's blatant attempts to overturn the 2020 election results. It's worth taking a look at this report. It's entitled Subverting Justice. Uh, how the former, this is what it's called, Subverting Justice, How the Former President and His Allies Pressured the Department of Justice to Overturn the 2020 election. It's, an ama it's a short read, and it's all true. They've held hearings. They're getting their hands on more and more presidential documents from the archives. This is unbelievable. Not that it happened, that Trump is not in prison already. Trump reportedly coerced Justice Department officials to sign an official statement 
declaring they discovered enough voter irregularities in Georgia to justify Georgia convening a special legislative session to reverse the results of the presidential election in favor of Trump. Again, it's it's the Justice Department. You would think the Justice Department would turn around and prosecute Trump for this. That's my squeaky chair. Uh, the, the Judiciary Committee in the report says that after Attorney General Bill Barr stepped down on December 15th, 2020, saying there was no evidence of voter fraud, after Bill Barr resigned as Attorney General on December 15th, 2020, there were a flurry of calls and meetings between Trump and Justice Department officials during which Trump and his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, formerly Congressman Mark Meadows, one of the leaders of the Freedom Caucus, far right wing loon, Mark Meadows and Donald Trump urged Justice Department officials to file phony lawsuits, launch phony investigations, and lie to Georgia election officials and tell them their investigation shows evidence of corruption. Why did the Justice Department not immediately turn around and indict Donald Trump and Mark Meadows for this? Why does the Senate Judiciary Committee have to hold hearings when we have a, a, a Justice Department and an FBI that should be prosecuting Trump and Mark Meadows immediately? Remember Comey? When he was head of the FBI, he launched an investigation. Those days, I guess, are over. The FBI and the Justice Department will no longer investigate a president who's a criminal. That stopped with Comey. All these meetings and phone calls are in direct violation of everything, including the Hatch Act, which prohibits the president from using government employees for political purposes. The Hatch Act, I mean, really, you're gonna cite the Hatch Act when overthrowing an American election is treason? It also violates a long-standing Department of Justice rule prohibiting the White House from discussing any criminal probes with the attorney general's office. The president is not allowed to call the attorney general and say, I think you should do an investigation into this person. I, I, I think there's a crime here. The attorney general's office has to be independent. And you certainly can't dragoon the Justice Department into your attempts to overthrow an election. It's, it's incredible, not that Trump did this. We knew he was going to do this. What's incredible is we don't have an FBI or a Justice Department that will stand up to this clown. Former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows asked the Justice Department 
to meet with Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani. This was in late December. Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, asked the attorney general to meet with Rudy Giuliani, who at the time was promoting Italy Gate. This is a new one for me. I didn't know about Italy Gate. This is, came from the fevered mind of Rudy Giuliani, Italy Gate. It's his theory that the Central Intelligence Agency, which, as we all know, part of the deep, dark state that hates Trump, Italy Gate maintains, it's a theory that the CIA was working with an Italian contractor to manipulate Georgia's voting results by using satellites in the sky. This is like Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about the Rothschild family setting fires with space lasers. This is this is what we're dealing with. One of the, I mean, low hanging fruit like Rudy Giuliani. We always go after low hanging fruit in the Justice Department and the FBI. They went out, you know, they got Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. You always lock up the Cretans first. They can't even go after Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani is still walking free. And as crazy as this all sounds, thermostats, fixing elections from China, or these Italian laser beams overturning Georgia election results, Trump, Trump understands something about the American voter, the Republican Party, because he understands marketing just keep repeating the same message over and over again until it gets branded into enough people's brains that they believe it. So he is pretty intent on galvanizing Republican voters around one issue to the exclusion of all others, and that is the election was stolen that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. Every part of my being says this is not worth dignifying or paying attention to. It's so bogus, it's so patently fake. Why even read about it? But one of the things I've learned is you ignore the other side at your own peril. This is what Trump openly admitted. I don't know if you saw his Iowa rally on Saturday. He was surrounded by the Republican leadership. Grassley, the, the senator, the 85,000-year-old senator from Iowa, he was there. All the Republican mucky mucks from Iowa were there standing behind Donald Trump and showing support for him because he plans to run again for president. And he's going to run in Iowa. This is what uh, Donald Trump said out in the open, out in the open. He said, because his speech was mostly about how the election was stolen from him, even though he's lost 60 lawsuits. He's challenged the election 60 times. He's lost every challenge, every recount, the ones he paid for. The last one he paid for showed that Biden got even more more votes in Maricopa, Arizona. 
This is just a blatant lie that's not worth dignifying. But his supporters believe it. And as I mentioned earlier, Steve Scalise, the Republican whip, would not say that Donald Trump lost in 2020. So even though I don't think this deserves respect, this is what the Democratic Party will be facing in 2022 and 2024. And Trump is just open about this. This is what he said in front of his crowd. He says, I'm telling you the single biggest issue, as bad as the border is, and it's horrible, horrible what they're doing, they're destroying our country, but as bad as that is, the single biggest issue, the issue that gets the most pull, the most respect, the biggest cheers, is talking about the election fraud of the 2020 presidential election. His antenna, you know, he didn't win the popular vote in 2016. He didn't win it in 2020, but he does have antenna. And what he's picking up is all the issues are too complicated for the Republican voters. Simplify. And the simplest, easiest calling card is they stole the election. Biden is illegitimate. Our democracy is at stake. And it's working. It's working in the Republican Party. He's turning Ashley Babbitt into Horst Wessel. Remember Ashley Babbitt? She was the the vet, <clears throat> the veteran who uh, was shot to death by Capitol Police as she tried to climb through a window. He's turned her into a, into a martyr. She was her birthday was over the weekend, and he recorded some message for her family. He is convincing the entire Republican Party and Republican voters that January 6th didn't happen. Mike Pence was making the rounds of talk shows this weekend, downplaying January 6th. He says, you don't judge my relationship with Donald Trump on one bad day. Really? So we shouldn't judge O.J. Simpson on that one bad day he had with Nicole and Ron Goldman. That's what Mike Pence is saying. They were calling to to hang Mike Pence, but he's thinking the media is overreacting to January 6th. So again, if you think the midterms, which are right around the corner, are gonna be about immigration, inflation, climate change, Afghanistan, COVID, jobs, you're wrong. Trump is going to control the narrative, even though he's not running in 2022. The Republicans always control the narrative. And that narrative will be every Democrat, including Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin and Josh Gottheimer, are socialists. And Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. They stole the election. They are enemies of democracy. And the Democrats will be 
on their heels, backing up and defending themselves as we go into 2022, trying to prove that they're not socialists and that the election was legitimate while we ignore climate change, evictions, winter's coming, people are living on the streets, starvation in our schools, kids are starving in our schools. The war on terror, he's gonna control the narrative. And he, he knows what he's doing because the Republicans, he knows that he can't run the Republicans on the issues. They're wrong on everything. It doesn't hold up to scrutiny. They're, if you debate raising taxes on corporations and the richest 1%, the Republicans can't win. They can't win on climate change. They can't win on anything. Nothing, therefore, can, can be proven to make sense. So you have to stir up insanity and lies like Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. Low information voters are rampant throughout the Republican Party. And people who are on the fence are low information voters. If, if you are somebody who can't decide whether or not you're going to vote for Biden or Trump, you're a low information voter. And so you can sink your teeth into something as stupid as our democracy is under attack because Joe Biden stole the election. And uh, the Democrats are screwed. The Democrats are screwed, and it's basically their fault. Uh, the only thing that can lend legitimacy to a Biden presidency is Build Back Better at $3.5 trillion. The only way to make Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer look legitimate to the voter is by passing Build Back Better at three point five trillion dollars. Now, the president of the United States is the supposedly most powerful man on the planet. If Joe Biden really wanted Build Back Better at $3.5 trillion, do you think Kirsten Cinema, Manchin or Gottheimer would get in his way if he really wanted it at $3.5 trillion? We've talked about this. You know, Trump is in Iowa on Saturday. Where's Joe Biden? He's at a, a relative's wedding. That's where he's at. He's literally going to a wedding. Why isn't he in West Virginia right now? Campaigning for Build Back Better. Why isn't he saying to Joe Manchin, I'm going to be in West Virginia selling Build Back Better to your voters. I hope you'll be on board. That's a big thing for a president to go to West Virginia or Arizona and say to Kirsten Sinema, I hope you're going to be on the, on the stage with me. If they don't appear on the stage with the president of the United States, they get primaried. But Joe isn't doing it. He thinks it can all be solved making backroom deals. So 
listen, I hope he's right, but it better be $3.5 trillion. Uh, because even the people who think the election was stolen, who think Biden stole the election, they're not going to care if Biden stole it. They're still going to support Biden and the Democrats if Biden and the Democrats succeed in lowering prescription drug prices, provide dental, hearing aids, and eye care for Medicare recipients, universal preschool, free tuition at public colleges. You start making that $300 a month payment to kids permanent. The low information voter who's susceptible to believing Trump when he says Biden is an illegitimate president, they're going to say, well, maybe he stole the maybe Trump's right, but I'm doing much better than I was when Trump was president. And that's the only way the Democrats win in 2022 and 2024. And if they don't win, it's over. You know what these Republicans are like. This Build Back Better bill at $3.5 trillion is the only thing that's keeping us right now from a full-bore fascist state. It, it, it's, it's Mansion and Cinema and Gottheimer and Biden, Schumer, and Pelosi. I mean, I... I I don't really think Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden want Build Back Better at $3.5 trillion. Because if they really wanted it, they could get it. But they don't want it. A new CBS YouGov poll is out. This is very upsetting. It shows that the Democrats have a messaging problem. Maybe it's a messaging problem, or maybe they really don't want Build Back Better to be passed. I prefer to think of it as a messaging problem. And again, the only thing that keeps a big red wave in 2022 is Build Back Better at $3.5 trillion. And yet, and yet, according to this poll, most Americans only know what Build back better costs, and they have no idea what's in it. Whose fault is that? How is that possible that we're a couple of weeks past the deadline that Nancy Pelosi set to vote on Build Back Better? The deadline has passed. They're kicking the can down the road, and only 10% of American voters know what's in the bill? 90% of Americans, the only thing they know about Build Back Better is what it costs. Why? How is that possible? When Lyndon Johnson was passing Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security, uh, when Roosevelt was passing Social Security, w Americans knew what was at stake what they were voting on. Nobody was talking about, oh yeah, that $400 billion bill that Roosevelt once passed. It's too expensive. Well, what's in it? I don't know, something about senior citizens. People knew it was Social Security. People knew it was Medicare. 
in the 60s, Medicaid. Now it's just money. Why? Why are the Democrats only talking about money and not constantly driving home that Build Back Better expands Medicare coverage, that it lowers prescription drug costs, it provides a pathway to citizenship, perhaps, for the dreamers. It possibly gives us free universal daycare, free college at public universities. Why, after the deadline that Nancy Pelosi set, why do only 10% of Americans know this? What does that tell you? Why? Why don't Americans know this? The poll goes on to say that only one third of American voters think Build Back Better would benefit them personally. Two thirds of Americans think Build Back Better is for someone else. They don't know what's in it. They don't know about the, the, the massive spending on climate change, the new jobs that will come from attacking climate change. How is it possible that the Democrats can't message that? All Americans know is it costs $3.5 trillion. And according to the poll, the thing they know most about Build Back Better is it raises taxes. That's when you ask Americans, what is the one thing you know about Build Back Better? The, the thing they circle the most is it'll raise taxes. Yeah, on people making more than $400,000 a year, on corporations and billionaires. That they don't know. Now, when this poll, you go into the internals of the poll, and all polls eventually become what are called push polls, where you say, are you for something? And you get a yes or no. And then a push poll is, well, would you be for this if I told you this about it? Right? That's what a push poll is. And when, it, when this poll becomes a push poll, when the people asking the questions begin to describe what is in the bill, Americans support, they support Bill Back Better by an even larger margin. When the poll starts to push and explain the bill, Americans say they're in favor of increasing taxes so long as those increases are imposed on corporations and the richest 1%. They're for the IRS being given more money to go after tax cheats. A majority of Americans, 58% of us, favor increased funding for the Internal Revenue Service to collect money that is owed. That's a remarkable number when you consider the 40-year war that has been waged against the Internal Revenue Service by Reagan Republicans, Bush and Trump Republicans. They have demonized the Internal Revenue Service, and yet 58% of us 
think the IRS is underfunded, which it is. They have not increased funding for the IRS in 40 years. So as the, it's not keeping up with inflation, as our population grows in relation to the IRS, the population gets bigger and bigger and the IRS gets smaller and smaller. We have defunded the IRS. We have defunded the police. We have defunded the police. The IRS are the ultimate police. You don't pay your taxes, you're going to prison. Republicans, they have no problem defunding the IRS, and they have. Now, I mentioned on our last show that the head of the IRS told Congress he estimates that our government leaves $1 trillion a year on the table. Each year, $1 trillion is left on the table because the IRS is understaffed. And it's been suggested that if we threw $60 billion at the IRS, we could go collect that $1 trillion. We don't need to raise taxes. We just need to collect the taxes that are already owed by corporations and by the richest 1%. There's a lot of money out there that the IRS can't collect because the richest 1% hires these tax attorneys who tie the IRS up in court. And so you're more likely to get audited for the income the earned income tax credit, then if you're poor, you're going to get audited on the earned income tax credit more often than you are if you're Jeff Bezos. You're more likely to be audited if you're poor than if you're rich, because in America, we go after the low hanging fruit. And yet Rudy Giuliani, low hanging fruit, he's still walking free. Uh, I guess his fruit isn't hanging low enough. Americans, you know, I beat up on Americans, but we're, we're capable of being good people. Our country's been taken away from us. We have values. We see the value in taxation. We believe in taxation. The Washington Post did a story I think it was on Saturday, maybe Friday. And they cite a poll that says 87% of Americans think cheating on taxes is immoral. Isn't that interesting? 87% of us think cheating on our taxes is immoral. We, we've all been hearing that, you know, everybody cheats on their taxes. And, you know, Donald Trump gets applause when he says, of course, I pay little in taxes. I'm smart. And the Republicans applaud that. But that's not how most of us were raised. Most of us were raised. You want your roads and your bridges and your schools, pay your taxes. The Internal Revenue Service issues a report each year about unpaid taxes. This is stunning. It, and, and 
you know, I beat up on the American people because we are a horrible, horrible people, but we're also, most of us are decent. This is what the Internal Revenue Service reports. Each year, 83.6% of federal taxes are paid voluntarily and on time. Think about that for a second. 84% of Americans don't have to get a letter from the IRS. They pay their taxes on time. I, by the way, I filed an extension. So who are the, what is it, 83, 84, that's 16% of Americans uh, don't pay their taxes on time. So some people have to file extensions. Only a rare few, though, avoid taxes by any means necessary. I, I offer up the, uh, I'm going to say that 99.9999% of Americans pay their taxes voluntarily and have to file extensions sometimes because of a divorce or a death in the family. But it is that select 1% of the 1% who don't pay their taxes voluntarily. And they are un-American and they're our enemy. There was a story two weeks ago in the New York Times how this is legal, it's, it's, it's as outrageous as Donald Trump calling the Justice Department up and saying, hey, fix the election in my favor. And the Justice Department, which is supposed to prosecute that kind of stuff, not prosecuting Donald Trump. Again, why are we holding hearings? Why are we wasting time holding hearings on a crime that has been committed. The FBI and the Justice Department were witnesses to a crime. They should have indicted and arrested Donald Trump immediately. Why does the, the Senate Judiciary Committee have to hold hearings on this? There are, it's black and white. And by that, I mean, if Donald Trump were black, he'd be in prison already. So there, there was a story in the New York Times two weeks ago. It's incredible that nobody is arrested after this comes out. Tax lawyers and accountants, tax accountants who work at these big firms, part of their plan is to take sabbaticals from the big private firms to take low-paying jobs over at the Internal Revenue Service and when they go over to the Internal Revenue Service, they surreptitiously rewrite tax code to favor their former firm's top clients. And they do their time working for the IRS, one or two years for the IRS, and then they go back to their old firm and are immediately made partner and their salary at the very least, is doubled. So how can that be legal? It's the revolving door. 
at a, at a level of arrogance I never dreamed possible. I know that people who work at the Pentagon go to work for Boeing and Raytheon. And that's kind of a bribe. But to waltz back and forth between the IRS and the accounting firms and to, to rewrite tax code to favor your wealthy clients, you should be. This is why the guillotine was invented. So the Pandora Papers, this is what our country has become. We've been financialized. Everything is financialized now. And it only benefits the richest 1%. And we're left paying the taxes. And when they crash capitalism, we have to bail them out. I said on the last show that the biggest news to come out of the Pandora Papers is that America is now the number one tax haven in the world. It's incredible. We are, it's not Switzerland. It's not the Isle of Jersey. It's, it's not the Cayman Islands. It's America. We are the number one tax shelter, tax haven in the world for drug dealers, oligarchs, and corrupt politicians overseas. America is the safest place to hide your money if you're an overseas client or an American client. This is the safest place to hide your money from, credit, from creditors and the government. All you need to do is establish what is called a trust, and you set it up in Delaware, where Joe Biden is from, or South Dakota, and then your money is shielded from the glare of the Internal Revenue Service, creditors, prosecutors, ex-wives. I did some research over the weekend, and I read a report from the Tax Justice Network. America, this is unbelievable. This is absolutely unbelievable. And, and we live in a cloud, a fog of ignorance. We think we, think we know this country. We think we, we know what our leadership is about. We don't have a clue. And it's pure greed and corruption. According to the Tax Justice Network, America accounts for 22% of the world's offshore financial services. I know a lot of my listeners are flatlining right now when I talk about offshore accounts. These are purposely Byzantine. They're hard to understand. But the purpose, and I don't understand it, and you're not supposed to understand it, because if we understood it, we could find the money. It's a maze of complications, so we can't get the money. The purpose of an offshore account is to take ill-gotten gains and hide it from the police and the tax man or from people you owe money to. 
That's why people hide money overseas. Now, the important thing to remember here, this is what's key. This is what, what blew my mind. When you put money into an offshore account, you're not just hiding the money, you're collecting interest on the money. I always thought that, okay, you know, I'm a drug dealer, I have a million dollars, you know, I wanna put it in a bank for safekeeping. No, you wanna find a financial services corporation that will take your $1 million, launder it, and then pay you interest, help you invest it. I didn't know that. I just assumed you, you'd be happy with the 1 million that you didn't deserve. You want to invest it, have it work for you. So these financial services companies in the Cayman Islands, in London, Switzerland, they're all competing for dirty money because they make money by holding on to dirty money because if they're paying interest to the Haitian baby doc, if they're paying him interest for the money he stole from Haiti, that means they're taking his money and lending it out. They're putting his money to work. They're competing for this money because they, I never really understood this until over the weekend. Banks want dirty money because like any bank, you get to lend it to other people and make money off that money as long as you agree to pay some interest on it. So this is according to the Tax Justice Network. It says that while America demands financial transparency from places like Switzerland, the Cayman Islands, it doesn't go both ways. When, when our FBI wants to prosecute somebody, we demand transparency. We wanna see all the bank accounts in Switzerland and the Cayman Islands. But America, which has been the leader in calling for financial transparency, has refused to sign on to the transparency that they've demanded. America refuses to share information with any countries that are trying to track down stolen or hidden money kept inside an American trust. Because of our growing financial secrecy laws here in America, money stolen by government leaders or money earned from drug cartels or any other crime, it gets deposited here in the states, specifically Delaware or South Dakota, their banks with no questions asked and no, no observation, no transparency. This is how it works. And it's, a, it's I'm not that smart. So it takes me a while, to, especially when it comes to like these money things, this is how it works. The banks want foreign money, dirty foreign money, because they can invest it. They can put it to work. 
the house you bought in South Dakota, the money being lent to you, there's a good chance that that was drug money in a secret trust in South Dakota that the bank was putting to work so it could pay interest to the drug lord. It's incredible. So the uh, it all started 100 years ago. Congress was pressured by Wall Street. This was 1921, 100 years ago. Wall Street, 100 years ago, the banks urged the, the federal government to create opacity to make it hard to, uh, to see what was in the bank account of a foreigner, foreigner's money. They wanted to get foreigners to deposit money in American banks. And the only way you can do that is by guaranteeing that nobody's going to look at your money. And how do you do that? Well, you pass a law, and that's what they did in 1921. You pass a law that says foreign money collecting interest in an American bank is not subject to taxation. So if you are a foreigner and you put a million dollars in an American bank and it collects, you know, I, I can't do the math, uh, you know, $10,000 a year in interest, you don't have to pay taxes on that. It's, it's not subject to the IRS. So, of course, if you're a foreigner and you have a choice between depositing your money in my country, like Haiti, or in America, I'm going to put it in an American bank so I don't have to pay taxes on it. That's how it works. That's why people hide money in American banks. If you're a foreigner, you steal from your country, you're a drug dealer, you hide your money in America tax free. Now, if you're an American, you do what Tony Blair did. He's a Brit. What you do is you create an offshore company in the Virgin Islands, and that company is a foreign is foreign money, and then you use that foreign that that company that was set up in the Virgin Islands to buy property in London that is not subjected to taxation. Or if you're Tony Blair, you somehow convince the British government that this money you've earned uh, constitutes money from a, a foreign entity. So the money's deposited in the Cayman Islands and Tony Blair doesn't have to pay taxes on it. I know this sounds a little confusing. It's supposed to be. And I, I hope I'm not making anybody feel stupid because I'm stupid, but I'm old enough to know that they want me to feel stupid about tax havens. They don't want us to know how this works. The bottom line is, if you're a foreigner, you can deposit money in an American bank, collect interest tax-free. Park money in America 
collect interest tax-free. It's incredible. Now, why does this go on? Why? Well, I kind of explained it. Dirty money, it turns out, benefits our banking system. The American banking system is built on dirty money, as is the, the, the strength of the dollar. Now, I'm going to talk about the trade deficit. I know this is hard to wrap your head around. I know it's complicated. I know it's hard to understand what the budget deficit is and the, the debt is and the relationship between the trade deficit and the strength of the dollar. So my suggestion is you learn this stuff. It's hard to learn. It's hard to remember and keep keep it straight. But this this stuff is how we get screwed by not knowing about the relationship between a strong dollar and a trade deficit. The banks for 100 years now have been lobbying Washington, D.C. to allow America to become a tax haven from the, for the rich, for the oligarchs, and for the drug dealers. Because as I said, the banks want that dirty money because they can lend it out. And they can also charge a hefty price to the oligarchs, to the drug dealers, to make sure that their money is invested properly. And they have convinced our government for the past 100 years that dirty money deposited in American banks helps our trade balance, the balance of trade. See, we don't manufacture that much anymore. So we have a trade imbalance and that makes for a weak dollar. So uh, we don't manufacture, we don't make anything. The banks have convinced Congress that if they're allowed to deposit dirty money in banks here in the United States, that decreases our trade deficit and bolsters the dollar. This is stuff I'm punching way out of my weight class here. But this is stuff we all need to learn. And because we haven't learned it, because our senators and Congress people haven't learned this, they get talked into allowing America to become the number one tax haven for drug dealers, because senators don't understand how money works. And when a banker, when Jamie Dimon says privately, I know it's unseemly that we're you know, holding money from the Sonola gang. But it's good for our economy. It strengthens the dollar. Better this drug money is here in the United States because it reduces the trade deficit and makes the dollar stronger. And senators and Congress people who understand this as much as I do go, oh, OK, Jamie, OK, we won't prosecute you for money laundering. Wall Street, 
they got a great thing going. They ship jobs overseas. And then when we no longer manufacture anything, they make up the trade deficit by laundering money for oligarchs and drug dealers. And it, they can claim that it's helping the trade deficit. In 1966, there were people in Washington who wanted to get rid of the tax exemption for foreign money. And a Senate report came out, and this is Democrats in 66, a Senate report came out and said outright that getting rid of the tax exemption for foreign money in American banks would chill further deposits from overseas, criminal, overseas criminals, which would have an adverse effect on our balance of payments. That's the trade deficit, our balance of payments. They were just out in the open. They said, if we get rid of the, the tax exemption for foreign money, it'll affect our trade deficit. We need dirty money. It's incredible. And Chase, this is Jamie Dimon's bank, in the 60s, they wrote a series of memos to leaders in Washington whining that they couldn't compete with Switzerland in the, quote, lucrative field of hiding money, unquote. Chase, in these memos, complained that Americans were at a, American banks were at a disadvantage. They were, quote unquote, penalized by all the financial oversight. Chase, its business model was getting penalized by all the financial oversight, making America's banks less appealing to foreigners who wanted to hide money. As the banking sector grew, you know, the banks were not that big a part of our gross national product in the 60s and the 70s. And then by the time Reagan became president, and now with you know Bill Clinton, the uh, financial sector is the largest sector of our GDP. As the banking sector grew, it gained more and more leverage in Washington, D.C. And it became transparent in its opacity. In other words, the banks were open, openly saying to the Federal Reserve and, and to the House and Senate banking committees, we, if you start looking into our deposits and, and you get rid of the, the tax exemption for foreign money, banks are not going to be a good investment anymore. The Tax Reform Act of 1976, it was all out in the open. It made clear that Washington was intent on helping the banks turn America's financial services industry into tax havens for foreign capital. 1976, it was out in the open. Banks were looking to grow their business 
by offering secrecy and tax avoidance to foreign money. Florida Senator Dick Stone. <laughs> Dick Stone. That's a great name, Dick Stone. That, that should be the name of the guy who invented Viagra. Dick Stone, who was a Florida senator. I'm in the well of the Senate in 1976, Florida Senator Dick Stone said, we have to keep foreign money exempt from taxation because I owe that to my constituents in Florida. Florida banks are staying in business because of foreign money. He said in Miami, one third of all money deposited in Miami banks came from Latin America. Well, who was depositing money in a Miami bank in 1976 from Latin America? Drug dealers, generals who had to leave, former presidents who looted their banana republic and needed to hide their money somewhere. In the debates on the Senate floor in 1976, as to whether or not to pass the Tax Reform Act of 1976, Senator said out in the open, they warned that if we remove the tax exemption for foreign deposits, America's banks would not be able to compete with foreign banks for international deposits because secrecy when it comes to globalization, secrecy benefits American banks. And as I said earlier, it strengthens the dollar. More money deposited in American banks means our balance of trade is not weak and our dollar gets strong. That's what the financialization of America has done to us. We no longer manufacture we no longer make things here in America. Your iPhone, your iPad, your cars, your washing machine, it's all made in another country. How do you offset the trade imbalance and make the dollar strong? You take dirty money. You take drug dealers' money. You take the money from the Shah, from Baby Doc from Putin, from the Russian oligarchs, and you deposit it in American banks, and that offsets the trade imbalance from not manufacturing anything. It's sick, and this whole country has been taken over by these financial charlatans the whole country has become a money laundering operation. New York City, now I'm just talking about banks. I haven't even talked about real estate in Manhattan or London. We learned all about that five years ago when Donald Trump became president. He's not a bank. He's laundering money for drug dealers, and oligarchs 
working with Deutsche Bank in Germany to clean up money, to hide it. And you walk around Manhattan and you, you see it. You see that this whole thing is a sham. The jobs at these retail outlets, it doesn't matter if they sell a shirt or don't sell a shirt. It's a money laundering operation. And that's why David Graeber was so prescient when he said most jobs are bullshit. Most jobs are bullshit because the work you're doing has nothing to do with the money being made. This whole country is a money laundering operation. The war in Afghanistan, Afghanistan didn't attack us on 9-11. That was a money laundering operation. And both parties are to blame. The Democrats are in bed with Wall Street. Obama and Hillary got more money from Goldman Sachs than McCain, Romney, and Trump. The Democrats are in on the laundering. Chuck Schumer is a bag man for Wall Street. Chuck Schumer, the senator from New York, the reason he's majority, why do you think he's majority leader? Because of his charisma? Because he carries bags of cash for Wall Street. Harvard, and he has two daughters who went to Harvard. So going back to that, that poll where, how, where I ask, how is it possible that only 10% of Americans know What's in Build Back Better? How is that possible? Well, I think it has something to do with Chuck Schumer not wanting Build Back Better or Joe Biden from Delaware wanting Build Back Better because Build Back Better would tax the people who put them in office. And America is one big tax avoidance scheme. Delaware is a state for one purpose, to avoid paying taxes. Biden was put there because he promised not to go after the credit card companies and not to tax foreign deposits or corporations. The only way to pay for Build Back Better is by taxing the money that's already owed to us. You think for one second, Schumer and Biden want to bite the hand that feeds them? Meanwhile, Pelosi was uh, with the Pope this weekend to uh, real estate wizards. I don't know who owns more real estate, the Catholic Church or Nancy Pelosi. It's close. This is, uh, this is what we're up against with Build Back Better. Both parties don't want it because they know who has to pay for it. And the media, they're not going to report on this. They're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you what's in Build Back Better. Because we get our news from corporations and millionaires. Rachel Maddow, 30 million a year, Rachel Maddow to read the news. 
Why do you think they give Rachel Maddow $30 million? To buy her silence. And when you have $30 million, you align with the corporations. You don't want to be taxed. These news organizations, MSNBC, CNN, they're all funded by drug companies. All you see are ads for drug companies. And those ads, I've said this countless times, nobody sees an ad for Lafargean and says, hey, you know, my butthole is sealed shut. Have you heard about Lafarvin, doc? Nobody sees an ad and acts on it. The reason the drug companies advertise on CNN and MSNBC is to buy the silence of the news media, who at best, at best, MSNBC gives lip service to skyrocketing drug prices. But they benefit from skyrocketing drug prices. The more money the drug companies have, the more MSNBC can charge for advertising and pay Rachel Maddow $30 million a year. So they keep it, they keep all of us low information voters, even senior citizens don't understand what Medicare Part D is or Medicare Advantage. We have senior citizens who actually think Medicare Advantage is a good thing. How is it possible that 10% of Americans know what's in Build Back Better? Because it benefits everybody if we're ignorant, especially the consultants and the lobbyists who make a fortune, rich people and corporations and the drug companies. They pay consultants and lobbyists fortunes to kill Build Back Better. There's more money in fighting Build Back Better than in supporting it. We're the lobbyists for us. Who do we have public citizen? Who do we have fighting for Medicare for all? When you look at what we're up against, they own the airwaves, they buy the advertising, they spread the disinformation about how if we negotiate drug prices, it'll only, I saw one ad, if, we, if we're allowed, if Medicare is allowed to negotiate drug prices, the prices of drugs will go up. And of course, it's running on CNN. And you think CNN is going to say uh, that ad we just ran about drug prices going up if Medicare can negotiate? That's a lie. That's a lie. It's in the best interest for the consultant class for 2022 to be the most important election of your lifetime. Because that means 2024 will be the most important election of your lifetime. And as long as we keep having these most important elections of our lifetime, that boosts fundraising and ad spending. And consultants get 15% of all the advertising that's bought. David Axelrod, who helped get Obama elected, was pissed off because he felt he was entitled to 15% of the ad buys in 2012. And Obama said, no, you're not getting it. These consultants get 15% of all the ad buys. So they want these elections to be tight. 
If it's a blowout, you don't need to advertise. They don't want landslides. The Democratic lobbyists, they don't, when they go on CNN, like Joe Lockhart, who was, he was always introduced as Bill Clinton's press secretary, never introduced as a lobbyist for the drug companies. He's not pushing for what's in the bill, even though he's a Democrat, because he's working for the drug companies. They're lobbyists. CNN doesn't tell you Joe Lockhart's a lobbyist or William Cohn, the former defense secretary. They don't tell you that he's a lobbyist for the military industrial complex. They don't want the consultants don't want a blowout in 2022. And there is a way for a blowout in 2022. Give the American voter what they want and need. If you pass Build Back Better, spend $3.5 trillion, puts the consultants out of business. You don't need consultants when you give Americans what they need. I'll give the numbers of our leaders who you should be calling. You are listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. I believe Johnny Ross should be here. Are you here, John? We've had a, we had a problem. I'm here. Oh, good. I just spilled some water, uh, so. Oh, that's all right. It's, mop, it's mopping it up. Well, this is the mop-up. This is the mop-up. All right, are we doing this? Are we starting? Well, yeah, I, I only kept you waiting two minutes. Let me clear my throat with this. That's right. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Friend me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. Let us now go to Deerfield, Massachusetts. He's still my friend, one of the few I have left. Say hello to gentleman farmer and comedy writer. You love him, John Ross. So we're doing we're doing this again. This has become a thing now. I it hope so. So so now we're we're recording a show on Indigenous Peoples Day. Do we have <laughs> is there there's no respect at all. My wife is in the kitchen right now uh preparing a, an indigenous person for us to eat. Oh. <laughs> Normally we're vegan. Right. But on today, yes. we will eat a delicious indigenous person. And so uh, I, it seems very. So well, uh, what are these phone numbers? What are these for? What, are, what, are, what Am I supposed to call these people? Yes. What, and, and what? Offer them money? <laughs> because that's the only thing that's going to, you know, 
why, why don't I call Steve Bannon while I'm at it? Hey, you should show up. At the, like, these people don't care if I call them. They just want money. Unless I'm going to offer them, you know, a few million dollars, they have no interest in what I have to say. We, uh, Smigel and I worked on a show where we were offering fake money to senators <laughs> as, as prank calls, and we got them on the phone. We got yeah. them on the phone. If you offer them money, they will talk to you. But yeah. listen, yeah, you call the, the numbers on the screen. Get a pen. I'm going to give you all the phone numbers. It does make a difference. It do- I'll give you an example of how it makes a difference. Tell me. Tell me how it makes a difference. Do you read the chat room? No. Ah, you'd be amazed at the number of guests who come on the show and fixate on comments in the chat room. Now, I love the people in the chat room. You you don't care what the chat room says. People, How, how, can, how can I pay attention to the chat room when I've got this scintillating component? <laughs> this, this absolutely transfixing <laughs> conversationalist in front of me who I have to try to keep up with. I'm going to put one eye on the chat room and hope that I can go toe-to-toe with David Feldman? Are you kidding me? I love you. Uh, <laughs> oh, somebody wanted you. Somebody. Well, anyway, so comment, like comments. I, I have oh. a friend who doesn't do the show anymore. He would go on YouTube and into iTunes and respond to the comments. They, people take these comments very seriously. So when you write a letter to your congressperson or senator or when you leave a message, as long as you're not a lunatic, it's heavily weighted. It is. Why do you think? Hang on. Let me challenge you on something. OK. Why? Why does so much comedy stink? Now, it's because of YouTube. It's because of the like button. It's because performers are afraid they're going to get a thumbs down. And all the networks now are giving jobs to comedians who will get more likes than dislikes. People, it matters what people think that the TV executives want to know how many Twitter followers you have and they want to know how many likes you have on iTunes, and if they see Ben. Do you think Joe Manchin gives a shit what anybody thinks? Yes. But, But the only people he gives a shit what they think are the executives at the fossil fuel companies who give him money. Those are the people he gives a shit what they think. He thinks, he doesn't care what people think, and neither does Kristen Sinema. If she did, they would have completely different attitudes. I, I just cannot believe that they're doing this out of anything other than self-interest. If you believe that, because human nature hasn't changed and this country hasn't changed, it, it only seems to be getting worse because we're living through it. But this country has always been a shithole and it's always been the greatest country on the planet simultaneously. You think we could have had this conversation in 33 about social security. And there were people who you couldn't move until you can. All right. I mean, it, it's real. You have a daughter, don't you? I do. I do, you, do. Would you tell your daughter it doesn't matter? Your vote doesn't matter? 
on American That's why Idol. I don't let her listen to this show. When you're watching American Idol, do you say your vote doesn't count? Would you say that to her? No, I would never say anything uh, negative about uh, what's that show, American Idol. Yeah. Um, In all seriousness, here's another, here's another reason. It takes what? Here's another. Ralph reason. Nader says what? it takes one percent of the country. If you have one percent right. of the American people who want something bad enough, they can have it. Just one percent of the country. Okay. All right. Well, I I hope so. I'm. Uh, here's another reason. Um, I know you you're you've fallen out of love with Barack Obama. Yes, here's I still an, love him. Another, he's like an ex-wife. Well, here's another reason. You can oh no, he's not that. like an ex-wife. I still <laughs> love Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> um, here here's another reason to dislike Barack Obama. He brought us that mope Merrick Garland. <laughs> that mope. That's where he comes from. That mope. He's a mope. He's a mope. He's a mope. He's a mope, right? Uh-huh. That guy could be doing so much more if he just had some cojones. But the guy's got sclimbats. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. 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 There's nothing. And at these, you know, the whole time. Remember before um, uh, McConnell uh denied him a hearing mm -hmm. the word on the street about merrick garland was this is a guy even the republicans like <laughs> right wasn't that the, the right. word on him that's why obama picked him and that's why obama picked him is because look this is a guy that even the republicans like and now we see why <laughs> yes. yes this is a perfect republican judge he, of course they like him what He's did he do what did he do what did he do that's Nothing. That's the thing. <laughs> He's not doing anything. He, he could be. They could be charging these people. He's. How come you know they're um, defending the the Gene E. Carroll Gene mm -hmm. uh, case? They've decided to side with, with that. the rapist. Bullshit. Yeah. Terrible decision. And not. And oh, they, there's so many people they could be. All. What about the charges in the Mueller report? The 10 charges, he could just pick those up. Supposedly that was a map, right? It's like, right. here, if you want to charge obstruction of justice, here's 10 charges, go ahead. Right now he could do okay. that. He could do that what? right now. He could do that right now. Right. What's he busy there, doing? There's no statute of limitations. He could prosecute Trump right now. Absolutely. There's a million things he could be doing and he's he's sitting on his ass. <laughs> Yeah, it is incredible yeah. that they haven't prosecuted that that, they're, that Trump is still walking free. The Giuliani they they don't even get the low hanging fruit. Yeah, it's madness. Yeah, they, they that's the other thing that you know you listen to this um, you know one by one the the people from the uh, January sixth subcommittee investigation or whatever, they come on the radio and they go, the American people, they want to know the truth about what happened on January. The American people know the truth. It happened on TV. We all watch it. We find out the truth. We watch people in fucking bear skins and horns with Trump signs and Trump tattoos, like beating the fuck out of police and breaking windows. Hey, let's find out what really happened. Thanks, detective. You gonna figure this one out? 
You're absolutely right. Like, and and even still, you know, so much of the stuff is not. Ah. Well, you you know, these books are coming out now. They've had nine months since January six. The Woodward book is pretty good. This Jonathan Carl book is even I like this thing about it was revealed that Donald Trump wanted to name Ivanka Trump as president of the World Bank. That's the big I knew that two years ago. That wasn't something new or the big revelation in this Jonathan Carl book he writes for ABC is that Kevin McCarthy was on the phone with Trump saying, you know, call call your jackals back. Call, and, and Trump said, well, apparently they're more upset about this election than you are. I knew that on January 7th. And yeah, Jonathan Carl. Yeah. And Jonathan Carl. But they're presenting like explosive revelations in this new Jonathan Carl book. Yeah. You're absolutely right. We need to get to the bottom. We know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> because we watch, And then. Because I, we saw it on TV. Right. And yeah. then you're and then you're you're gaslit by these other people who are saying, what do you mean? They were tourists. They came in, they took a couple of pictures and they mm-hmm. walked around. You got an autograph and then they left, you know, and you go, OK, I guess I'm insane. I must have seen something else. Uh, it makes you crazy and it makes you think that, you know, it's one thing when it's just jerk offs on the street. You know, and you see them get interviewed saying stuff like that. But it's a guy. It's like, oh, that guy's in Congress. That right. guy's a senator, and he's saying that. And there's nothing you can do. It's, right. It's it makes you feel pretty hopeless. Hopeless and powerless because there. You know, I just spent a long time explaining how money laundering works and why it's in the best interests of our banking system to launder money, why it's profitable. And I barely understand this. It is the responsibility, not just of the media, but of the president of the United States to go on national television and explain this. You know, uh, Roosevelt, his fireside chats, he explained how the banking system worked. When he when when he shut the banks down, when he had that bank holiday, he explained to the American people how banks work. He knew that most of us don't understand banking. The Lendlease program. He went on the radio and explained what it means to lend a fire hose to somebody whose building is on fire. And so we're going to lend the he would explain this. Nixon used to explain why he was going after the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Cambodia. He went on a nobody's nobody's teaching us. They want us in the dark. I mean, even Nixon but, explained things to us. But but to some extent, and I, I, you know, I, I don't want to keep blaming the American people, but you know, you got bad students. You know what I mean? Like, look, my dad never went to college. My dad had a high school education, but a high school education then was like a college education. He was an intelligent guy. He was smart. He was well read. You know, now you've got people who really have like a fifth grade education and they're walking around and and Dunning Kruger. They're the ones who are absolutely certain that they know more than you and they've got the inside track and they're hearing the truth and they're. They're morons. There's no explaining to them. Why don't you write? Don't do. Let me give you an assignment. Where are the law offices of Dunning 
Kruger. We will take your. You will. T- yeah. We will take your slip and fall all the way to the ICC, the International Criminal Court, and the Hague. We are Dunning Kruger. <laughs> we will take it. Yeah. That'd be a funny. Uh, we're the law officers of Dunning Kruger. I just. Can't, God forbid. Sketches. God forbid somebody watching this show give me three billion dollars so I could hire a writing staff and keep all the money and just say to the writers, <laughs> pay them, not I pay them, just, them $100 a week each. Hey, it, I had a bad, come on, man. We, I don't have any money. What about that three billion? That crawl across the bottom of the screen is free. <laughs> what about that $3 billion? Oh, well, that's, uh, it's my milk money. Anyway. Well, yeah. you know. yeah, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. It, 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 it is. So, yeah, it's It's uh, scary. Well, it's always been this way, except for the planet dying. It's always been this way. Has it always been this way? I mean, has the voting been like so gerrymandered? Let me ask my black friend over here. I mean, 100 years ago, women women couldn't vote 100 years ago. Hey, let's just think about that for a second before we let's, so, let's just let that sink in and think about how far we've come. So you're saying it it was better. <laughs> canceled. You're canceled. No. I am. You canceled. can't. You know, you, you see Chappelle's special? I have not seen it. Interesting. But I it does seem like the cancel thing is backfires like it just i don't think his special would have gotten as much attention as it has if it, it hasn't been for this whole cancel thing like whatever happened to the old days when you you said hey yeah i watched this special this one part of it like really fucking sucked it's stupid and you just say that and that's what goes around and it's like yeah i don't know i i used to think he was better but he's not as good anymore like as opposed to no netflix is not allowed to they must ban him like then he has a a, a reason to fight back uh, you but know, you can't fight back against people saying you you kind of sucks you know right. what i mean somebody called me to do stand-up for 25 bucks the other night really and is then it, i go <clears throat> then i go right? turn on dave chappelle's special you don't think i'm looking for reasons to cancel him you don't think i'm you don't think the the crime that dave chappelle has committed is how prolific and funny he is and i'm being offered a 25 dollars gig at a bar i'm gonna go over everything says with a fine tooth comb to look for excuses to to cancel him because i'll feel better about my comedy that way yeah, in all seriousness, the, he's so funny. Uh, he really yes. is. But but the the transgender stuff, it would be, it's, you know. He talks about this transgender person he knew who committed suicide. Anyway, it's uh, he, I think it's sick what he's doing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure it is sick and I'm sure it is uh, all these things and I'm sure I wouldn't like it. But I mean, my question is, 
is it really having an impact on uh, is it raising the amount of violence there is towards trans people is he having that kind of impact well the one just- trans person he formed a relationship with killed herself and uh-huh. he blamed twitter and he lets himself off the hook he doesn't maybe consider the the role he might have had in all that it's worth watching right but i i guess i will watch it i i i asked the question does him just talking about that raise the issue with people to think about it who wouldn't have thought about it before now they go oh, a trans person who committed suicide that is something that had never entered my consciousness now i've watched the special it's entered my consciousness i mean are people like lighting torches and going out going actually he blames a chappelle special actually he blames a the left-wing twitter cancel culture for her suicide so he he, i mean watch the special and tell me what you think okay here's my by the way today is national coming out day did you know that no i did not know that it's national coming out day and so i'll just prolong this conversation just a tad because coming out when you come out it's the hardest thing to do it's the hardest thing you have to do to come out to yourself and then to your parents and your family a lot of people can't do it because of how they were raised or where they live and they Mm -hmm. can't love the way they want to love and that makes them among the most vulnerable in our community and of the lgbtq transgender people are the most likely to get beaten up and the most likely to commit suicide as dave chappelle's friend makes evident of all the topics of all the people to fire your arrows at why transgender people what what does that accomplish by uh what what's the point of doing that why would Dave, of all the things that dave chappelle could talk about especially dave right. chappelle since he can talk about anything but that so that that's my point right is this is where that discussion belongs is comics talking giving their opinion and saying gee dave chappelle why this why that it's not you know you're so much better than that as opposed to we got to call netflix they've got to take that off the air or i'm leaving netflix though artists have that right you know what i mean if another artist uh, some somebody who was working with netflix who was transgender said yeah i'm not going to work with them anymore if that's what they're putting yeah, on i saw and that. that's their yeah. right to do and and that's great right. they they should do that i'm just this whole the campaign to cancel it's like okay now we got to get him like you're not saying let's get him you're just saying i'm offering my opinion he shouldn't do that my opinion well i i say I, let's get him because he's a better comedian and more successful than i am right but you got a lot of people to get it <laughs> take a number dave chappelle yeah well w- w- laughter have you ever been laughed at and doesn't laughter make things okay in other words if he's saying gender is a fact does that 
does that lend support to somebody who doesn't want their kids taught by a transgender person? Does that when he says gender is a fact, when he trivializes what these people are experiencing, is he empowering people not to hire transgender people to discriminate? I think he is. Having not seen it, I feel like I can't comment because I don't know what he said. So yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I think when I, Jerry I, I Falwell, it, so okay, I, I, we have five minutes. Uh, I'll change the subject. I think when Jerry Falwell attacks gay people, it gets gay people killed. Uh, yeah, he's in a different ball game, though. I don't think it's the same. I don't think the people who are watching Chappelle's show have the same mindset and are accepting the information the same way the people who are watching jerry falwell i think that's a different set of people and it's coming from a different place and and there's a different um authority that falwell speaks with that Chappelle is not how many people with. do how many people do you think you know i i've said that there are people who are listening to this show and i have a small audience there is probably a guy listening to this show who masturbates to rocks. Who just gets a rock and stares at it and then jerks off to it. Wait, he gets his rocks off. <laughs> well, so, okay. in other words, if you're reaching how many millions of people? Yeah, you, all it yeah. takes is putting one idea in somebody's head. Yeah, yeah, I, that's true. But if you're going to get down to one, you know, if that's the case, then if you talk about rocks, then one person is going to come try to kill you because you said something bad about rocks. So <laughs> I don't think that's how you can, you know, decide what you want to say. Well, let me you know ask you I mean? a more I, important I think, question. Please. The peepers. Uh, how are the peepers this year? Or the or the leaves. People come Not to you with the leaves. What what's going on with the leaves? You live in one of the most beautiful parts of yeah. the world, especially during autumn, right? People yeah, come from all over the, the world. The, the leaf peepers come to look. It, it's um, it's all very dependent on the weather conditions and the season. And we it seems like we've just had so much water. Uh, that the leaves have kind of drowned. They, you know, a lot of my fruit trees, like I've said, the fruit just sort of rotted on the tree, uh, just too much water. And it looks like there's plenty of beauty, but it's it. a lot of them are going straight to yellow-brown. They're not really stopping in that red-orange place. They're going to red and then falling. It's nice, but, you know, they're also saying it's going to be a little later this year, so maybe in a couple of weeks it'll be better. But right now it's kind of brown. Right. And the seas, are you excited about autumn? And things slow down for you in the winter, right? You don't have to do as much. Don't have to do as much. I got to get playing a baseball tournament in January, so I got to get ready for that. The Grapefruit so, uh, League, right? Uh, uh, no, it's, it's the Red Sox old training facility is where this uh, tournament takes place. And so I'll be working out indoors. Uh, though I'm still playing fall ball. I pitched an inning. I had a five-pitch inning. 
I came in for one inning because all you, the pitches are getting ready for the tournament. I came in, I faced three batters, five pitches, got them out. How'd your arm that, feel? This team is going, and they're playing in a division ahead of, above us. So these guys are some boppers. You know what I would love you to do? <clears throat> I would love you to come on the show and tell sure. me what's going on with the World Series. Oh, that's my problem. I don't really follow professional sports because I'm either, you know, running the batting cage or playing in a game. And so, I, you know, I just don't watch other people play um, or I'm swimming. I'm working out. I'm trying to stay in shape. I don't have time to watch other people. Play. Yeah, I know. You look great. What are you reading? Thank you. Well, um, I just finished uh, The Dutch House by Anna Patchett. And uh, I'm listening while I swim to a book by, is it, uh, that's the problem. When you just listen to it, you don't see the book every day and you don't know the title of it. Uh, Tana French, is that her name? Uh, it's about, he's like a Chicago cop who retires and buys a place in a small town in Ireland and then solves a case over there. So I'm reading that. Or is I'm he a dirty cop? He's from Chicago, is he a dirty cop? No, he's a good guy. And then after that, I got a Richard Price book uh, ready to go. The Whites. Clockers, The Wire. He's great. Yeah. Did you see The Night Of? What's The Night That's Of? That's pretty interesting. The Night Of is a series, and it was it's on HBO. And so I had heard about it, and I heard it was really pretty gritty and dark and great. And then I realized, oh, it's Richard Price. My wife loves Richard Price. So we sit down to watch it. It says executive producer James Gandolfini. And we're like, hmm. wow, that's weird. So, but what it turns out was James Gandolfini was supposed to star in this. And that's why he was the executive producer. And they, in fact, filmed a bunch of scenes. And it uh, stars the kid from, uh, what's the movie? Uh, the, heavy, the Heavy Metal, The Sound of Metal. You know, did you watch that one? No. That's a powerful movie. Rez Aslan, is that his name? Um, and so they, they filmed a few scenes with James Gandolfini. And I think he died while filming this thing. So then it went on the shelf. And then um, I think De Niro was maybe supposed to play the role. And then he, they maybe shot a scene or two with him. And then it went back on the shelf and it ends up being John Turturro and this kid, Rez Aslan. And it's 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 dark, but it's good. Great. So I, I don't know. All right, very good. Johnny Ross, follow him. Thank you on uh, Twitter by typing in fun with friction. Thank you. We'll see you next week, I hope. I'll be around if you want to have me yeah. depress your audience. I can do You're it. great. Watch this. Take Before you leave, watch this. We'll be back okay. with Howie Klein. Welcome back. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Friend me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and follow Howie Klein on Twitter at Down With Tyranny. Let's go to Los Angeles, where the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack, Howie Klein, is standing by. Hello, Howie. Hello, David. Good to hear your voice. Any candidates we should be booking on the show before we start? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we have a brand new candidate that we just endorsed, 
uh, and he's running against a blue dog in Honolulu. So the blue dog is Ed Case. Some people may know of him. He's a, a really bad character who's been in and out of Congress uh, several times. Really bad guy. And our candidate is someone who, unless you are following uh, Down with Tyranny, will live in uh, Hawaii. You probably never heard of him before. And he... Um, uh, he just uh, he hasn't even officially announced yet, but he has filed his paperwork in, and uh, we jumped out ahead and endorsed him. And he's a, a fantastic uh, young guy and an attorney. And um, we just did a uh, we just did a fundraiser for him. And I hope everybody uh, is interested in getting rid of a blue dog and, and replacing him uh, with, with a great <clears throat> young uh, progressive. Who, uh, whose name is Sergio Alcubilla. Sergio Alcubilla. Great. Hey, before we start, uh, so, so I, should we should we book him? Absolutely. You introduced me to somebody from Hawaii four years ago. We had him on the show four years ago. He worked. He was running for Congress. Kenny Ella. Kenny Ella. I'm sure. Yes. And I just saw his name, Kenny Ella Ng. Right. Yes, Kenny L. Ng, the, the most, uh, you know, he was the most progressive member of the state legislature. He ran, <clears throat> he ran for Congress. He didn't win. And he's doing other kind of work now. I'm sure he's a young guy. He'll get back into politics eventually. But he, he, he decided he wasn't going to run against Case. He was really interesting. He stood out because I remember he was in the state assembly or state senate. But he, yeah, also, senate. But he also worked at a hotel I believe in maintenance, he had a real job, as I remember. Well, he has a family. He has, he has to have some kind of job. I, I didn't know he worked in maintenance in a hotel. I wasn't aware of that. Right. So have you seen this big story that's come out about people who go to work for the Democratic Party all being hyper-educated? They have money. They're white and they go out and campaign for Democratic candidates and are pushing voters away. Did you see this story? It was in Politico, and I forgot. I did. You did? Yeah. It, it made, it, it's what I've been saying, uh, and you've been saying, we have a serious problem in the Democratic Party. The people who are, who are knocking on doors are too many of them are white people of privilege, even though we can't win without black women. Were they, were they actually talking about these rich people knocking on doors or were they doing other things? Well, knocking on doors and, of course, making policy. But the retail end of politics, as you know, is very important. That first touch point is too often a white college educated kid who's knocking on doors who doesn't relate to voters. He has no interest. It's just they're just a stepping stone and voters pick up on that. Do you think how much of a role do you think these hyper educated white kids play in Democrats nominating. I, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I, I 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know who is motivated to uh, to go knocking on doors. I don't know how much good it does. Uh, you know, I read it does good. But I just don't know. Um, I, I I've never done it. I mean, I did when I was young, very very young. I didn't like it. and I didn't do it again. Right. And, and it's the same thing with with calling. I, I never get that either. I mean, if you know, I, I don't like being bothered in my house by somebody who I don't know telling me who to vote for. And especially when, you know, when they don't know the person, you know, you know what I mean? I get calls from people who are reading from a script and, and I, I, you know, it, depending on what I'm doing, I either like curse them out or, or hang up on them or, or, you know, fool around with them and make them feel horrible. Right. Uh, you know, yes, the retail uh, end is very, very important. But you got to get you got to do it right. Okay, let me ask you about Morgan Harper. But first, I yes, Morgan. Oh, she's so fantastic. Did you watch her? Did you watch? Did I put her video up today? Yeah, yes, I did. And, right? and you have a piece over down with Journey entitled "Which Is Worse, Facebook or Amazon?" I want to talk Which, about. But you start off talking about Fiji water. Yeah, you you know that you know that from Amazon. And I oh, I, oh, please don't give me a lecture about how I shouldn't be using it anyway. I, I've had that so many times already today. Oh, you got you heard about the Resnick family. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not hearing about the Resnick family. I'm hearing about how uh, damaging it is to the environment or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And you're not interested in. in I've heard it over and over and over again. But, uh, you know, I, uh, my doctor told me that I have to have a good pH balance. Um, for uh, uh, a medical condition, and he told me it's uh, Fiji, Fiji water is the way to go, and I like the way it tastes. What I wrote about in my in my story today was that um, uh, I, I I bought it from Amazon. I buy Fiji water from Amazon. I get large bottles in um, in cartons, and they they sent they they sent me they sent me it, and it didn't come in a in a Fiji a box. It came in a plain uh, Amazon box, and that's the first time that's ever happened. And I've been ordering it for, since the beginning of the pandemic. I, I've been having them bring it to my house. So, and then, and then I opened one and, and drank it, and it was it was it was putrid. I mean, Fiji water tastes really good. This was absolutely putrid, Un, undrinkable, horrid, like like sewer water. Right. So, I, I, you know, it, it, it's very, very hard to get in touch with Amazon and to get them, you know, to get away from a bot and get get something out of them. But I uh, but I finally did it. But you know what? It was really easy to get in, in touch with Fiji Water. They have very, very good customer service. And it was uh, it was a pleasure to working with them. And they even though they had nothing to do with this, I was just calling them because I was, wanted to volunteer to um uh, to be a witness if they wanted to sue uh, Amazon. That was the only reason I was calling them. <laughs> They're sending me uh, a box, a free box, even though I said, I, you know, they didn't need to. I wasn't blaming them. I was blaming Amazon. By the way, mathematically, Fiji water is is horrible. Amazon is horrible. But if you do the math, if you buy Fiji water is, through well, Amazon, go ahead. Why is if, but oh. if you buy Fiji water through Amazon, uh, two, negatives, two negatives make a positive, so it's okay. 
I don't know, but but why? You know, I mean, I hear about the the ecological problems with Fiji water. I understand that, but you're you're talking about some business thing that's bad. Well, Mother Jones, Google Mother Jones and Fiji water. Uh, we have a problem with Mother Jones. No, no, I love it, but I'm, I have a problem with Google. Oh, okay. Mother Jones wrote a piece about Fiji water. I don't know about eight years ago. They prop up, they prop up a military dictatorship there. The people who bottle the water in Fiji don't have po potable water because the Resnick family is taking it all. The the working conditions are terrible, and then it's an ecological nightmare putting water in plastic, then on a cargo ship, and sending it to the United States. Plus. Where Google drains it anyway and uses it for themselves, they send it to uh, they send it to that that, uh, that other planet where the owner of Google has a uh, colony, and then they fill it up with uh, sewer water. And I, I can attest to that. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the and the Resnick family, which owns Fiji Water and Palm, are uh, some of the biggest users of. Uh, water in California. And What's palm? It's a it's a like a pomegranate drink. Oh, oh, I know that thing. Oh, yeah, I, I drank that when it uh, a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, they, many, many, many years ago. They have all the time. water rights in in California, and they don't share it with the the workers who need to drink it. They're bad people. The Resnicks, really bad. And they buy, you know, and they, they're like the Sacklers. They put their name all over museums and they just donated all this money uh, to one of the universities. It's dirty money, but they're, you know, cleaning it. Anyway, uh, Facebook, the testimony, Ms. Haugen, the whistleblower. Do you honestly believe that Facebook like I, I will say that Facebook is evil and it's causing the spread of misinformation and destroying democracies. I'll, I'll say that I want to believe it. I just don't. I don't understand. I don't really mean it. I, I kind of know it's true, but I don't. I don't see it. I don't. Do you believe that Facebook is as evil as. I say it is. Yeah, you do. You you do. Do you witness this no, firsthand? Is the right word? I mean, I, I mean, in other words, are, are we talking about intent? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I I don't know about that intent part. That's that's the problem. Well, that's what the Miss Hagen her testimony said that they know. They yeah, get, yeah. I, I, I'm talking about something bigger than that. I, I mean, in terms of evil. Um, so I don't know if they're actually like, are they serving Satan? Yeah, I mean, there. I, I, I believe her. I, I believe. I believe her, that what I heard of her testimony. I, I thought it was right on. And if you did, you read that post that I put up about yeah. uh, which is worse? Yeah. And which is yeah, worse? Yeah. So you know, uh, and and Roger McNamee is an old friend of mine. And I definitely believe him. And he's and not just because he's a friend of mine. I believe him because he's he's a really super knowledgeable guy. And if he you know if he says it, it's for real. Right. And Amazon. Was, Amazon know, is worse. Far worse. What? Amazon is far worse. 
Aha, so you have an answer to it. Yes. Okay. What are you cooking? Okay, well, I mean, I'm getting uh, some I'm getting some uh, feedback from people who are saying Amazon is worth. I'm getting feedback from other people who are saying that uh, Facebook is worth. Why do you think Amazon is worth worse? It it has decimated Main Street. It put yes. bookstores, record stores, retail outlets out of business. It wasn't the purpose. I mean, they, they did that purposefully. That, that, this is what I meant when I, when I was talking about uh, um, uh, Facebook. So they did that. They, 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 they went about doing that, but that wasn't the goal. You know, the, the goal was not putting, uh, putting mainstream out of business. But it was, you know, an, 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 I mean, it was a strategy. Yes, it was a strategy uh, to, to get to get to their own goal, which was getting rich, which is the only goal. Mm, you don't you don't think <clears throat> I mean, I can remember 10 years ago, 12, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, bookstores were going out of business because of yes, Amazon. I remember horrible. That I mean, and you, I mean, I, I love bookstores, like love them. I spent, you know, large amounts of, t of my life in bookstores, just lo just loving being in them. Right. Well, that, that pleasure has, has been taken away from us by Jeff Bezos. Now, is it a pleasure or a necessity? I think it's a necessity. I think without bookstores, you cannot have the enlightenment. You know, they talked about coffee houses. There was no there would be no enlightenment without coffee houses, without bookstores where readers can gather and identify each other and sit and talk and and be surrounded by books. That stunts the that stunts progress for some people. I mean, certainly it was important for me all my life, but uh, I, you know, people don't really use them anymore. I mean, at one time, libraries were like so crucial and so important. And now do people use libraries? Some, I mean, some do, of course, but you know, how many? I use the library. I love the library. Libraries, are, they're a miracle. Tell me about, we had some good news over the weekend, Zephyr Teachout. I live in New York, right? Yeah, Zephyr Teachout. Before we get to Zephyr, uh, now I would imagine that the that the libraries are probably in better shape in New York than in many places. But ha what are they like in New York? Uh, I, I, I they have a great selection of books. They also have e-books. No, no, I meant in terms of usage. There's a homeless problem. There, there's a problem of unmedicated homeless people who uh, use the libraries, unfortunately, uh, but they have to go somewhere. So it, it makes sitting in a library, which is one of my great pleasures, problematic. So, yeah. So, so okay. So, but aside from you, are there other people in the libraries using them these days? Yes. Yes, there are students. Yeah, okay. there, there are students, and there are retirees. Why are they on the library instead of? Why are they in the library instead of uh, online? Because their parents can't afford daycare, so you drop them off at the library, and you know they're safe. Ah, you mean 
Not very young students. Yeah, you know, teenagers, their parents are working. We don't have... Well, teenagers get daycare. They don't get daycare, but you know, they, they their parents want them to be in the library instead of in an unsafe apartment with maybe an abusive boyfriend or something or an abusive huh. roommate. So live, we need li- library. That libraries are made, you know, are where people hide from other people. Well, can you imagine if somebody came up with the idea of a library today? Like nobody ever like the the, the library of Alexandria was burnt to the ground. Nobody remembered it. And somebody said, hey, why don't we have a library now? People go, are you out of your mind? We have where I live. Uh, there's a laundry room. And there's a, you know, leave a book, take a book, leave it. And I think well, that's a beautiful thing. Very few people leave a book and take a book. And nobody wants to share anything. Like, like my neighbor gets Time magazine delivered and then puts it in the recycling. You would think somebody would say, why don't we leave all your magazines out and all your books out that you're going to throw out? Mine. It's my garbage. Why are you going through my garbage? Seriously, if I went through in New York City, if I went through somebody's garbage, like they're recycling, which is clean. Oh, the New York Post and started taking it. And somebody saw me do that. They'd report me to management. He was going through people's recycling. Well, better off than in uh, Texas where they just shoot you. (laughs) Tell me about Zephyr Teachout. Um, well, you want you mean the history of? Well, it, it, she is. She has a new book out, and yes. is she going to run? What is she going to run for in New York, Attorney General? Yeah, if Letitia James uh, is, is indeed runs, which looks very very likely, if she runs for governor, then um, then Zephyr will run for Attorney General. And didn't she run two years ago for something here? Didn't she run for governor? She ran for, um, let's see, well, she ran for Congress. Uh, did she run for governor? She, if she did, it was quite a long time ago. I can't, right. I can't remember. But yes, yes, she did. She ran for Congress. I remember uh, Tim Wu was her uh, lieutenant governor. It was a great, uh, a great ticket. And they, they actually did really, really well um, upstate in the Democratic primary. They, they won lots and lots and lots of counties. They were running against Cuomo, and it shocked people how well they did. Uh, right. In fact, there's a lot of people who think that the only reason that Cuomo won was because he, uh, he had the, um, you know, the, the machines in Queens and Brooklyn and Manhattan, uh, you, know, pulling, uh, you know, pulling strings for him. Right. So... Absolutely great. She's got a new book about uh, antitrust and breaking up corporations, and uh, she is uh, she's somebody worth paying a lot of attention to. And of course, if she does run, uh, we, we will endorse her. Great. The midterms are a year away, which means the primaries start in a couple of months. But we have two off-year elections that are important in New Jersey and Virginia. What should we be paying attention to 
in New Jersey. Uh, Governor Chris Murphy, he's going to win, right? Is he popular in Jersey? Well, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know how popular he is, but he's um, he's definitely, uh, you know, there were enough Democrats in New Jersey so that Democrats now win elections in New Jersey. Right. Are there, is there any race we should be paying attention to before we discuss Virginia? There probably are races, to be honest with you, that we should be paying attention to in this off-year cycle. But there are no federal races. There are local races. I, I'm not. Um, I'm not up to date on them. I mean, here and there, I'm up. You know, like I know, for example, there's a mayor's race in Jersey City. Uh, that's that's important, but uh, it's not really something that's uh, that's in my purview. Uh, mostly because it's just it's just a democratic state, and Democrats are going to win, and you know that right. is what it is. A year ago, you introduced us to Carter. I believe he was uh, in Virginia. He was running for. Yeah, we're talking about Virginia now. That's a that's a way way. way uh, more controversial and exciting race. Right. What happened to Carter? Did he, is he no longer? He lost the primary. He lost the primary, but is he out of politics? Well, for now, he, he was he was somewhat bitter about it. I don't know if he's permanently out of the politics, but but uh, he, he, did, he did pretty poorly and he was treated badly. Uh, and he, you know, he, he's, I, you know, I didn't speak to him, but he, he seemed somewhat bitter. I loved him. He was a, an Iraqi war vet. He s- served in the Virginia, what do they call it? The, uh, the delegate. Uh, the delegate. And he was an Uber driver. And was he an Uber driver at the same time that he was a delegate? Yes, yes. Because he was a carpenter as well. Well, he was an Uber carpenter. And th- <laughs> this is who we should be sending to Washington, D.C. And is it uh, Terry McAuliffe? Is he the one who's running for governor? Yes, Terry has, was governor once before, and he's, you know, he's a very typical kind of uh, Clinton uh, hack and, you know, just a, just the worst kind of Democrat that you can imagine, uh, you know, corrupt, neoliberal. Uh, I wouldn't if I lived in Virginia, I, I just wouldn't vote for him. But he's run, he's running against someone who's really horrible, who's much, much worse than him. Like much, much worse. Not a little worse. Like really, really a lot worse. A hedge so fund for people guy, right? who are all sort of into this whole lesser of two evils thing, um, you know, they they they're pissed off at me when I write things saying uh, how terrible uh, Terry McAuliffe is. They can't really defend him, but they just get angry at me for like bringing it up. Right. Is Virginia purple or blue? Uh, it, well, it it's it, it, it's 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 purple, but it's it's moving in a in a bluish direction. Right. But there are big swaths of um, of Virginia that that are beet red. Right. Right. Is so, Arizona uh, is Arizona purple or blue now? Oh, definitely not blue. Right. Uh, purple at best. Right. And. The $3.5 trillion Build Back Better, held up by Cinema and Mansion. Well, Cinema and Mansion in the Senate, but there are a number of um, people skating by in, in the House that are a problem as well, like uh, Josh Gottheimer, your, your sister's congressman. Harvard as Law, well as, he's uh, a graduate uh, of Harvard. Schroeder, and uh, 
uh, Lou Correa, uh, they're, they're, uh, Ed Case, the guy in Hawaii. So there are a number of, of blue dogs and new Dems who are, you know, they don't want the kind of um, attention that Mansion and Cinema are getting. So they're trying to, you know, kind of do it on the on the sly. But there are definitely some Democrats in the um, in the House who are also a problem. Now I should mention that uh, Pelosi is a far more skilled. Uh, political leader than Schumer is. Schumer is kind of a disaster. So, so people think, well, she, well, Pelosi is going to be able to, you know, bend them to her will anyway. She always does. So, the, and that may be true, but, um, it, it's still, it, it's still very, very much a problem in, in both houses of Congress now. Right. The build back better bill. When do you see that getting voted on? Not this year, right? They're going to, it's going to be voted. no, no. They they will. Yes. I, well, first of all, let's define our terms here. The Build Back Better bill that we have now, I see that never being voted on. Uh, that that's not going to ever come in, uh, to anything because um, you know President Manchin has said uh, said no. So now they they have to cut it back. Uh, you know, I don't know how much they're going to cut it back, but it's not going to be a small amount. But it'll they, they will cut it back significantly. And by the way, when, I just wanted to be fair. When I say, um, you know, that you know the problem is uh, Cinema and Mansion in, in the uh, in the Senate and Gottheimer and Kurt Schrader in the House. That's all. That's true. But then, that, well, I, left, I left something out. It's also every single Republican in, in each body. I mean, there's not one Republican who's willing to go to bat for either one or or even vote for either one. So, so that's uh, that's a that's a very big problem, and what? there was time in American politics when that wouldn't have been the case, when we when we would have had Republicans backing these kinds of bills, but now we don't. Right. There now was, we have there's Ted a, Cruz, right, Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene, saying that she will spend millions of dollars against any Republican who backs uh, any of these bills. When you see a poll. CBS has a new poll out, CBS YouGov. 10% of Americans... Well, that's the, that's the YouGov, because the YouGov is the economist poll. Is that, so which was the... Well, this, well, all right, tell me the poll. I, I've memorized it already, so go ahead. It's, I, I thought it was the CBS YouGov poll. I thought, I thought, the YouGov poll is, is, a, is an economist poll, unless there's another one that I don't know about. Well, maybe if you, start, if you start explaining it, I'll, I'll know right away. Okay, I, I, maybe CBS and the, the economist teamed up. It's... A poll of voters' awareness of what's in Build Back Better. Ten percent uh -huh. of Americans could tell no, no. the pollsters what was in Build Back Better. Right. Well, they don't know the specifics of it, but they know enough about it so that they like it. So, they, so they, so in other words, they read it or, or they read about it. I should say, no, they didn't read it. They read about it. They liked it. And then they, uh, they it registered in their minds, yeah, this is good, and then they moved on. And one-third of them think that there's something in it that can help them. Yeah. So the Only one-third, really? Yeah. One-third of Americans think Build Back Better will affect them. They mostly think it's just about raising taxes. Whose fault is that? You know, there are a lot of people are responsible for this. Is it Biden's fault, Pelosi's fault, Schumer's fault, Bernie's fault? 
that the American people have no idea what's in Build Back Better? I mean, that's outrageous. That would be like nobody knowing what was in the Medicare bill. Yeah, I, I don't know that, that that is accurate anyway. Uh, I don't believe it is. Um, people, uh, people, people seem to, um, I mean, all the, all of the polling that I've seen for months and months and months say the opposite of that. They say that, that people are generally aware of it, love it. There's a, a, a very, very big, um, number of, I mean, in terms of the Dem of Democrats, it's overwhelming support in terms of independence. It's, it's, it's very good support. And then with the Republicans, they like lots of things in it and other things they don't like but that's to be expected and they uh but over, overall americans like it so you know you know you can believe whichever poll you want to believe right what are you cooking tonight right this minute yes i am uh making the stuffing that's going to go into both um uh, a really interesting squash that i'd never seen before that I, I was in the grocery store and i saw this really weird looking squash so I decided to get it and eat it <laughs> and uh, some peppers as well. Great. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates, some socialists around the country. Read him every day at Down With Tyranny. Thank you, sir. Let's talk. Uh, try to get some more candidates on if you have time. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to. I, I, I never know if you want me to or not. Always. Oh, great. Oh, great, I, great, great. Uh, in fact, there was something yesterday. Mila held a town hall with three of your candidates on Zoom. Were you there? Yes. Yes. Uh, no, I, I, I couldn't make it. But yes, it was, uh, it was actually, yeah, Mila was definitely part of it. And it was actually, well, three of it was a California thing. So it was uh, Bruno, who, who you had, Bruno right. Motto. And uh, uh, Brian Osorio, who's also been on the show, Love and him. then one of our oh, and you had Michael Ortega too, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you had all three of them, and then also uh, Kevin Kevin DeLeon was part of this thing as well, who's running for mayor from the uh, the uh, Sacramento. No, Kevin's from LA, but I mean, he, wasn't he like a, a senator? Or oh, he was the uh, he, he was the. Um, uh, the Speaker of the House. He had Willie Brown's job. Wow. The Speaker of the Assembly. Right. He's a big deal. Medicare and for all. great. And now a city councilman here in L.A., and he's, he's going to run for mayor now. Fantastic. Thank you, yeah. Howie. We'll talk to you next week, right. I hope. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening Bye. to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. When we come back, we will be joined by good David. Good David. David Cobb joins us right after this. Let us now go to Humboldt County, where David Cobb is standing by. He's been coming on once a week, and we're grateful for that. He ran for president on the Green Party ticket and ran Ralph Nader's presidential campaign in Texas. How are you, sir? 
I'm mighty fine, David. Uh, and you've got new uh, intro music, or at least that's uh, new to me. So Yeah, I've been playing with Premiere Pro and After Effects and trying to learn. It does nothing other than keep me out of trouble. It doesn't help the show. It's just something where I, I doodle over the weekend playing with various programs to stay out of trouble. Now, what is the out of trouble is good. Let me. I just want to say out loud though that last one with the the bluesy beat in the David J. Until the Dirty Joker too. I like that one. So, oh, that's uh, Professor Mike Steinell. Let me hang on. It says Howie Klein is on the phone. So, two questions. We have posted the numbers of Senator Kirsten Cinema and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and all the members of the Democratic leadership, like President Joe Manchin, as Howie Klein calls him. And these are their district offices. They, except for Kirsten Cinema, you can leave a message. I try to leave a message with Kirsten Cinema. Not only does her answering machine not work, she doesn't offer up anything for Spanish speaking constituents. But then again, she represents the state of Arizona she doesn't have any Spanish-speaking constituents. They're all Canadians, right? Feldman, uh, you haven't been paying attention. Actually, if you want to talk to cinema, you have to go to the ladies' bathroom. Yes. Like that's, that's actually the only place a constituent can actually get to her. Right. And I, by the way, I was glad to see that uh, she finally got to see what it's like try, having trouble passing something. Uh, <laughs> You know, I wrote that this morning. You're saving that one up. Well, you saving that one. Well, you know, thank you for that. I, I, I came up with that this morning and I thought that was a week ago. Somebody must have come up with that on late night television. That's uh, Every comedy writer had a week to come up with that. So That's I, a good one. That's a good one. I appreciate it. Well, thank uh, you. Um, so... Does it, what uh, John Ross was on earlier, he said, they don't care if you make a call and they don't care. Is that true? I think they care. Look, I think that they care, but it's marginal, right? Like, so uh, look, uh, I make the calls, but I also understand how pathetic and weak uh, of an action uh, that really is, right? Like the, the reality is that uh, like, I don't know exactly what game cinema especially is playing. Like, it's not clear to me what she even really wants. Uh, 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 so I, I, I can't tell what her actual politics are. She's I, I a malignant really narcissist. I mean, she ran the Boston Marathon today. She is a United States senator who was doing an internship at a California winery. People are getting a, you're a United States senator, a Democrat, people are being evicted right now, are being pushed out onto the streets, and you're taking a, a winemaking class? Again, I, I don't understand the politics here, right? I, I really don't. Um, so again, as you know, David, uh, I... I believe that we have to use all the tools that are available to us. So lobbying, making phone calls, you know, having these conversations are, are important. But I also recognize that there is a very limited utility to that. Uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, the uh, the reality is that cinema is, I think, already got in mind what she's going to be doing. Uh, I don't, and it's hard to negotiate with somebody uh, if you don't really know what it is that they that they want. And, and I honestly can't tell what Kristen Cinema actually wants. But as a legislator, I mean, right? If you were Chuck Schumer. Could you make her if you if Chuck Schumer really wanted Build Back Better at three point five trillion? Could he get, make it happen? I think so. I mean, but it's a level. If it's a, it's a level of hardball. It, literally, it would be to threaten to remove her committee assignments. It, it would be a, a level of discipline that we have not seen, uh, like the the uh, the Democratic Party uh, uh, whip exercise at least in my lifetime you know you're the first person who has said that marjorie taylor green had her committee assignments taken away from her because she's crazy she's insane why doesn't schumer take away mansions and marjorie taylor green oh because then they'll go join the republican party See, I think that's I think that's part of what uh, is going on here, David, like because we, we're having to read the tea leaves because honestly, I don't think Schumer wants the three point five trillion uh, build back better. I think that Biden and the rest of the neoliberals really, really uh, uh, don't want the entire they don't want Bernie's bill. Right. Like and, and that's actually what's going on here. So th- there is a level of negotiating in public and negotiating in private uh, that's happening. And I think that those of us on the outside actually trying to get good progressive politics are having to second and second guess and infer what we think is really going on there. Right. But I'll tell you, actually, like this is this would be a good time uh, to get Alan Minsky on the show. I mean, like, uh, and look, you know, I'm a green. Uh, uh, Alan Minsky is a progressive Democrat. And Alan Minsky is somebody who puts progressive before Democrat, right? Like, right. like uh, I'm just here to tell you, I, I would trust Alan to give you his best assessment about what's really going on there. And he's playing it in that toxic soup. So I would like that. The, the question would be to Alan Minsky, what's really going on? Well, we have we have him on the show every Thursday night. He seemed and I'm talking to him tomorrow. He seemed a little despondent. As we all, it, it 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 just you try to believe in the Democratic Party, and, and I know most of my listeners. I don't know. I don't know. I, I suspect most of my listeners think I'm a fool for believing that you can turn the Democratic Party into a progressive party. You don't. Uh, but boy, the Progressive Caucus, what do you think of Pramila Jayapal, the congresswoman from Washington, the 100, the 100 Congress people who are members of the Progressive Caucus who make Josh Gottheimer look like a radical? Did you ever think? 
let me let me be clear about this. Like, you know, I get grief from because uh, I follow the chat right I, uh, on your show, right? And a lot there are a lot of folks who think I'm a, I'm crazy or naive or unrealistic or or somewhere in between, you know, for being a green and not like. And one of your guests, in fact, even like you know, provoked me over the edge because she said I quote wasn't actually doing anything because I'm not in the Democratic Party. So I get a lot of grief from folks for right. not being a Democrat, and. I'm not going to join the Democratic Party unless and until I actually saw it as a, a vehicle for progressive change. So, like, that's my assessment. But, David, I want to be abundantly, explicitly clear. Pramila, Pramila Jayapal is the real deal. Mark Pocan is the real deal. No, 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 no not Mark Pocan. No. You don't think so? Ask Howie Klein. Uh, I think he well, Howie Klein says he's a major disappointment. He did support Randy Bryce because he's from Wisconsin and he Pocan has turned out to be a like a problem solver. I think he's weak on Medicare for all. Yeah. What? I think I mean, so. I, I knew I knew Mark uh, and no Mark. And uh, I am shocked to hear this. But look, it's data. Right. To me, none of this is personal. Right. Like. To me, it's all an exercise in, or an, uh, it's understanding power and it's understanding the political economy. And you, I'm a broken record here, but I engage in electoral politics, but I'm not an electoral fetishist. Right. I don't spend most of my time in electoral politics. So I, I will always stand corrected, right? Uh, I can tell you that Mark Pocan was uh, introduced the we the people constitutional amendment, which was the first amendment to say corporations have no constitutional rights, not just no right to spend money in elections, but no First Amendment right, no Fifth Amendment right, no 14th Amendment right. The, the, the this most is in response to Citizens United. Correct. And remember, and this is worth uh, pointing out for your listeners and viewers that Citizens United was horrific, to be sure. But the problem with Citizens United was not merely that it said that corporations could give unlimited amounts of money in elections. I mean, that's horrific, to be sure. It's uh, it's a perversion of the democratic process. But the premise of Citizens United is the idea that corporations, artificial entities, have any inherent constitutional rights at all, right? The, the A corporation is an artificial entity created how by statute that is to say it is a creature of state government therefore a corporation has statutory rights not constitutional rights they're not inalienable inherent only living breathing human beings have inherent inalienable rights so the fact is that the citizens united decision horrific as it was was based on an illegitimate court-created doctrine that allows corporations to claim constitutional rights. By the way, corporations use those rights to overturn not just campaign finance laws, but environmental protection laws, worker safety laws, public health laws. I mean, they basically make genuine economic democracy illegal because corporate lawyers can go into court and overturn laws when we work our butts off the pass them, which is why I think it's important that we have a programmatic approach to a broad-based uh, mass movement that says we need to democratize politics, we need to democratize the uh, 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 democratize the economy, and 
we have to democratize the legal system because our current legal system literally protects property rights, not human rights, and it can't even fathom earth rights. Right, right. The We the People Amendment to the Constitution seemed to me like a cop-out. It's impossible to get a... But we've had 27 amendments to the Constitution. They're really impossible to get passed. When people say to me, the only answer to Citizens United is a constitutional amendment, I say that's cowardice. I say there are other ways around Citizens United. Bernie found a way around it to some degree. The Democratic Party could just say, we're not taking corporate money, period, full stop. Let the other side take corporate money. We are not taking corporate money. That's all you need to do. And you have that so look, purity test. To be, to, be, to be absolutely clear, it is not either or. So, you know, uh, I think it's important to recognize that what you just described is absolutely doable and can be done right now. Just as, by the way, when the Democrats did control uh, uh, Congress uh, and the presidency, uh, they could have actually uh, statutorily codified Roe versus Wade, right? Like, there's a whole series of these. And things. they could have statutorily, I mean, Citizens United, there were ways that Obama and uh, Harry Reid and Pelosi could have gone back. This was, I believe, 2010 when they had both right. houses. Uh, yeah, 2010 was the was when the uh, decision came down. So Correct. they could have they could have made they could have taken the decision and then passed legislation within the framework of the First Amendment to limit campaign financing, and they chose not to. And they said, "We need a constitutional amendment." Uh, and then Obama could have just taken public funding when he ran for president, but he didn't in 2008 well, again, because again, he was like, such a prodigious and, fundraiser. He was. And and let's remember something about Obama that really needs to be said out loud. And that is it. Remember back when he first ran in his first term, he came out of nowhere Feldman, it's really important to remember that it was progressive shoe leather, progressive money, and progressive campaign rhetoric that made Barack Obama. I mean, when he was the junior senator uh, from Illinois, he gave what put him on the map nationally was was a rousing speech at the Democratic uh, Party uh, nominating convention uh, that year. Remember, mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was beautiful rhetoric, but it was rhetoric. You go back and look at the folks who actually knew him then. And what you'll see is Barack Obama was never a genuine progressive. He was always a, you know, I mean, he was the black version of Bill Clinton, a, an excellent speaker. People liked him. He you know, he's got a great story and a great narrative. But his policies were always more or less near neoliberal policies. And, and this is the problem that Democrats fake left and run right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and frankly, uh, progressive voters let them get away with it. Uh, and that's why you'll hear me say, yes, I engage in elections, but I'm not playing the horse race game. 
Like I, I will support genuine progressives, whether they're Greens, Democrats, Socialists, etc. I don't matter. And you focused in on what for me is in fact a litmus test, and that is this. Will you make a pledge that you will not solicit nor accept corporate campaign contributions? Because if like if you're a Democrat and you'll take that pledge, then at least I can trust you, right? And not because I trust you on a personal level. It's because you have not put yourself in a posture to be sold out, right? right? Like corporate money is like a cancer that mathematizes within the body politic. If folks take corporate money, they will end up on the wrong side of issues whenever the chips are down. I really believe that, David. Yeah, I just explain do. that to, to my listeners. If you if you're AOC, she doesn't take I don't think she takes corporate money. I don't think so. I don't think so. If she were to take corporate money, but stays in Congress for another 40 years, she's only, not only, my God, $175,000, $180,000 a year is more than enough. If you're, if you're Steny Hoyer, the only job Steny Hoyer has ever had is being a congressman from Maryland, making $180,000 a year. How does money corrupt him? So you donate to Steny Hoyer, the money corrupts him how? Well, I mean, it's because you you can't ultimately trust the 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 process. Uh, you know, the, the the money ends up framing how you see the world, right? So you're just not able to see past it. Uh, and in fact, are you familiar with the ratchet effect uh, in, no. in in politics? No. Uh, you know, next time uh, I come on, what I will do is have teed up a video for for your your listener, your viewers could see it. But the listener, I have to find an, a good audio on it. But in effect, it works like this. You know how a ratchet, like if you imagine a worm gear, and 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 uh, you, you've got a a, a a a set of worm gears, and then you have a a, a bar that prevents it from going to the left but it can go to the right. That's what ends up happening with the Democratic Party. It acts as a ratchet. It allows a rightward tilt, but it stops any genuine left movement. That's how the Democratic Party apparatus is currently working. Um, now, that's why I find the the squad and uh, the, the a genuine progressive caucus uh, movement actually hopeful uh, I don't like whether it works or not, we'll see, but it has the possibility of actually freeing us from the ratchet effect, because as it currently stands, the, the leadership, the neoliberal leadership of the Democratic Party acts to prevent any genuine left trajectory happening in this country under the guise of uh, uh, being rational or under the guise of, oh, wait, you can't go too far. The reality is this, in any other country in the global north, uh, Bernie would be a, a, a center, a moderately center left uh, member, right? Like he's not, a ra he's not a radical leftist anywhere except in the United States. Right. I mean, that's just a fact. Like, you know, the policies that Bernie uh, Sanders are championing are absolutely 
you know, not only common, but wildly popular and in fact are the law in almost every other country in the global north. Let me go back to what you said, because if you were in the Biden White House and you truly believed Build Back Better is my signature piece of legislation, it's my legacy. Joe Biden comes to David Cobb and says, tell me how to do this. Again, you're saying he knows how to do it. He just doesn't. But why wouldn't he? Go ahead. What what could he do? I, I like Again, threatening committee it, assignments. It is, it is hardball politics. It is to say this is the do or die moment for us. This is what we 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 and I believe. And we're going to go to the wall on this. Uh, and you're either with like that's the approach that it would actually take. Now, I don't believe like what Biden wants desperately is the infrastructure part of that bill passed. What he desperately, not just reconciliation, like he wants the infrastructure part of that passed. I mean, remember, he always poo-pooed uh, AOC and Bernie's version of the Green New Deal. Right. Like, so, so, so make no mistake about it. Uh, Joe Biden has not suddenly seen the light uh, and become a progressive champion. Uh, I sadly believe that what he is doing or what he was trying to do was to play the kind of uh, triangulation politics. Uh, and you know, Pelosi Bernie, like, Bernie said to him a year and a half ago, you have my endorsement, but I get to be chairman of the banking committee, of the budget committee. And there's going to be you're going to address they they hammered this reconciliation bill out uh, before Bernie was going to endorse him. But he can slow walk it. Can't he? Biden can slow walk this. Absolutely. What would Bur so I like this. What if what does hardball look like? What would Lyndon Johnson, Franklin Roosevelt? We had talked about this earlier. Biden would be holding rallies right now in West Virginia Correct. and Arizona and shaming it, it. If the president of the United States, the head of the Democratic Party, shows up in West Virginia and starts pushing what's in the reconciliation bill and build back better and Joe Manchin isn't on the stage with him, that hurts Joe Manchin in many ways. You, you've answered your own question, haven't you, David, right? right? Like in the course of this conversation. But explain how it hurts him. Explain. Because you would be building popular, progressive mandate for what's in Build Back Better. And Manchin, as a politician, would have to go to his own constituencies and say, I know you're wanting this. I know you're saying that you want this, but here's why I won't do it. Right now, he's hiding behind it. He's not, there's not, it's almost impossible to build a progressive uh, mandate in West Virginia, Arizona, or any of the uh, of these states that can really leverage them without, frankly, President Biden leading the charge and using the bully pulpit. And I'm not seeing him do that. Not, I, what, not, not even not, Even Obama went out and sold Obamacare. Now, granted, Correct. there wasn't COVID. Oh, to be clear, to be clear, Obama sold Obamacare. 
What he did not sell, what did he did not champion was healthcare is a human right or Medicare for all. He didn't even champion the public option. And sometime, David, let's uh, let's let's bring on somebody from the inside of the SEIU, and I can show you how the Obama administration sold us out on the public option. Yes, that that was another example of triangulation. It brings me no joy to actually say these things, but again, I'm trying to look at this with clear eyes, with, with from a level of understanding how the electoral system is actually operating, which is why my job, our job, is to be clear and unequivocal about what it is that we want, making demands. And that's something I think that the that movements in the rest of the country understand. They don't chase after politicians begging and pleading. They don't allow politicians to set the, the, the parameters of what their demands are. That's what we do in this country. Uh, in other countries, they build mass movements that make demands, and then they force the elected officials to react to them. And I think that that's a big part of the problem. And this is why I, uh, you will constantly hear me say, I will cheer when an elected official does something good, I will jeer when they do something bad. Right. Because I understand my understanding of, of how to engage electoral politics is from the bottom up, from movements is where the actual energy comes. We're, we're almost out of time. Uh, Dr. Harriet Fraud isn't here. Dan, we can do community billboard if, uh, if Dr. Fraud isn't here. Uh, What does Biden want? I think I speak for a lot of American voters who don't understand somebody like Cinema, Joe Manchin, Pelosi, and Biden, because you think they, they're not, you think they're not monsters, that they know people are being evicted, that people are ending up on the street. So, you think that they would want to help, and yet they don't. Is it so? I want to be clear, David. Like I'm not. I don't want to uh, personalize it. I don't think Joe Biden is a monster. I do think that Joe Biden wants to help. I think that the problem is one of positionality. I think that that like it's easier for me, not just because I'm not in the office, but you see, I have a theoretical understanding of how politics works and i have a theory of change i think that uh, joe biden it really genuinely believes in an old style uh, uh you know that he believes in the neoliberal approach uh to politics he believes that private markets are, are good and are, are the best solution uh he believes and remember he was part of the democratic leadership council the old dlc yeah. uh you know uh that bill clinton and, and al gore and others created oh by the way pop quiz for you uh there did you know that the democratic leadership council doesn't exist anymore no it doesn't and do you know why it was taken over by the Blue Dogs. Or th because it doesn't have to. It became right. the DNC. Right. Like literally, the, the Democratic Leadership Council actually succeeded in taking over the Democratic Party apparatus, right? right? Like, and, and progressives are still allowed 
to have a voice and a very small amount of power. They, the, 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 the neoliberals will continue uh, to toss bones uh, to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, but 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 very very seldom uh, do they actually deliver for progressives. Which is why I, I think it's really worth pointing out that what you're seeing is a which side are you on moment that that's coming. And I really do believe David Feldman that what you're seeing within the Democratic Party, just like within the Republican Party, like the the, the center will not hold. Like, I'm not creating the polarization. I'm observing a polarization. And I'm observing a polarization because the climate catastrophe and late stage capitalism are creating political problems that our current system can't solve. Fascism is rising for a reason. And fascism rose in the 1930s for a reason. It's not because all of a sudden people got meaner, it's because material conditions are changing. And I, unfortunately, I don't see the neoliberal approach being able to solve these problems. Not at all. Thank you. David Cobb, how do people contact you? Hit me up on Facebook. I'm David Keith Cobb. You can also catch me on Twitter. But uh, if you want to see the local work where I put these ideas on the ground, go to cooperationhumble.com. And next week, David Feldman, I'd like to actually ask if I could bring somebody whatever, from the Green Whatever you bring want. somebody from the Green Party to be, to be able to actually talk about this theory that we have about how to engage electoral politics. And again, I believe that I can work with progressive Democrats. I know it because I work with them all the time. Some Greens hate me for it, but I also, some Democrats hate me because I refuse to join the Democratic Party. So I'm getting it from all sides. Great. Thank you, David Cobb. Thank you for what you do. Thank Bye, you for what you do. Let's do this. Paul LeBeau, do you want to, since Dr. Fraud is looking like she's not going to be here. Would you go? You want to go on early? Sure. Okay. Hey, hey, David. Hey. I know David. David knows me. He doesn't remember me, probably. Oh, but, I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> How do we know each other? Well, I apologize. Uh, you gave a, a little presentation with the Alliance for Just Money, and I'm on the board. Yes, I do. I, now I do know. <laughs> I'm so glad. By the way, uh, I, I take it then. Uh, uh, Paul, that you're going to educate uh, David Feldman on uh, what the Alliance for Just Money is actually about. Because, by the way, they're not they're not against the banks. I actually had a nice uh, exchange with uh, uh, with Howard Switzer, uh, the Alliance for Just Money. So I hope yeah. you're going to correct that mis misinformation. Well, yes. it's partially true. Yes. <laughs> so. Thank you. Let me do. Let me do. Thank you, David Cobb. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. DavidFeldmanShow.com. An old friend of our show is back. Paul LeBeau. He is a physicist. That's his day job. That means he's smart enough to understand how money works. He's a founding board member and past vice president of the Alliance for Just Money. They're a national nonprofit advocating for the reform of our money system. For more information, go to monetaryalliance.com. Welcome back, Paul LeBeau. Before we talk, Dan, what is your schedule like? Do you want to, can you come back after Mark Breslin, before Professor Marianne? So, yep, sounds good. Are you sure well, that's okay? Too. I can come back anytime too. No, 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 let, let, let's do it this yeah. way, if it's okay with Dan. 
Yep, sounds good. Thank you. Paul LeBeau. Uh, yes, sir. So we're going to talk about money. But mm -hmm. earlier I was talking about the Pandora Papers and how for the past 100 years, Congress working with the banks have conspired to turn America into the biggest tax haven for dirty money in the world. And mm -hmm. I want to make sure I understand the trade deficit. I don't know if you heard my opening. I did not. No. The, the way, so this is clear to us because we're going to be talking about money. And this is, you have to be a physicist to understand how money works, the speed at which money multiplies. It shouldn't be that complicated, but they make it purposely complicated. It's not complicated. It's purposely made complicated. So you're absolutely right. So I, I, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the Alliance for Money in a second. I just want to make sure I'm, I got something right with... America becoming a tax haven for drug dealers and uh, baby, you know, oligarchs and Putin and Russian mobsters. They made an argument as far back as 100 years ago, the banks, that if you can park dirty money in an American bank, pay interest on the dirty money, but make that interest tax-free, it will affect our balance of trade. It will be a net positive and will make the dollar stronger. Is that how I understand? David, you're, you're asking the wrong person. I'm trying to simplify the whole the whole. Well, you're a physicist. I, I just, I hang on. I, 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 here's, here's the point. I, this is important because we'll get to what you want to talk about it in a second. Mm -hmm. You're a physicist. You understand money, right? <laughs> That's right. That was one of my basic elementary school courses. Okay. Yeah. So the trade deficit and its relationship to a strong dollar. Do you understand that? Well, if the dollar is too strong, then uh, they're not going to want to pay for our products exactly so but we don't want a trade a trade deficit is some people think it's good some people think it's bad it's called or the balance of trade mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah the banks have sold secrecy oh yeah they they convince enough senators and congress people that we want foreign money, bad money to be deposited in the United States because that's a net positive in the trade balance. And that props up the dollar, which we want, right? I heard that discussion last week and you know, no, we didn't honest, have it. We, had, we didn't have it. Well, you, it, you did bring it up a little bit. Well, I talked um, about inflation, not the trade yeah. imbalance. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that. 
And to be honest, it depends, you know, who you happen to listen to. And some people say it's, it's just not a problem at all to, to have a, a trade deficit. And it's good for us. You know, we're importing more goods from outside the country. We're getting them cheaper. You know, we, it's a win-win situation. We're, we're, we're propping up, you know, developing countries. So, and then we're also exploiting <laughs> developing countries. So it, it really depends uh, on what your criteria are. But we want a strong dollar, right? That's important. Well, I don't, not necessarily, I, 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 I really don't know. I mean, you don't I, know because you don't understand it? I, or there's different schools of thought? There's different schools of thought, and I don't understand it. So. And you're a physicist. That's right. Okay. There's a lot of physics I don't understand either. All right. So let's talk about modern monetary policy. You, you've come on the show before and tried to explain it to me. And uh, I, I've tried for years to understand how the Federal Reserve works. Do they want us to know how it no, works? No, do, no, do, no, no, they do not want us to know. That's, that's part of the whole system is the secrecy. And it's, it's, it's not even a conspiracy. I mean, it's the Is it secrecy or just confusing on purpose? It's opaque. It is confusing on purpose because it's job security for people. They're the only ones who can manage certain seg segments of the economy, they're in the know, and uh, it just keeps the whole, you know, scheme functioning. Right. Um, well, let's go over some basics here. The mm -hmm. Federal Reserve was founded when? Uh, Nineteen thirteen. Right. That I remember. Yes. Uh, and the income tax came about around the same time, I believe. Mm -hmm. So. The Federal Reserve, that's monetary policy versus fiscal policy. Monetary policy is just what the bankers decide. The Federal Reserve decides how hot, how cold the economy should be. Okay. So let me just say from the start that what I'm promoting is essentially getting rid of all of this. However, what the Federal Reserve Are you, is... You're for getting rid of the Federal Reserve. Absolutely. Or redefining it. Or basically bringing it, bringing it into the Treasury so it's an actual arm of the, of the federal government. <clears throat> but the Federal Reserve actually, and I don't want to... It's kind of a diversion, but it's really our payment system. That's what the... The job of the Federal Reserve is the integrity of the payment system. Because before 1913, the economy, uh, there were banking disasters because there were, there were just a, a hodgepodge of independent uh, payment systems. And you had to trust your bank and another bank had to trust your bank. A bank in Illinois had to trust your bank in New York. And uh, they stopped trusting each other. There were runs on banks. It was just a complete mess. And what happened was the bankers got together and decided we got to save ourselves from this mess. And basically, the the um, the Federal Reserve provided a, a unifying discipline and a kind of a central reserve, a central bank, so that if I catch a check in one bank, we knew that it would it would uh, it would be honored in another bank. That was the ma major reason for having the Federal Reserve. The other function of the Federal Reserve is 
in a very, very weak and loose manner, is to control the amount of money in the economy. And the only way they can do that is by um, influencing. They can't even directly control interest, interest rates, but they can influence interest rates. So that, and, and this is jumping the gun a little bit, but the way money gets into the economy is through bank lending. And if they make interest rates too high, people aren't wanting to borrow, aren't going to want to borrow money. So that will lower the flow of money into the economy. The only it, way money enters the economy mm -hmm. is through lending. Okay. So, like I said, we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but it's... Where does money come from? I, I thought the truth... That's, that that's a great question. <laughs> okay. And, and you know, the funny thing is, only you... And Michael Brooks are the only two, I guess, uh, progressive media personalities who have ever asked that question, even entertained it. In fact, um, I called Sam Cedar's show once and was explaining the money system. And the difference in the body language between Sam and Michael was incredible. My, Sam was kind of had this blank kind of bored look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was thinking about the next day he was going to sell or something. But uh, Michael was nodding his head and he was really interested and it you always know, really fascinating. And it's very unusual for people to even question or think about the money system because it's, it's so complicated. And they say, well, let's just we'll leave it to. Well, them. you're not at the beginning of my show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I mean, we, and you've come on in the past, and I love this conversation. Uh, it's it's just a hard discussion because it, it's like discussing physics. Well, but you're seeing the problem right here in the fact that we don't know how to discuss this. Right. That's the problem. The system has to be completely changed. I'm going to also point out that Michael and I have a few email interchanges uh, before he died. And the week before he died, he sent me a message saying, please send me more information on the money system, you know, with three exclamation points in it. Right. And then a few days later, he died. And right. I, I was devastated. He was crying in the shower kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like, you know, so it's rare for people to, I guess, be brave enough to even contemplate wanting to understand the money system. But the way money is created, and, it, you know, people think, first of all, people don't even know what their money is. They somehow think that uh, money is tangible, that it's um, the bank just holds their money for them, and they can get cash or coins or whenever they want it. Well, it turns out that when you deposit your money in a bank, the bank owns your money. You do not own that. The bank owns it. And in exchange, they have a liability. They have an IOU to you saying, if you want your money on demand, we'll give it to you. We'll give you cash or whatever you want. But they can do whatever they want with your money. Is this they called fractional reserve or something? Is this Not really. I mean, the fractional reserve, it's, it has a couple of different nuances to it. And it's kind of a myth. And, I, and it's, it would take me a long time to try to, to unravel it. It, it. it needs to go. There's no reason for it. Um, the whole reserve system is um, it's a, it's a crazy system, and it, it's antiquated. It, it's the way starting. I understand it is you mm -hmm. you uh, you have a hundred dollars. You deposit it 
in the bank and the bank can lend about right. $80 of that 100. That, that's the myth. Okay, so that is a myth. <laughs> right? Okay. Banks when they when they lend you say you want to borrow $100,000 buy a house. The bank says, "Okay." They look at your spreadsheet because that's all your money is. It's just a spreadsheet. <laughs> and they type in $100,000. Enjoy. That's it. There's no the bank doesn't have to have some pot of money that uh, supports the loan. So how does that make you feel when I just said that? <laughs> I'm looking at the expression on your face. We do, okay. I don't believe that. Uh, okay, good. All right. So I'm going to give you two quotes from famous people, which explains your reaction. Your reaction is perfectly valid. One is the process by which banks create money is so simple that the mind is repelled. This is John Kenneth Galbraith. Okay. He's a famous person. The mm -hmm. other one is only the small secrets need to be protected. Only the, the white one. Only the small secrets need to be protected. The big ones are kept protected by public incredulity. Is that and Joseph Goebbels? No, it's, that's Marshall McLuhan. Same thing. Same guy. Same thing. So, In a way, point, when you think about it, nah, not really. Not really. <laughs> but that's the way the system works. It, it's, it's Marshall crazy, McLuhan right? would have said Hitler, too hot a performer. Too, this is radio. Too, he's too hot. You need to cool him down. That's right. Gerbils. As you wouldn't come across on radio. Yeah. I, I, Marshall McLuhan would have told Hitler to dial it back a little. Go, so, so, so what did Marshall McLuhan say? <laughs> Only the small secrets need to be protected. Only the, the small secrets right. need to. So when we see that with Trump, it's just right Absolutely. out in the open. Yeah. Right, right. The big ones are kept protected by public incredulity, and you just demonstrated it right there. How can that possibly be that banks can create money and lend money with nothing to back it up? How could you we know? wage war on Afghanistan for 20 years, even though they didn't attack us on 9-11? Same thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. But this is... The thing is, people never question money. I never did. I never questioned where money came from. I thought, well, it was always there. It's just there. Money is it's just there. But and we're encouraged not to think about it. Exactly. It's, it's dirty. It's, it's, well, it's, that's right. It's, it's, well, money is really a beautiful thing. It's the way that, and in fact, it's really not money that's important. It's wealth. And wealth is not money. And uh, it's kind of ironic. There is the probably the biggest contributor to the philosophy of money or the nature of money in the, in the 20th century was a physicist um, who, um, uh, his name was uh, Frederick Soddy, and he got the Nobel Prize in physics in the 1920s. And he, he basically explained the difference between money and wealth. Wealth is what we create, it's the natural resources we have access to. And money is just a means to access the wealth that each of us in society creates so that we can thrive and work together, you know, and, and prosper as a society. That's the real purpose of money. That's been completely bastardized. As money a physicist, you said, you said money is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it, the lifeblood of a society. 
it, it's the char it, 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 the term charge yeah and the exchange that creates new compounds and well you know sometimes i think about it in terms of of, of charge moving along a wire you know right. it's it's the way we you know i had a little argument with richard wolf when he was on your show i didn't get to really confront him but he said and i asked him about you know aren't you concerned about the fact that banks create money and he says well i'm more interested in production i'm not interested in distribution you know and i said you know that's a pretty narrow view of economics because you can come up with a you know the the ethical way for for the the means of production marxism socialism but if you don't have an ethical way of distributing money so that people can actually get the means of production you know you what's the point and what we're trying to do, and, and this is not new. I mean, this this whole money reform thing started in the mid-1800s, um, is to change the money system so that the people create the money, not the banks. And, you know, when banks create money, um, they're the ones who get to decide where it goes. And, and money goes to, where does the money go? It goes to the most creditworthy. That's that's just the nature right. of a good banker, but who's the most creditworthy? So, uh, it's the people already ha- it's the people who already have money. So right there, you see the root cause of of wealth and, and income inequality. It's at the very source of money creation. It's going to the people who already have it. Okay, it's not the only source. I subscribe to the Economist. I don't, and. I don't see this. I, I used to check M1, M2, M3, the money supply. So the, when they say M1, M2, one of them is how much money is in circulation. Correct? That's what. Well, okay. It, the one, two, three, I think they stopped the three designation. It's how uh, uh, liquid the money is. So like the money in your checking account, that would be M1 because it's immediately available. If you have money in a savings account or a CD or something. So M3 would just be assets, cash. Yeah, yeah. And and I I think they stopped the M3 designation altogether. They just felt it wasn't the Fed, Federal Reserve. They made up these designations. They just decided it wasn't. Do we know how much? So when, when Steve Mnuchin and... His wife were photographed holding up dollar bills that hadn't been cut yet. That they're printing okay, right. money. Mm-hmm. Do, do they know how much, how many one dollar bills are in circulation? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, they know that very sorry? precisely. I mean, of course, they do know that precisely. But um, you know, of course, people can burn their money or hide it under a, you know. So they have a rough somewhere. idea. Oh, it's pretty close. They know how many how many bills are printed, and they keep close tabs on that. And that's that's part of the the M one. That M one so or M zero. That's probably M zero, is cash, which is reserves and cash. So my, so the how does the Treasury know how much money to print? Well, okay, so the Federal Reserve. There and are animals, they replacing? Are they replacing old money? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. or putting new money into circulation. No. So 
what happens is those dollar bills are actually paid for with money created by banks. <laughs> so what happens is somewhere down the line, the money that's in your pocket was created by somebody's mortgage, somebody's loan that they took out and they paid the builder, the builder paid the plumber, the plumber paid the dentist and, and eventually you get the money and eventually the government taxes that money or borrows it or the bank needs money for the, their ATM machines, they will take money eventually that essentially was created somewhere down the line in the form of a loan. But who gives the order to the, to, who says print a billion dollars today, print? Well, they don't print, okay, here's another tidbit. Coins and cash make up 3% of the money supply. All of the rest of the money is just spreadsheets. It's just uh, databases in a bank. So the, our money is actually, it's not that the banks hold our money. The banks are our money. They are the embodiment of our money. It's all in, the, in a bank's record. So theoretically, if a, if a bank burnt down and its hard drives got all vaporized and they, they lost all record of your money, it would be gone. So it's embodied in the banking system. It's, it's you know, it's like the matrix. Um, and, you know, these are, the thing is, what we were trying to do. Well, don't tell me what you're trying to do. I can't figure this out. If, uh, all right, hang on. I sell you a pen for a dollar. Right? I don't use pens, but okay. All right. All right. I sell you a pencil for a dollar. Okay. <laughs> You're, yeah. You give me a dollar, in, like a dollar bill, right? Mm-hmm. Out of your pocket. Right. Okay. But you're, this is virtual, so you charge it. You send it to me via PayPal. Mm-hmm. So what is, so is, aren't they taking, so if it's on your credit card, you're making a promise to Visa that at the end of the month, you will remove a dollar from your checking account. That's correct. And send it to Visa. Mm -hmm. Visa is sending me a dollar and depositing it in my checking account right charging a fee right but there's a dollar that's the dollar you just described it that was it <laughs> so that in other words nobody printed that dollar oh no that, no, that no, dollar no. didn't exist the only reason they print dollars is for atm machines so right now, a dollar was added to the money supply just then? No, no. The, the, the money wasn't lent to you. It's a little bit different. That's credit. They, they say that, um, well, they say that they'll, at some time later, make the payment on your behalf. So they're giving you credit to the vendor. Yeah, give him that, that uh, pencil and don't worry about it. He's good. And we're going to make sure he's good. And we'll, we'll pay you on his behalf later. That, that's not the kind of loan I'm talking about. It, it, that so money is not being them. created. 
in that instance? Um, short-term money is. It's, but it's kind of the difference between money and credit. And that's a very subtle kind of thing that I'm not too good at explaining, I have to admit. What really happens is these, these large loans that like mortgages and uh, business loans, that's where the bulk of money is created. And the only way government can get their hands on that money is to actually tax it from people or borrow it. The government does not create money. The government issues, issues cash, but they sell it to the banks. The bank has to transfer money from its reserve account at the Fed to the Treasury's reserve account or the Mint. And the Mint says, okay, here's your, here's your paper in return. You can stock up your, your ATMs with it. So, and it's, that's actually different than coins. Coins is the only form of money that the government can actually create out of nothing. And that's why this whole thing about the trillion dollar coin came up. It's more, a, it's more of a teaching concept than, than a reality because uh, it's, it's too simplified. But that's, in a sense, what we're promoting is that the government should be the only entity that can create money, not private corporations. All right. Which, we, we need to do on. this more often. It, it, it's one of the reasons I've been reluctant is it's so impossible to, for me to for for me to penetrate this, it's just so. Um, so, do you believe? Just so I understand, uh, do you believe in modern monetary theory? Is that something? Some of it. The problem. See, modern monetary theory is more. When people talk about money, they'll talk about. Usually, they mean finance, or they mean monetary policy, and that's kind of what modern monetary theory is about. It's it's monetary policy. We're talking about the money system. Monetary policy is how much money enters the economy. You know, uh, how much do we need to, to avoid inflation and so on. So when modern monetary theory says that the government can always create the money that's needed, you have to be very careful with that language, okay? Because the truth is, it can only do that. Hey, Mark, can only do that if there's legislation passed to allow that to happen. It cannot happen now. So they, they use a language that is deceptive and um, misleading. Um, okay. So let's let's but, let's come back next week, and mm -hmm. we'll keep tackling this. It, Great. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's yeah. I mean, it's hard stuff, but I I maintain that. If we're going to talk class struggle, if we're going to talk about build back better, inflation, and if we don't understand what the Absolutely. other side pretends to understand, because they don't understand it, do they? They do not. They do not. Bankers don't understand it. Economists don't understand it. They understand a piece of it. They understand the piece that they're working on. Does Jerome big, Powell understand it? Some of it, some of it, and and this this is well known. I mean, there there are bankers, bank presidents, who admit that they never understood how money was actually created because they can't tell by looking at their books. 
And actually, there was an experiment done where somebody took out a loan. He knew the banker, and he actually traced their books. And he found out that banks just create money out of thin air when they make a loan. Uh, he, this has been well understood even before that. But he kind of did an empirical study to show, yep, that's what's going on. If you so. don't under, this is what I tell everybody, and then we have to wrap it up. If you don't understand something, there's a reason you don't understand it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's if you're in a your relationship, <laughs> if you're in a relationship with somebody and they and you go, what's bothering you? And they say, if you don't know what's bothering you, that's a red flag. They don't want you to know what's bothering them. They're keeping, yeah. they're, they're being cryptic on purpose because yep. Um, thank you, Paul. Allianceformoney.com or .org? It's .org. Okay. Let's do this Alliance next week. Alliance for Money. Or thank Monetary you. Alliance. Okay. Uh, monetary, what, what is the full website? Monetaryalliance.org. Great. Let's continue. Lots of good, lots of good resources there. Great. So. Thank you. Next week. Mm -hmm. Thank yep. you. You're okay. listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Mark Breslin is back. His son is, I hope, back in school, so we have him. We'll be back with Mark Breslin. Mark Breslin joins us from up in Toronto. It's been a while because... Your schedule. Well, anyway, it's good to see you, sir. David, I've missed you, and I've missed the show. I've missed talking about it. I've been busy. I've been writing some musical stuff. Um, let, let me give you uh, just a couple of pieces I've been working on, if you don't mind. I don't sure. have a band behind me, but I think you'll forgive me. Um, here's one. You say potato, I say potato. You say potato, I say potato, 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 and a grotto. Let's call the whole search off. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, then there's this one. Um, here we come, walking down the street. We find the funniest looks from every Jew we meet. Hey, hey, we're the Nazis. But we're too busy singing for everybody in the ground. So, you know, you, you kind of make it work. Hello, Johnson. Who is that handsome man? Uh, yeah. Is that your son? So it's kind of the Brian Jones look we've been going for. Hello. A good example. I, I see him. Look we've been going for. No, that's not a good example either. Anyway. <laughs> you know what I loved? You're in the middle of a bit. He walks in. You're being silly and foolish. He's unfazed. He walks in. He's just grown up around this nonsense hey hey we're the nazis i like that i do why don't we pitch that well i already did um and uh trump liked it he was gonna back it <laughs> but um then he got busy then he got busy because he lost the, the election then he got busy because he won the election yeah well you've been um, away you've been away so what else have you seen so you're writing musicals but well, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know we had an election here in Canada. Yes. 
Did you have anybody on your show talk about it in any detail? Well, we had Professor Adnan Hussein talk about it. Nothing pretty much changes. We understood it, right? Although the, the the racist party got more votes, like some People's Party did yeah, a little they bit. Yeah, about five percent of the votes. Yeah, which, is it what's well, called the People's Party? Kind of what I expected them to do. They're not just a racist party. They're an anti-vaxxer party. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of on that. And, uh, uh, the government's not going to tell me what to do. Right. You know, right. You know, the government's not going to tell me what to do. Uh, how about stop signs? Well, that's a bit different. <laughs> no, yeah. They're not putting the stop sign in my body. Well, it depends how hard you hit that stop sign. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so you had an election. Actually, no, I should tell you, we actually inadvertently um, raised money for that party. How did you do that? Because they, we didn't know who they were. And they rented one of my clubs to do a fundraiser. Mm. But I didn't know that until it was way too late. Nobody really knew about it. It didn't make a big deal. We didn't sell any of their uh, tickets through our, through our website. Um, if you went on our calendar, it didn't list it. It was just like a private party. We didn't realize what it was. We just thought it was the conservative party. Um, we didn't know that it was that party. So uh, anyway, um, so what amazed me about this election was just how much people hated. And I never knew that they hated uh, Justin Trudeau. They hate him. I don't know why they voted for him anyway. Because I think the idea was it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. But I'll tell you something. Anybody who took a dime of help and his party helped an awful lot of people. Um, anybody who took a dime of help from him um, owed it to him to vote for him. Because I'll tell you something. David, he bought my vote. <laughs> Fair and square. With the UBI. With a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that he did. Um there's, uh, there's, there, are, there were direct payments for anybody who did not qualify for uh, unemployment insurance, which would mean artists and creative people, gig, gig workers, um, people who are always ignored, um, even by leftist parties, because, you know, they're, just, they're not organized into anything. Right. They're occasional workers. They'd like to work more. Um, and also, uh, if you have a business, there were all kinds of uh, direct payments for hiring people, uh, paying your rent, the rent of the, uh, of the business, all kinds of stuff. We took a lot of that stuff. How could anybody who did not vote for him? It's, it's beyond me. So why is he disliked? I think they dislike him personally. It's a personal dislike of somebody who reeks of privilege. And he does reek of privilege. But the, the complaint is not a left-wing critique of privilege. It's a, a more of a uh, populist critique of privilege, which is, a, I think, a totally different kind of thing. It's a um, dynastic, you know, I don't think of the Trudeau, maybe I'm wrong, there were, there were the Kennedys, they started off rich and then they went into politics. The Bushes, finance, went to politics. I think of Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the father, but I don't think of the Trudeau name as financiers. Yeah. Are they? Did, were they originally gas stations? Gas stations. They owned. I don't know how many gas stations. 
that's where they made their big money. And Margaret Trudeau, the amount of money used to say, fill it up. Yeah, fill it up. (laughs) Which is better than, you know, uh, (laughs) yeah, better than being a dental hygienist and having to say spit. (laughs) Which she also. Have you ever wondered why dental hygienists generally are quite pretty? Yes. Why? Because only if they were pretty would you stand somebody sticking a piece of metal in your mouth and then saying spit. Right. 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 (laughs) Are they pretty or dentists just really ugly? Do they just look pretty in comparison? Dentists are not a good looking group of people, are they? Now, my own dentist would be very offended by that, but uh, he's a bald Greek guy and he's a fabulous dentist and a great guy. I I, I would not go to a Greek dentist. You wouldn't. Why? I just because you don't know which cavity he's going to (laughs) fill. That's great. There goes your your Greek vote. There goes my Greek vote. This is why. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, I I have a couple of questions. Yes. When so was the Trudeau family wealthy or did they just own a, a, a chain of gas stations? Well, define wealthy. I mean, I don't think they're wealthy like the Kennedys are wealthy okay. or the, the wealthy. No, um, uh, they never show up on the list of, you know, 100 richest families in Canada, but they're wealthy. They're wealthy enough that he doesn't ever have that. Justin never had to work. He did work as a drama teacher, as a um, I think he was a drama teacher, as a ski coach, whatever the things he did. He did the things that rich kids do. Like wear blackface. Like we're not blackface, brownface, please. Which okay. is different. All right. Why on the Pantone scale? I think he was uh, <laughs> burnt sienna. <laughs> He's survived it, though. He survived it because I think most of the people um, who were, I think the people who really dislike him were really, you know, they threw stones at him. And, and I thought this was so Canadian. They did. The people who protested against him did not throw rocks. They threw gravel. That's so Canadian. Right. Because, oh, oh that's annoying. Right. That's really annoying. But you're not going to get really hurt. I wish um, I lived. I, I'd give anything to move to Canada. When you say there, it's a parliamentary election. So for the Americans to understand this, he's only running for his seat. Correct. The, Ameri- the Canadians are not voting for Trudeau. They're voting for their individual representatives in, in Parliament. And then you add up all the representatives and whoever has the majority gets to pick who the prime minister is. So all it takes. And what, what does he represent? What what do, what part of Canada is he? Well, his strengths are in Ontario, especially Toronto. Well, where's his seat? Oh, his seat is in Montreal, in um, an English, wealthy English part of Montreal. They That's probably never voted anything but liberal. That's interesting. So, Qu- Quebec. Yes, he's French. In case you hadn't noticed. Interesting. And Pierre Elliott Trudeau was also French. His seat in. in in um in montreal and it might have even been the same seat so the prime minister is french 
I didn't know that. I'm sorry, and I'm not, I don't mean to like laugh here, but you didn't know Trudeau was French. No. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry for my. I'm seriously. I sh I should have known that he was French, and so is is that a big th given that Quebec has talked of seceding and they're separatists. What does that mean, having a French prime minister? How significant is that? And and was Pierre Elliott Trudeau, his father, the the first French prime minister? Or did you? Hardly, hardly. In fact, in fact generally, um, the uh, traditionally we go back and forth between English-based prime ministers and French-based prime ministers. There have been lots of lots of French prime ministers and lots of French. Uh, leaders of parties of, of the major parties. That's that's not abnormal at all, uh, especially among the liberals, because Qu Quebec has always been a liberal stronghold until recently, when there's been a lot of um, sort of uh, you know Quebec nationalism. Um, but even so, um, the liberals win a lot of seats in Quebec. Right. But before before Quebec nationals, they would win them all right. federally. Not provincially necessarily, but federally. You know, I used there was a period when I was going to Montreal every summer for like fifteen, I don't know, ten years. And, just for laughs. Yeah, for just for laughs. And do if you live in Montreal, you identify as French, Canadian, and Quebec uh, Quebecois. You have three. Identities? Well, not necessarily. Um, there's an Eng there's a very strong and used to be stronger um, unilingual, pretty much unilingual um, English uh, population in Montreal, mostly downtown, um, mostly again wealthy. Um, then there's um, if you go out just. I'm just sorry, and they're French speaking. Sorry, they're English speaking no. or French speaking? Oh, we're English speaking. They're English speaking. And they're doing business in Montreal speaking just English. Yes. Because they they choose not to speak French or they can't speak French. Well, culturally English. Um, they were brought up in English. They've gone to English schools. In Montreal. They went, yes, they've gone to English universities. If you went to McGill, um, you would take your courses in English. Uh, on the other hand, there's a, there are a number of uh, uh, universities that uh, that teach in French. I, I don't know what the names are, uh, but um, I would say probably eighty-five percent of the population of uh, of Quebec has French as their first language, and then I would say fifteen percent have English as their first language, and most of them speak some amount of the other language. But uh, and some people are completely bilingual, and they work for the government. You can't work for the government without being completely bilingual. Right. The French language in Montreal and Quebec, how different is it? How different is the dialect from Paris? Can Very some, different. You could, Very different. You could tell somebody, you could hear the way somebody speaks French and go, this person's from Montreal. Um, you would hear that, um, or you would think that they um, studied French in school. Because when you go to study, I, I went to a bilingual uh, uh, university, and I studied French there, and the French I was learning was not Quebec French. It was 
Parisian French. So if I went to Montreal and I spoke the kind of French that I learned at Glendon College, they would think either I was from, well, they wouldn't um, think I was from Paris because my, my French wasn't good enough. So they would assume that I went to school and learned French there. Um, no, it's a, it's called the Joual. It's an actual uh, dialect, which actually people say, linguists say, is closer to the way that French was really envisioned and the way people really spoke it back in the 1700s when people uh, tra uh, migrated, uh, emigrated to, to Quebec. And so that, that was the purer French. What you hear in Parisian French now actually is this more sophisticated academic French that has been learned over the last two, three hundred years. Now, but is it true that uh, the, Quebec, in the Quebecois dialect there are 2,000 different words for I'm sorry, but in Parisian French, there's zero. Um, yes, that's true. And also, uh, there's 2,200 2, words for poutine uh, in uh, <laughs> Quebec, and there are none in Paris. You know what? Poutine is onomatopoeta. It, it, it really... It is poo. Or, or something better than poo. I hate poutine. I don't know how people eat that slop. Just to look at it makes me rough. Uh, interesting about... Uh, it's so fascinating coming from being an American and living right next door to a country that celebrates this kind of division. This separate, like this idea that there's a province of French-speaking Canadians, and somehow they, uh, why, this is a, a rude question. What, what is it that solidifies the, the Quebecois from assimilating? Is it, is it, a, the French identity that's so strong or the oh, hatred, the hatred of American culture that. Oh, no, no. The Quebecois like America. In fact, they identify very strongly with America. Look at Montreal and the comedy festival there and how much they, they adore um, American acts over Canadian acts. That's just one small example. But, but, but the, the culture. Or you say that, you know, isn't it great? Canada is this place where they have this, huge province and everybody speaks another language and everybody just thinks it's terrific. No, they don't think it's terrific at all. In fact, if you go out to Alberta, there's an amazing amount of resentment um, about Quebec because Quebec gets all kinds of constitutional and economic advantages, um, which are, are seen in things like transfer payments and uh, special laws, uh, language laws, for instance. Here's one, and it's a ridiculous one. Um, if you want to buy a box of uh, cereal in Canada, that box of cereal has to be printed in both official languages, even in a place like Alberta where nobody speaks French. And that's resented because if you're a business person, of course, it costs you more money. And if you're not a business person, you're thinking, why am I reading this French? Uh, why am I reading this in French? But the second uh, most spoken language here in Alberta is Ukrainian. Hmm. So there's a great deal of, of animosity towards, towards Quebec. And, but, and there are, go ahead situated in such a place where um, they cannot really separate. 
they, they, it's just not practical and nobody would really want them to separate because it would completely break the company, the, the country up. But if Quebec somehow, and all the French people in Quebec were all in British Columbia on one side of the country, I don't think anybody would care if they if they left. And there because are there are there are pockets in Canada, like French speaking pockets way out west, right? Um, yeah, there's a bit in Manitoba. Um, I, I'd say a better example is in the Maritimes. I think in Nova Scotia, there's a lot of French speaking people. Um, in New Brunswick, there's a lot of French speaking people. But definitely not in Alberta, not in British Columbia, hardly at all. Uh, not in Saskatchewan, really. Uh, but in Manitoba, there's some French speakers. There are some French people. I should tell my listeners, because I didn't give you a proper introduction. You are Mark Breslin. You're the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America, perhaps the world. I used to say to people who weren't comedians, but were native Californians, when I lived in California, I may not be a native Californian, but I've seen more of California than you have because I'm a comedian and I I know every nook and cranny of California because I did one nighters all over. Is it safe to say that you have seen every part of Canada because well, of- Well, I haven't seen the far north. And someday I hope to. What is the far uh, north? Sorry? Is that inhabitable? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, Yellowknife, which is in uh, the Yukon, um, or the Yukon, as I like to call it, um, Yellowknife has the highest uh, concentration of PhDs in the country. I would think urologists as well. Probably. Probably urologists. And, sir, and moils. And moils. A lot of moils. No, there's no Jews in yellow nights that I'm aware of. I don't think we get a minion there. Um, but I, but yes, I've traveled. I've crisscrossed this country by bus, uh, car, train, plane. This is why I, I kind of quietly let it be known that I would love love to become a senator uh, in in Canada. You know, those are, that's an appointed position, not an elected position. And um, and you are royalty. You're you're a duke. Aren't you like a, a duke? We got the Order of Canada. The Order of Canada. Uh, yes. Which is um, not poutine, by the way. That's a separate order that comes on the order, side. That's an order I could I could walk away from. Um, <laughs> but you are Canadian royalty. The closest. Seriously, you have. I know. Um, but um, I've always thought I'd, I'd make a good senator because, A, I'm not a lawyer. But I have seen this country uh, from every perspective. Um, I've gone on those long bus rides through the prairies that take three days stopping in every town and going on uh, and performing in every little, little place imaginable. No, I feel I know this country well. What do you think you have spread more throughout Canada, comedy or anti-Semitism? Um, actually, uh, probably herpes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think But herpes. not your own. You would just bring it and... I bring it in vials, and when people ask for my autograph, I kind of spill it onto the, onto the page, and they go, oh, wow, thank you, and they touch it, and they've got it. The train, the, supposedly there's a train that goes across Canada that's heaven. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you, and have you taken it? And actually, I won 
two seats on that train on that train ride uh, that goes all across the west. It's a dome and it's in a dome car. And you and I gave it to my uh, my in laws uh, to do it. I just didn't feel like like doing it. It had to be done within a certain period of time. I couldn't do it, and they loved it. Everybody loves that that train ride. It How expensive is it? Just too expensive. Um, it's like uh, I think it's like twenty eight hundred dollars a seat. That includes all your meals, and of course, it's a sleeper car. And I think it's four nights or five nights. I I love train. I could just sit on my mind. Loves a train, and that's what the Nazis knew. So, <laughs> like, if they said no, if the Nazis said get on the bus, come on, get on the bus, they, they would have said, "Are you kidding? A bus? We're not getting on a bus." But when they said get on the train, they went, "Ooh, sleeper cars. Okay, we'll get on the train." Ooh, the Porter. How do you think you and I would have done? You know what? Whenever Mark Breslin's here, the conversation always turns to Auschwitz. I don't know what it is. I don't think I've ever had a conversation. I, I don't think I've ever had a dinner with you that didn't eventually turn to Auschwitz. We have discussed Buchenwald. We have discussed Bergen-Belsen. We, I, 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 no, I think that's very unfair of you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, well, let me ask you before you go, comedy, what is happening with comedy? We're slowly inching back. People always ask the wrong questions, which is, um, how many clubs have you reopened? And the truth is we've opened up nine out of 12 and people say, oh, you must be doing great. But that's not the metric. The metric is how many customers are you serving a week or how many customers are there a week and pre COVID there were four to 5,000 customer paying customers a week across the country. Now we're somewhere between 1,200 and 1,400. And that's based on the amount of people we're allowed to put in the clubs, uh, plus people's nervousness about going out. People are still nervous mm-hmm. about going out. Um, but in Ontario, they passed a law uh, just recently where you have to show your vaccination passports, um, the proof of vaccination to get into the club. And I have right. to tell you, David, people said, Oh, there's going to be so much blowback from this. People are going to, uh, you know, come in and riot. And no, they're all saying, thank you. We're glad that you're doing this. We're glad that this is the law because now we feel safe. And because they feel safe, I think the government is now going to allow us to go from 30% capacity to 50% capacity very quickly. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Last night, I didn't sleep. I've had horrible insomnia. And I clicked on Nato Green. He's a comedian. Do you know who Nato Green is? He's from San Francisco. And he got me. I uh, I saw him playing the punchline in San Francisco on YouTube, where I'm from, YouTube. I'm from San Francisco. I started doing comedy in San Francisco. And then it was like a new club the acoustics somewhere in San Francisco, there was a piano, there were curtains, and it felt like a really sophisticated, you know, that that kind of sophisticated San Francisco comedy room that only lasts one week, but while it's open, it's the best. And I went, the, the sound of the laugh, there's a certain type of sound from a room. And I went, oh my God, do I miss that? that it's it's a where it's not that echo anyway it's it's a certain type of 
And it was Nato, this guy, Nato Green, who was a smart comedy. I went, oh, yeah. Uh, David, I will check him out. But I have to tell you that I have been going to my clubs every single night that they're open. And it's mostly on the weekend. And uh, last weekend, we drove out to Burlington, which is a club that's about an hour away from Toronto. And this weekend, we'll go to Oshawa, which is another club that's an hour away in the other direction. And there is nothing like the sound of that laughter. I don't miss yeah. the comics so much as I miss the audiences. Yeah. Yeah. I miss joy. And... Uh, that, that something finished. clicked last night for some, you know, Nato Green. It was just it was just the type of comedy I like and the laughs he was getting. I went, oh, right. Right. Yeah, uh, you don't see that much. You don't see Netflix specials that make me miss live. Not too much. Did you, did you see Chappelle? Yes, I saw Chappelle. I saw the last one. I, I, as I've said before, I find Chappelle a bit too loose for my taste. I'm more of a Chris Rock guy, and I think that's always the question. You know, some people are Chris Rock people, and some people are Dave Chappelle people. Um, it's usually too loose and rangy for me. I like the special. I did not have a problem with the Jew joke. Did you have a problem with the Jew I joke? I didn't hear the Jew joke. I was listening for the transgender joke. What's the Jew oh, joke? Well, the Jew joke goes, and I hate doing other people's material because I never do it justice, but he said, I'm working on a, uh, a, new, um, uh, a, a new science fiction, uh, a new science fiction s- uh, story, and it's about this uh, race of people who inhabited the Earth, and then they went to uh, uh, outer space and got all this extra uh, information, and then they all came back to Earth and owned, and owned everything and did everything that's called Space Jews. And a lot of people are up in arms about that, but to me, it's a compliment. When people say, hey, the Jews own the media, I go, only the media? Gee, <laughs> they're slipping. Uh, well, who do you want to own the media, by the way? The Bosnians? <laughs> <laughs> if ever there were a people that should own the media, it's. <laughs> <laughs> if you broke up, if anybody should own the media, it's the Jews. Yeah. Right. Did he do any jokes about transgender Jews? No. Um, <laughs> transactional <laughs> Jews, but no <laughs> transactional <laughs> Jews, but no yeah. transgender Jews. This schmata, this little thing. I, just, I like him. I think he's great. He's the best. I, I, yeah. other comics, I like him more. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Mark Breslin. Everybody check out Yuck Yucks. Go see comedy. Live. Com- There's nothing better than live comedy, maybe live sex. No, I much prefer it on TV. You're right. Yeah. Live sex is, uh, anyway. Well, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it always works in, in, in porn. Nobody in porn ever goes, I'm sorry, I don't know, it's never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I have a sponsor. I, I, uh, did, did you know that I'm, uh, I have a website, a porn site? It's uh, Christian. It's Christian porn for Orthodox Jews. It's called NIMBY, not in my backyard. It's the kind of porn that God intended. NIMBY, not in my backyard. And yeah, check it out. Thank you, Mark. Please come back next week. Thank you. Thank okay, you. Bye. So that's Mark President. Everybody should go to see comedy in Canada, fly to Canada. They won't let you in if you're an American, I don't think. But if you can sneak into Canada, go to Yuck Yucks and uh, 
stay there. Stay, stay in Canada. You're better off. Hey, uh, Professor Marianne Cummings is next, but is it, oh, we're going to do Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom, if that's okay. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, Office Hours, this Friday night at 8 p.m. Go to my website and it'll take you right to office hours on Friday night. Meet better people like Professor Marianne Cummings. When we come back, we will be joined by Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Welcome back. Let's go to our newsroom where Dan Frankenberger is standing by. Hello, sir. Coming up, Professor Marianne Cummings. Hello, pretentious D-bag. Hello, JAG officer. I am a JAG officer. How do you know? <laughs> I was in the Navy. Are you coming to expect it? <laughs> yes. How was your weekend? It was fantastic. I went to work and I cooked a bunch of food and everything went well. What did you cook? Food. Um, I cooked some uh, a turkey taco salad. Turkey taco and, salad. And I also made deep fried lasagna. Deep fried lasagna. So you have leftover lasagna, but if you cut it into like third of a pieces and then bread it and then deep fry it. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. I'm it's getting pretty gross. Hungry. Deep fried. <laughs> what, what kind of oil? I'm just regular vegetable oil. Hmm. And vegetable oil you can cook at a higher temperature than olive oil. That is true. Yeah. I just peanut just, oil gets to the higher temperatures and lower temperatures than vegetable oil would be like a coconut oil or yeah, there's all different uh different uh, they call it smoke point. The smoke point? Yep. So peanut oil has the highest smoke point? Yep. You'll you'll see uh the Asian cookeries with the woks a lot of times they use peanut oil because it can get so hot without uh, burning too quickly. And is I would assume peanut oil is not that bad for you, right? It's a vegetable. Is peanuts are a vegetable, not a flower or a plant. They're not fruits, right? Mm, good question. They might be a legume. I'm not really even sure. Uh, I've been eating peanuts. Hey, uh, before we go to Community Billboard, this is the seven-day rolling average for COVID and it seems, well, it peaked, you know, at the beginning of the year, it seems to be going down. It seems to be on the decline a little. So that's, I thought I, we need good news, right? Yep, we sure do. Yeah, uh, there hasn't been much. Coming up, Professor Marianne, but look at this. Is that from last week? That's from last week. That's last week's. Those are those potatoes. Are, those are potatoes. Sorry, those are Glenn Costick's <laughs> potatoes. Potatoes. <laughs> those, those look. Those are delicious. How is it up there in Rochester tonight? Um, it was warm all day. I I dressed too heavily at work. I ended up sweating by the end of the day. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been calm and cool. The the leaves are starting to fall which I'm going to bring up in a few minutes when you grab the pictures, the uh, Dave and PA, we got a picture of uh, his place that we've seen before, but I'm 
I'm going to try to get a, a fresh picture out of him the next month or so as the leaves change because he's got such a huge uh, landscape and tons of trees around it. So I, I want to move awesome. there. Well, I'm in the mood for applesauce. Applesauce. What is this? What are you doing here? What is what is Glenn Costick up to? He makes his own applesauce. So a lot of times uh, the farms around the, the small towns, they'll sell the kind of beat up and ugly looking apples and people will make applesauce out of them. Ah. I've made homemade applesauce and yeah, it's wonderful. Just boil it with a little water and sugar and mash it up and you're good to go. Beat up fruits and vegetables. There, there There's a market for that. Yeah, it's been in the news the last couple of years. Uh, I think a lot uh, in Europe where it started, just the, the vegetables that are not uh, uniform. They want they, all yeah. the vegetables have to all the tomatoes have to look like rubber tennis balls, red tennis balls. Yeah, if they're not aesthetically pleasing, yeah, they they don't tend to sell them. But there's markets opening up where you've got a goofy looking carrots and stuff. You know, they get sold. Yeah, people are buying them on purpose at similar prices just to not be wasteful. Yeah. And they're interesting to look at. Yeah, they're cool. I know that person. How do you fix a squeaky chair? Uh, you buy it. I heard you buy another one last weekend. I just, you know. That's Frankenstein, <laughs> right? Yep, this is a cartoony version of Frankenstein's monster from Tom Weber. I've uh, put it up on Community Billboard before sometime last year, but we're getting into the Halloween spirit here in October, so I thought I'd show it again because it's so cool. And this is a pen drawing. Um, that he drew and imported into his iPad to add additional digital coloring. He's amazing. How do people buy his stuff? You can go to TomWeberArt.com, and he's got a, a whole bunch of um, pictures up there that he's done both manually uh, with paint, and he's got digital stuff, and they're all organized by category. So it's pretty cool to go to a site. And Chartreuse had a showing? What? Yep, that's coming up in a picture or two. Oh, okay. Now. I jumped. Yep, that's coming. I jumped the gun. All right. This is. I'm worried. Am I going to crash the system here? No, that's fake. That's what I was telling you about a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Dave and PA has a, a Airbnb property and it's surrounded by tons of trees. So I'm curious to, to get a picture in the autumn from him in the next few months. That looks sick. You can uh, check out the Airbnb. Uh, he's got a tiny URL, which is tinyurl.com, Bertie's Country Cottage, B-E-R-T-I-E-S, Country Cottage, where you can check it out. It's a property that has, uh, it holds five guests, has two bedrooms and uh, one bathroom, and it's in Pennsylvania. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely yeah, we, gorgeous. We show pictures of it once in a while, yeah. and everything about it is awesome. All right. That's where you and I are going to hide after we commit our... 10 state killing spree. I'm worried about, I'm loading this up. I'm worried that it's, there we go. This is uh, chartreuses. Yep. This is uh, from Kristen Calabrese. She has a show in LA, which is entitled How Things Feel. And that runs from October 8th until November 21st. So it's a, a six week long showing. Fantastic. And uh, she's, she's given me the address to announce. Yes. Which is uh, 7503 West Sun Sunset Boulevard in L.A. Give it again, please. 
7503 West Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. It's running October uh, 8th through the 21st and from 6 to 8 p.m. each night. Wow. Uh, John Hayes actually went down there during office hours. I know. Yep, I know. so we were checking that out, and she sent me a message that she met John, and he's awesome and nice and sweet. So. He is. He is. Office hours putting people together still. Yep. And I know who did this, Lane. Yep, this is a piece by Lane. Um, he's called it Shooting for the Moon, and this one is dedicated to another office hours attendee, Tim from Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, the red lettering on there says TFC. So in the detail, he actually really, really put it on there. He says uh, it's done for an entertaining and often annoying Canadian Hunter S. Thompson type friend from the David Feldman office hours. Tim from Canada. Yep. And he says uh, his late heroic granddad flew missions during World War II to whom this country owes a great debt. So he said, "This is a, the first one he's really been happy with with this style." So wow. good job, Lane. That was that, yeah, that was awesome. He's amazing. I was watching him play the guitar the other night, and the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Um, this past and most recent episode had con- constitutional scholar Bruce Fine was on there, and they devoted the entire radio hour to discussing war powers in the United States with Yale historian Samuel Moyen, M-O-Y-N, the author of Humane, How the United States Abandoned Peace and Reinvented War. And if you look off to the right on this picture, you'll also see the Congress Club link. So if you go there, uh, David was mentioning earlier in the show that they're doing an office hours meeting for Congress Club. Yes. That's with, this, this week, right? This Sunday. I don't this have Sunday. the time. I'll, I'll know on Thursday. I want to say, well, I don't, I, I don't want to say what time it is, but everybody should go to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour website and sign up for Congress Club because some of us can't run for office the way Professor Marianne Cummings does. Well, Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Thank you, sir. Yep. Send anything you want uh, to get into the community billboard to dentfeldman at gmail.com. Yes. And I think you and I are going to talk tomorrow, right? Yep. Thank you. Very good. Thank you, buddy. Dan Frankenberger. Nothing gets done here without Dan Frankenberger. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts we have a youtube channel please subscribe to our youtube channel if you're watching us on youtube right now hit the like button please and give us a nice review if you're listening to us on itunes spotify stitcher pandora wherever you're listening to us please hit the like button give us a good review and share this with your friends we're a little show and we do great work here because we have great guests like Professor Marianne who joins us after this. That's right. Oh, 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 oh,
Welcome back. Let's go to Aurora, Illinois, where physicist Professor Mary Ann Cummings is standing by. You're laughing. And Parks Commissioner for Aurora, Illinois, Paul LeBeau, a physicist, was on earlier. Did you see the conversation? I caught a little bit of that, and I would love for us to have that further conversation along those lines. I think we need what we need to do is have a very disciplined hour, probably at the end of the show, with Paul, and just keep trying to learn money. How much of it were you, mm. now, not to embarrass you, you are Marianne, Professor Marianne Cummings, you are a, a physicist, and you are also Parks Commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. You're also an amazing should I say impressionist? Your art is your art? Are you an Yeah, I would say impressionistic realism is yeah. kind of my tagline. And you're no slouch when it comes to being able to unravel the secrets of the universe. In all honesty, how much are you able to understand about the Federal Reserve and money? You know... I've always been perplexed by it because after forcing myself in, as an undergraduate to learn math and physics, you start be developing habits like, okay, uh, conserved quantities, you know, conservation of momentum, conservation of uh, conservation of energy, conservation of charge. Um, when you deal with when I took a the accelerated econ, economics course at Michigan, that was tough. You know, I was I was badgering the professor. I think he got very annoyed with me because I was trying to like use my physics developing brain and apply it to economy. Like, you know, I'm not seeing a conserved current here. I mean, what is this multiplier effect? Something comes out of nothing? Well, I guess in particle physics it kind of does. But, uh, you know, it was, I did remember finally nailing him down and actually seeing an equation for money flow that went into the Fed's releasing money, which it does by a, you know, indirect means, you know, it offers bonds, it offers treasury notes. But um, it was, you know, I think our economics, because things can be described kind of with differential equations and physics-like stuff, you know, there's a, a, there's a real uh, hope and belief on the part of some economists that it's a real science underneath there. And um, I wish I could take credit for it, 
but I can't. I remember in school reading a column that was by some liberal uh, MIT economist, used to have a regular column, wrote, I read it at the uh, Detroit Free Press, and he talked about, he said, all the confusion of economics, a lot of it centers on it not being a science, but it should be more properly understood as a branch of ethics, because you do have... It's not just acquisition of wealth. Wealth gets acquired. Well, historically, it was just conquest and, and stealing for pine. But if you have an economy, you have a sense of exchange, which means you have an sense of a common knowledge of what you're doing. Like, you know, my bushel of wheat is worth, you know, some of your uh, hardware, you know, for, for my house or my barn or whatever. And uh, so... It's to it, it, when once you get, and I know I hope Paul is still listening, but I think once you get beyond, you know, the, that sort of at least uh, potentially honest exchange, you know, I need something, you need something, we collectively as a city need something, uh, you guys over there need something. Once you take it a couple step removed and you get finance, which originally was a brilliant, brilliant idea. One of the best ideas humanity has come up with, which solves the space and time problem of enough money, of enough promises, because money is really just promises. It's, it's motivation for people to work and get something done. But when you've enshrined the finance aspect of it, then you get all these enormously elaborate scams. And uh, I, I think I commented earlier because I saw it on your uh, on the YouTube channel that what I think is understood about economics, which is actually understood, is fairly straightforward. It may not it may take some discipline to actually learn it, and I think Stephanie Kelton's book was I think a real eye opener because it wasn't modern monetary theory wasn't a theory it, it, she was actually describing how the federal how the money uh, producing machine works so it's it's an interesting read but um once you enshrine finance itself that's where all the problems come from that's where all the complications come from and that's where all the scams come from who understood these you know several tranched tiered uh, uh mortgage-backed securities these derivatives, these, I can't remember what the term was, but was essentially- Collateralized debt obligations. Well, the collateralized debt obligations, the, but then there was that, something else that were like side bets on these collateralized right. debt obligations. I'm sure Dr. Paul would be able to come up with that. But, it, but the thing is, is that, you know, I remember us kind of trying to explain it to a couple of people and one of my colleagues, a couple of younger people a few years ago, one of my colleagues turns to me and says, Hey, Marianne, I bet you $1 trillion your Detroit Tigers are going to suck in the World Series. I go, oh, yeah? Well, I'll bet you a trillion bucks that they'll win. And we're good for it. We, we signed $1 trillion and we signed our names. Poof. Right. You know, and then you get it insured by AIG or something. Then, then the, well, it was, Yeah, this was a silly joke, but the point is, you know, it's not... It's, it's not the money. It's not even a pile of inert metal sitting someplace. It's the fact that you have the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which I guess would include its army, that's backing this up. And then you add... Although somewhere I actually do have... Uh, I do have a silver... 
dollar certificate I've been carrying around for about 20 years. I, somebody gave me a dollar bill that looked funny. And I just looked at it. And, and then it didn't say $1. It said silver certificate. That, you know, like they used to that they, they used to circulate, but that's now just an anomaly. So I kept it, you know, just as a you know, historical artifact. So I used to have uh, script when I was we used to have real. I don't know if it, you know what I don't know if it was real Confederate script or not. Um, hmm. I, I wonder if it was fake. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's stuff floating around someplace in some attics. You know, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Donald subject. Trump supporters uh, are holding <laughs> on to are clinging to it. I I think of economics. An economist to me is like a a police coroner. That you they're they're helpful after a crash. They can look back and tell you what killed the economy. Depending on who's paying them, like a coroner will tell you how somebody died based on what do you, what do you need. So mm -hmm. if I'm gonna hello Peter B Collins, we're running ten minutes behind. If that's okay with you, so I'm gonna turn your Hi, Peter. I'm gonna turn your video off for a second. Uh, thank you, Peter B Collins is is coming up. So anyway. Interesting conversation with David Cobb. I said to him, you're Joe Biden. How do you play hardball with Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin? He said, committee assignments. You just say to them, you don't support. If, if Joe Biden really wanted Build Back Better, he and Schumer and Pelosi would say, you either support this or... You're like Marjorie Taylor Greene. No, no committee assignments. You're like Steve King, the racist from Iowa. No committee assignments. You either get with the program or you're a non-person. Then, of course, they can go to the Republican Party. That's the, the one. Down. The Republicans don't even want Kirsten Cinema. I mean, she's one of the least popular politicians in the state of Arizona. They, they can get somebody else. At this yeah. point, so but you have a point. Like these guys. No, that was what David students. Cobb said. That wasn't what <clears throat> okay. what I said. But it's a great. I mean, I went. Oh yeah, there are ways to. There's ways. Even like even tenured professors I knew. There were ways that the administration, if they didn't like you, even if you were a tenured for life professor, there's ways they could make your life miserable. Yes. And there is definitely ways for particularly for, uh, you know, for narcissists like cinema and mansion, there are ways that they can make their life miserable, but they won't do it now. So in other words, they spare cinema from being miserable, which means millions of us have to be miserable mm -hmm. instead. It's a big club and we ain't in it. We ain't but, in it. Uh, but the thing is that Joe Biden wanted to do something, or I would say Joe Biden's staff wanted to do something. I've been thinking about this. Joe Biden should go down to West Virginia and Arizona. And even though somebody pointed out, and I didn't, I didn't check this fact, but somebody pointed out in another forum that uh, Bernie Sanders got more votes in his primary 
more votes in his primary against uh, Hillary Clinton than Joe Manchin got in his last election. In West Virginia. That's interesting. In West Virginia. Okay. So, uh, no, we know that Biden really can't do it. He's not inclined. But what they could do is Joe Biden could go to West Virginia and take Bernie Sanders with him. And he's, you know, got enough of a a sort of lizard brain uh, chops left that he can just introduce his good friend Bernie Sanders. And then Bernie Sanders can just let both barrels fire, both guns blaze. I mean, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, of course, uh, at uh, Joe Manchin. So um, and then you can do the same in Arizona. I mean, that that's the point. When when I hear even really good Democrats talk about procedure and policy and in principle, there's as many moderate Dems as there are progressives. Which which set of policies is most popular? Which set of policies is most popular? This should be, I mean, this this is a gift. I mean, it's very rarely do you have it this easy that what you're pushing for and most of the highlights of the BBB bill, I would call it Bernie Sanders reconciliation bill, is like every single one is immensely popular. And the reason uh, why the Democrats are having problems is because I really think that the uh, that the hearts of Democratic leadership really isn't in it. I I am beginning to I I I hate to agree with you on that. I know you do. It pains me. It sucks. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. This Pelosi had a deadline. What was the end of September to vote on these two bills? I think it was the 27th. Yeah. And they have not sold this bill to the American people. Most people don't know what's in the bill. When they are told what's in the bill, they support it overwhelmingly. They only know what it costs. This is a new, we were talking about this poll earlier. If they really wanted Build Back Better, we would know what's in this bill. It, it's almost oh, yeah. like people talking about Medicare and going, yeah, Johnson has this $400 billion bill. Uh, I think it's something to do with old people. Yeah. That, that's, that's what... To not know what's in... For the American people not to know what's in Build Back Better, there's only one person's fault, and it's Biden's. It's well, disgraceful. Uh, I, I guess there's another clue to their thinking. Uh, I learned a new word. I guess it's a word. I learned a new word this past week. Um, it's called popularism. Jen Psaki introduced that. Not populism, of course, because that's a dirty word in their circus, but popularism. And from the semi-word salad, she was explaining that it was basically um, Democrats should run on popular things. Wow. You know, what a concept. Of course, with with no intention of ever passing any of them. But, you know, that that's what and, and I thought, wow, that's almost honest. Actually, that's almost crystal clear honesty coming right. from this. But and it's like, but in fact, you know, that's kind of been the Democrats' political strategy strategy for the last twenty years, punctuated by a few bailouts of uh, Wall Street, and then of course there's always, you know, oof, Republicans ooga booga, 
or terror, like terrorists before that. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, boy, they are running out of steam. And it's, it's kind of uh, a bankrupted sort of uh, po- a, a philosophy if there ever was a coherent philosophy. I guess, as I said, I, I would um, direct people to Matt Stoller's article from like five years ago that basically uh, was in the Atlantic. And it was how the post-Watergate revolution, all the Watergate babies they called them, basically came back to Washington intent on reshaping the Democratic Party you know, sort of severing it from its old, from its creaky, you know, 1930s New New Deal type roots and a modern party that would emphasize civil rights and uh, high tech and finance. And it was, and, and basically leave the wor- working class, like pretty much to the Republicans, I guess, or just, mm-hmm. you know, basically not adopt their concerns anymore. And that's been the problem. That's been a rift. I, even when I was a kid, I, I sort of would see the hippies on one side and, you know, the, 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 the iron workers or the auto workers on the other. And, and they seemed that they were both Democrats or ish or lefty ish, but they, their, uh, their agendas were not, uh, they were not in solidarity with each other. That wasn't the word I had when I was eight or nine, but, you know, that's what I was kind of groping for at the right. time. And that's been a problem. Right. What's happening in and, Aurora? What's happening in Aurora? What, what, tell me on a local level, what do we have? What's uh, working? What we have still is my zip code, which I told you about, and uh, still the lowest vaccination rate uh the entire northern part of uh illinois by far it's a, it's one of the poorest zip codes in the in the suburbs it's heavily hispanic like over 65 percent. it's heavily democratic but uh so i've been calling up the mayor's office and uh and saying, hey, what are you guys doing about this? You were bragging about how you were getting Aurora vaccinated. Wasn't really him in the last election. It was, you know, the county. So I get the, what I get back from the mayor's office is, uh, that's really a county concern. And I'm going, excuse me. uh, Yeah, I can call the county, but wouldn't it be better if like the mayor of the second largest city in the state of Illinois calls the county? Right instead of just some random person living on Lincoln Avenue. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating, but I'm making a noise. In fact, uh, we've got a, a young, it turns out to be a good gal. She wouldn't call herself progressive, but she is extremely responsive. And she's uh, our state legislator uh, representative. And I've talked to her about it. And she, she was a little unaware of that. She looked at, into it and she said, oh my God, that's low. Why are we so low? I said, yeah, exactly. Why are we so low? <laughs> so, so that's what I'm kind of pushing a little bit. Um, oh, by the way, happy Indigenous Day, Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes. Did you read <laughs> what uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Velasquez called Christopher Columbus a genocidal maniac? I think I used those words back in high school when I was reading about it. I mean, yeah. I was like, what the hell? Why are we, you know, anyway. Um, but I, I saw that, um, I was alerted to that, which is why we don't, we didn't have our board meeting tonight. Is that our because, teacher, uh, Miss Anderson? Columbus, 
I think they still call it Columbus Day um, around here for reasons I wouldn't know. Um, to celebrate but, Columbus, uh, Ohio. That, I, I would be okay with Columbus Day just celebrating the people <laughs> from Columbus, Ohio. But I read this morning when I was going through my, um, after I um, drove a friend of, uh, of mine to uh, doctors, um, I was uh, back here and up on my Yahoo account was um, an article, uh, Associated Press, yeah, like, uh, and with pictures showing many indigenous people who were protesting in front of the White House being arrested by Capitol Police, doing their job, <laughs> for protesting the pipelines and protesting inaction on climate change. So happy Indigenous Day from the White House. Yeah. I mean, we've got the uh, the 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 uh, Dakota Access Pipeline is a go. We've got the Line Three is a go. They are persisting and making these huge investments in like our hundred year investments in the world's dirtiest fossil fuel outside of non-scrubbed coal. So I don't really know how you penetrate through administration unless you don't really have somebody, there's really no there there at the top, they're just riding along this behemoth of a bunch of bundled interests. And, you know, they're doing their performative thing. Of course, the, the Republicans aren't going to call it Indigenous Day. They're going to call it Columbus Day. And the Democrats are going to call it Indigenous People's Day. And I think that'll be about the extent of it. Right. Did you see the piece in The Guardian about Enbridge? Uh, they're laying line three. It's a Canadian company, Enbridge. Mm-hmm. And they've paid United States police officers $2.4 million for arresting and surveilling oh. hundreds of demonstrators. This was in The Guardian last week. Oh, I haven't read it, but I'm not surprised because they were doing this kind of stuff. They had the National Guard like on active duty like years ago during during the Obama administration. So I'm not surprised that they would, you know, buy... They, they would buy. It's, it's essentially they're they're uh, hiring them as private security, right? Well, if you're arresting people, that's not private security. Well, if you're not prosecuting somebody, that's not private either. But somehow, Steve Donziger was just prosecuted by private uh, group of attorneys. I'm still trying to figure out how that one worked. Uh, For people who don't know, Steve Donziger was the lawyer who represented uh, the uh, indigenous Ecuadorans uh, against Chevron and won, like almost 10 years ago, a $9.5 billion settlement. It was Texaco at the time, wasn't it? Well, well, it was Texaco first, but then Chevron. Bought Texaco. And and I think Texaco, I can't remember what they did, but they settled early. But Chevron really took it to court, and they lost in the Ecuadorian courts. And of course, ever since then, Chevron's been going to war against this guy. And they came, they flew up some judge, spent like $2 million getting a judge to come up here to make some bogus testimony about how Donziger bribed him, which was just preposterous on the face of it, and with zero evidence, apart from what this guy had said. And so... uh, it's just astounding. He he was uh, just convicted 
of contempt of court, Don Ziger was. And uh, he had been in under house arrest, by the way, for over three years. Nobody had been under house arrest for this long on what's essentially a misdemeanor. But, you know, uh, big money talks, and Chevron has an infinitely deep pocket for its defense, for, for its legal team. So he'll be doing six months, Don Ziger will. House arrest. And, huh? House arrest. Uh, no, he's going to prison. He's been under house arrest for like over 700 days. He's now going to prison for six months. And, you know, how does this happen? You know, how, how is this happening? But there's a lot of things that I've scratched my head over. Who is this guy in, in Alabama? Siegelman? Yeah. He was effectively... The governor was effectively convicted for bribery or something. It was also he somebody he knew he gave a, uh, a, a position to that was a non-paid advisory position in his government. And somehow uh, Karl Rove and his allies down there managed to construct a case, a corruption case against him for her, for which he went to prison. Right. And I have never understood that either. It's I just- think it had both Donziger. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. Donziger yeah. and Seligman, Siegelman. Siegelman. We're on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. I think Karl Rove, it had something to do with, I'm not going to, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. Uh, not that that's ever stopped me before. Professor Marianne <laughs> Cummings is a physicist. She's a parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois, a great mm-hmm. artist. And uh, we're honored that you're here. Thank you. Oh, love, I, I love being on this show. I love this community here too. It's amazing, yeah. And I'm really enjoying office hours. I'm just kicking back now and listening. And we we have to speak to Walter. Anyway, uh, thank oh, well, you. That, Walter's, Walter's documentary show, that still staying with me. Yeah, and we, we should we, we should have Diane on the show. You see <clears throat> something like that, and you think you know how bad it is. You even think you have an idea when they dig up the bodies how bad it is. You don't really know how bad it is until you hear it from the people who were victims themselves. Yeah, and today is uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, and we, yes. we should. I should have booked Walter, and I didn't. Uh, I'll blame Hannah. Uh, (laughs) When in doubt, Um, blame Hannah. Looking forward to your segment segment with Peter. Thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Friend me on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're posting little two-minute highlights when we can. We have a Zoom room, a virtual studio audience, And if you would like to join our virtual studio audience, go to my website and hit attend a live taping. And while you're at it, please sign up for my newsletter. When we come back, we will be joined by Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer, Peter B. Collins. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics 
a comedy too. To tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Welcome back. Let's go to Marin County, where Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer Peter B. Collins is standing by. Hello there, Peter B. Collins. Great to be with you, David. It's always uh, great to see you. Sometime I'd like to ask you to go to that unabridged dictionary that's in the background behind you and just pick a word and make it the secret word of the day. That's not a bad idea. I'm frozen. <laughs> I, I'm actually frozen. Okay. You are and I'm not. I wonder if that's my fault. No, I push the limits of the program. So hang on for one second. There's a While you do that, I'm just going to compliment you on that new bumper. That's really cool. Well, that accomplished. Thank you. There we go. You can see me, right? Yes. And your, your lips are moving. Yes. Uh, but somebody else is speaking. <laughs> that's a deep fake. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm learning Premiere Pro just because it keeps me from doing anything truly productive. It has no value other than I, I, I'm just messing around with software that keeps me out of trouble. Peter B. Collins, it's good to see you. Um, David, David, without jumping the agenda, may I just return to your last uh, sequence with Professor Cummings? Yes, please. Because on my podcast before I retired last year, I did extensive coverage of the Don Siegelman case in yes. Alabama. Yes. And just, just to thumbnail it for your listeners, uh, he was railroaded into federal prison. It's correct that Carl Rove orchestrated it. And... Uh, the swamp in Alabama is just incredible. And Siegelman was the last statewide Democrat elected, except for Doug Jones, who got a couple of years in the Senate because he ran against a child molester right. who, thumped, who thumped the Bible at the same time. Right. Uh, but uh, just to, to, again, summarize it briefly, uh, Richard Scrucci was the co-defendant of Siegelman. He was a wealthy head of uh, a, a medical company, an HMO, 
uh, called Health South. And uh, Siegelman reappointed him to an unpaid position on an, a state advisory board about health care. And separately, Scrooge's company made a contribution, not even to a Siegelman campaign account, but to a fund that was to pass a state lottery to fund education like so many states have done. Right. This was, this was opposed by Rove and by um, the, uh, who was the lobbyist? Abramoff? Yes, Jack Abramoff. And Abramoff rallied the Indian tribes uh, in neighboring states saying this Alabama lottery is going to cannibalize. Did he include Grover Norquist and Ralph Reed? Indeed, yes, yes. So it was part of that whole cabal. Hmm. And I, I got to know Don Siegelman. I met him, actually. He, he went to the Obama coronation in Denver in 2008, which is the only time I've ever met him in person. And Obama never lifted a finger to commute his sentence or even to pardon him after he completed it. And Doug Jones, who I mentioned a minute ago, was actually one of the legal people who took money from Siegelman and then screwed him. Uh, which ingratiated him with the Republican establishment, which held its nose and supported him against Roy Moore uh, during the Senate race to finish out the term of Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. So that's your quick sketch. (laughs) And, you you know, you remind me of David Dayen from American Prospect. I know, David. Yeah, Yeah. you and he are so great at taking the difficult stories and distilling them down to their essence. It's like you have a nose for the hardest stories to not only remember, but to decipher. Am I wrong? Was was, uh, Siegelman also somehow, was it part of Rove's attempt to politicize the the Justice Department? Uh, Not directly. Uh, You mean when all those U.S. attorneys were fired in the middle in the middle of a term? No. Right. I don't I don't believe there's any direct connection there. Right. And the just so we're talking about 2003, 2004. Rove was politicizing the Justice Department because of voter fraud. Right. He wanted them to prosecute voter fraud, even though it was non-existent. Was that basically what? Not not so much, uh, David. Uh, I, I think it was down the list. It was certainly one of the things that they would bring up. Um, but, but to your point about the U.S. attorneys, before that mass firing, uh, Rove had installed uh, a woman named Laura, not Laura, L-E-U-R-A was her name, Laura Canary as the U.S. attorney, who said she had recused herself from the Siegelman case, but she didn't really. And she was the wife of a guy named Bill Canary, who was Karl Rove's political business partner for election campaigns in Alabama. So this is just another angle on how sordid uh, the whole thing was. And uh, Siegelman couldn't get any traction in the courts. Uh, he got several appeals up to the, the the Fourth Circuit, I guess it is, in Atlanta, and they would shoot him down. I think he got one before the Supreme Court, but, uh, you know, he never got any justice. And he ended up uh, 
his term was kind of split because uh, he got out on appeal for a while. Uh, but he did almost six years, and it was just disgusting. Wow. So I, if people want to go to PeterBCollins.com, just put Siegelman in the search window, and many podcasts will come up. And I also recommend the one that I did with Richard Scrushy. He didn't give many interviews. But uh, when he told the story of how he barely even knew Siegelman uh, until they became co-defendants, and uh, it's just an incredible, incredible saga. Uh, but when you're ready. Yeah, I want to uh, talk would... to you about who attacked us on 9-11, Gitmo, and the trial of the supposed masterminds of 9-11. So Afghanistan didn't attack us on 9-11. Correct. Abu Zubaydah. Who is Abu Zubaydah? Abu Zubaydah is a Palestinian national, a citizen of Saudi Arabia. He was a member of the Mujahideen who fought against the Soviets in the 1980s. And that was, was of course, funded by the CIA. And that's where Osama bin Laden entered the picture. But um, he was one of the first people picked up, February of 2002. Where was he picked up? Um, I believe in Pakistan. Not Afghanistan. I, I'm pretty sure it was in Pakistan. Really? Because John Kiriakou, uh, who I will refer to again later because he co-authored a book about Abu Zubaydah. Kiriakou was the counterterrorism chief for the CIA in Pakistan. And he refused to participate in the torture program. And Abu Zubaydah was a torture victim number one. They believed wrongly that he was an Al-Qaeda official who had advanced knowledge of 9-11, who was close to uh, Osama. And none of that was true. And despite being waterboarded 83 times, uh, we don't know exactly where because he, he was held in Thailand at a black site. He was held in Poland at a black site, and that is the uh, locus of the Supreme Court oral arguments that I'll get to in a moment that were held just a week ago. And so Kiriakou uh, refused to torture Abu Zubaydah, and you know they brought in other people, including these uh, consultants who, who fleeced the CIA for $83 million to devise torture programs, and those guys are named Jessen and Mitchell. Are they psychologists, psychiatrists? They claim to be psychologists, hmm. yes. Uh, and, and so uh, Kiriakou exits. Uh, they uh, keep trying to extract a confession from Abu Zubaydah. And uh, at one point, even these profiteers of torture, Mitchell and Jessen, cabled back to Washington. And it's believed that the exchange was with this guy, Diaz, who later, uh, he's a CIA top official who later destroyed the videotapes of torture. And uh, they said, look, uh, we've tortured this guy for two weeks. We've almost killed him. And uh, number one, we want cover in case he does die. Number two, we want you to agree that we'll cremate him uh, if we manage to kill him during a torture session. But uh, we don't think that he's lying. 
And the response from Langley was, you pussies, that's an actual quote, uh, torture him some more. And so they gave him another two weeks of brutal treatment. We don't know if this is when they poked out his eye, uh, but, you know, he carries that injury for life. Wow. And so Abu Zubaydah is now down uh, 19 and a half years. It'll be 20 in, in February. And he has never been charged or tried. There has been a habeas corpus petition filed on his behalf uh, since 2014. So this is an episode that Obama could have dealt with. He did not. And so uh, the case before the court nominally is about state secrets. And this is an obscene uh, game that is played because they want to maintain that the torture site in Poland is still a secret. Okay, but it's open knowledge. Now, the exact location and what went on in the torture chambers there is what the lawyers for Abu Zubaydah have been trying to get at. And in the proceedings, the oral arguments before the court, some remarkable things happened because the justices freely used the word torture. And the New York Times, which has been really uh, pussyish, if I can continue mm -hmm. to use that word, about and squeamish about actually calling it torture. They used enhanced interrogation up until a couple of years ago. Uh, they report that virtually all of the justices referred to the torture of Abu Zubaydah. Now, the best coverage of this, and I'm going to put up a link in the chat here, uh, is available from a dedicated journalist in, in London. His name is Andy Worthington. He and Carol Rosenberg, who came out of the Miami Herald, is now writing for the New York Times. They have provided the most dedicated coverage of Guantanamo. And I want to mention Jason Leopold, who was at Vice. He's now at um, uh, BuzzFeed. He has followed the Abu Zubaydah case uh, and, and did great coverage of that when he was at Vice. And I have interviews with uh, Andy and with Leopold that are available at my website. So Worthington published a great piece, uh, a wrap-up of the oral arguments. He read the transcripts. And it, what, what really becomes clear is that, number one, Joe Biden who, to his credit, shut down the war in Afghanistan, has said he wants to shut down Guantanamo. But in the pleadings before the court, his solicitor general, acting solicitor general, maintains the posture of the Trump administration, which maintained the posture of the Obama administration. And that is that the so-called forever prisoners, and the postage stamps are not named for them, mm -hmm. uh, they cannot... <laughs> be charged or tried because they were all tortured and this would expose the uh, methods and uh, what's that other word <laughs> means and methods or whatever it is of the CIA when it came to torture and Obama helped bury that uh, one of the few accomplishments of my very senior senator Diane Feinstein is that she when she chaired the intelligence committee and, and had all of her faculties uh, she pushed through uh, a detailed review, 6,500 pages, 
of the torture uh, program that the CIA ran during the Bush administration. And then Obama got together with the Republican leaders and with uh, Leon Panetta, who had been CIA director and was then Pentagon boss. And they all said, this cannot be published. It cannot see the light of day. So the, th this again, the suppression of things that were pretending are secret uh, for the purpose of uh, really torturing the law in an obscene mm -hmm. manner. And I want to bring up a fundamental issue that was cited by several of the justices, including Brett Kavanaugh, who put down his beer as he was zooming in to the session because he's on COVID quarantine and said, uh, isn't the Afghanistan war over? And isn't the pretext for keeping Guantanamo open that it's related to the hostilities in Afghanistan? Now, you opened this by correctly reminding people, David, that Afghanistan didn't attack us. And this is all an ugly charade. But it appears that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, two of the Trump appointees, who are really bad on abortion rights and, and bad on a lot of other things, they seem to be ready to do what Congress can't do because of the partisan divide and because Democrats don't really want to be blamed for closing Guantanamo. And they seem to be saying, well, wait a minute. This guy you're saying is subject to state secrets so we can't disclose what happened to him in Poland, even though everybody knows he was there and he was tortured there. And Gorsuch used the term, it's, it's described by the, uh, the gray lady and Adam Liptak, who is a pretty good Supreme Court reporter, yes. uh, that uh, Gorsuch said uh, that uh, he, he seemed exasperated, says Liptak, by the government's position. Quote, this case has been litigated for years and all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And you haven't considered whether that's an off ramp that the government could provide that would obviate the need for any of this. He's referring to this phony claim of secrecy. And then Brett Kavanaugh, is the United States still engaged in hostilities for purposes of the blank check, the AUMF, authorization for use of military force against Al Qaeda? and related terrorist organizations. And so other justices, including Breyer and uh, Kagan, and of course, uh, um, uh, what's her name from New York? Um, Sotomayor. Thank you, Sotomayor. Uh, they all uh, appear ready to uh, hear testimony from Abu Zubaydah because the CIA will not permit the actual torturers, Mitchell and Jessen, to testify. And this is part of a devil's bargain, as I mentioned, that was struck when they were first torturing Abu Zubaydah. And they said, we want protection. And the, the CIA essentially said, and this is quoting from um, Andy Worthington, that uh, uh, they, they would guarantee that he would never be able to speak. He would be held incommunicado for the rest of his life. Now, <clears throat> this is as the United States lectures other countries about 
rules-based order and how we are the beacon of liberty. And Biden has some work to do here. It's Mm -hmm. not too late. But having his lawyers up before the Supreme Court arguing the same tired bullshit that was pushed by Trump lawyers and Obama lawyers does not suggest that he is planning to even allow the courts to do what he has said he wants to happen, which is to shut down Guantanamo, essentially based on a lack of a legal basis to keep it open. Right. Interesting. I always thought the reason they were keeping Abu Zubaydah uh, there and other permanent prisoners is we created terrorists. They, They were tortured and you let them go. They're just how can you not expect them to attack the United States? But there are other reasons they're trying to keep the CIA's trade secrets, the secret sauce from entering the public records. But the the movie Zero Dark Thirty, uh, you know, exploited the cooperation of Leon Panetta, who was played in the movie by James Gandolfini while he was still alive. Uh, and the agency cooperated. That's what pissed Feinstein off. She and Panetta never really have gotten along. And uh, so Feinstein said, well, look, (laughs) uh, I want to write the book here on what really happened. And her fundamental premise was that torture did not work the way Cheney and Rumsfeld uh, advertised it, that they never got actionable information. They didn't get the whereabouts of Osama bin Laden from torturing anybody. And the, the government still maintains that Zubeda uh, was part of al-Qaeda, and the only basis for that could be testimony that was extracted from other people via torture. Right. And we've <laughs> so, since learned that a lot of the men held at Gitmo are there because of somebody settling an ancient grudge on the, on the field. Like... They, people turned other people in, not because they were terrorists, but because they insulted my mother. There are 39 prisoners remaining uh, in Cuba. Uh, 17 are described as the forever prisoners. Do you recall the bizarre event when Obama went and delivered a speech uh, at the uh, it's the crypt where they keep the Constitution in Washington? No. And here, the guy who had taught constitutional law uh, gave this this bizarre uh, policy that, uh, you know, he could hold people indefinitely without charge or trial. And uh, you do make a point that we've radicalized these individuals, uh, but we, we have to, at some point, uh, uh, really uphold the fundamental standards of American law. It was 2004 in the Supreme Court Hamdi versus Rumsfeld case that it was established that the fiction that because they were offshore, that they were out of the reach of the U.S. federal courts was, in fact, fiction. And despite that, uh, the Supreme Court has ignored 
th- th- there's also one other critical ruling, which was, I think, 2007, Boumediene versus Rumsfeld. And that established that the prisoners there have habeas corpus rights. So Justice Breyer last week asked the, uh, the, the defense lawyer, a guy named Klein, David Klein, representing Abu Zubaydah, uh, you know, gosh, do you have a habeas corpus going for Mr. Zubaydah? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been going, uh, but the, uh, it, it's been pocketed by the, the second highest court in the land, which is the D.C. Appeals Court. And so it has been packed increasingly with pro-government lawyers of both parties who uh, have simply uh, waved away the habeas claims of, you know, it is a smaller population. Okay, uh, Obama released a lot of people. Bush released the bulk of the 700 people who were originally uh, part of the population there. Uh, so uh, this is the most sinister and bizarre uh, episode, I believe, in the American legal system. And the media is complicit in this. Uh, the Times and the Washington Post did cover the oral arguments. I haven't seen a second of coverage on television. And, you know, in the downstream papers like my San Francisco Chronicle, not a word mentioned of this critical hearing last week. And and so let me just wrap up the, the narrative. And then I do want to recommend a couple of things to people. Yes, please. Uh, that that the, the court does appear to be poised uh, by next summer when these oral arguments will be turned into rulings to do something about A, state secrets, and B, about Abu Zubaydah. Uh, It'll probably, given the court's history, it'll be very narrow, um, but it's the only hope we have because Biden's hands are tied by congressional acts uh, that you can't bring anybody from Guantanamo onshore, even for emergency health care. Uh, and this leaves him with maybe a wish. And, uh, you know, I'll give Biden credit for that. I think he does want to close Guantanamo. But politically, he 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 wants to get the Build Back Better thing passed. Right. Because does he's he? going to. Uh, I think politically he wants something that will he, he'll be able to say, look what we did for you, because he knows that he'll be empty handed at the midterms and whoever's running for president in 24. How bad his numbers are pretty bad. Are they Trump level bad? They're getting there. Yeah. So um, let me recommend a couple of things. There is okay. a book about Abu Zubaydah written by John Kiriakou, who I mentioned earlier, a former CIA officer who did uh, 26 months in federal prison because he admitted to an ABC reporter that we had tortured people and that he had declined to participate. And let's recall, the alleged crime occurred during the Bush administration and was prosecuted during the Obama administration. Wait, wait, he, so wait, wait a second. Yeah. He did time by admitting that we torture. Yes. Prosecuted by Obama justice, Eric Holder. I'm ashamed that I didn't know this. Okay. 
So Kiriakou. I know. Was it, who was the head of the CIA? Sharon Haspel? Who was the previous? Gina Haspel. Gina Haspel. She, uh, she was the one who destroyed the torture videos as well, right? No, she personally was involved in managing torture sessions. She was the redhead played by Jessica in Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> I'm bad on Hollywood. Right, stuff. but I, I thought she destroyed the tapes. No, that was uh, Jose. Uh, Jose, I'm blocking on his name. It's either Garcia or Gonzalez, I think. Okay. So, um, Kiriakou co-authored a book about Abu Zubaydah that's very accurate with Joe Hickman. And Hickman is a whistleblower who spent a few years as a tower guard at Guantanamo. He originally blew the whistle uh, on the mysterious deaths of three uh, prisoners who were taken out of the main camp to a CIA black site one, late one night and came back dead the next morning. Hmm. Um, they, they were uh, uh, accused by the uh, uh, commandant of the camp at the time of uh, using uh, asymmetrical warfare tactics. <laughs> asymmetrical. <laughs> While in custody. Uh, wow. So Kiriakou in Hickman's book, I think, is, is very valuable. Also, if, if you want a Hollywood movie that is remarkably accurate about the Feinstein torture review... Uh, Adam Driver plays the lead investigator, a guy named Dan Jones, came out in 2019. I should have looked up the title, but... Uh, it's on Amazon, you, I believe. Yeah, you can you can find it. And I, I screened it uh, two years ago at the Mill Valley Film Festival. Dan Jones was there, and I talked to him for a minute. Uh, but it is uh, remarkably accurate for a, a Hollywood depiction. And uh, so the, the other piece is you could go to the Vice archives and look up Jason Leopold's reporting. He also did a video report with uh, Abu Zubaydah's brother, who never had any uh, contact with the law, uh, is proud to be an American, and yeah. lives in, in Florida, or did at the time. So those are uh, a few resources that people can look at if they'd like more information. And I'm sorry, my phone is ringing here. I don't, I don't know what it's like to have the phone ring. <laughs> it's my phone hasn't rung in decades. Well, we keep a landline here in case a pollster wants to call. <laughs> Peter B. Collins, thank you. Uh, yeah, but these are these are difficult stories, they get buried and they're the most important. The idea that the only people who went to prison for torture are the ones who revealed it to the press. Julian Assange is wanted in America for releasing videos of our soldiers in helicopters killing innocent civilians. The soldiers in the helicopters are not wanted. Julian Assange. And Chelsea Manning has paid uh, the price of two prison terms, one behind a bogus contempt charge trying to pressure her to testify against Assange. I don't do a good enough job paying attention to this stuff. I don't. Because well, it's not thank sexy. thank you for providing it, me with the yeah. opportunity to bring your listeners up to date, David. It really is important, and it doesn't get covered because... 
it blows a Grand Canyon sized hole into the premise of America. You cannot buy the premise of America when you hear about what happens to whistleblowers in this country. So thank you. Let, let's stay thank on you, this. Thank you, Peter B. Collins. Go to peterbcollins.com for a treasure trove of interviews and radio shows on this subject and many more. Thank you so much, Peter. Well, hopefully I'll see you next week. Let's go to Denton. Are you here, Professor Mike Steinell? There you yes, are. Yes, I am. Yes, I am, David. Can I, you hear me? Yes, you're wearing a New York Times baseball cap. Yeah, I wear this when I go up to that small town in Kansas just to show everybody I'm an asshole. Yeah, to piss off the anti-vaxxers. Yeah. That's know. right, man. Yeah. You can see where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a music video. Well, I saw some of it. I've been kind of monitoring this show. I, I, did, I, I don't. It doesn't do your song justice, but I'm going to play it. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Feldman made me do it. Is yeah. that the one? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a scary met, uh, scary motif, I would say. Yeah. Here yeah, is okay. Feldman made me do it from Professor Mike Steinel. <laughs> I have to find it. Here we go. I don't see the video yet. The other day there was... There's no video yet, David. Can you hear me? Can't play it. I maxed out my software program. Unless it's working. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but not no video play. Yeah. Can How you? How can you max out your audio, your your video? Uh, yeah, I'm using a software program that after a while, I'm has I'm, a little mice on a treadmill. I I just use this thing <laughs> to death, and I, it just gets exhausted. I if I were to restart everything. Now you're play. showing a, a, a very old photo of yourself with you a mustache. <laughs> you don't see me? No, I see you with a, I see your picture with a mustache. What? What's going on here? I don't know. And I'm pinned. I'm big. I'm big. Now you see me, right? There you go. There you are. There well, you are. Yeah. yeah. Let me just try yes. one more thing here. Maybe we can play it. I sent you a song. Yeah. I sent you the filibuster song. We don't have to play it. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. Do, 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 do. yeah. I got something live to, to do, too, if you want. Yeah. To How was your live show? It was fantastic. We had a crowd. I think people are so it was, first of all, proof of vaccination or test. And I thought that's not going to fly in the middle of Kansas. And son of a gun, it was it wasn't packed, but it was nearly packed. That's great. It was a big hall, too. It was a be beautifully ornate, restored. Uh, they have done such an amazing job. Anybody near Emporia, Kansas, just go downtown to the Granada Theater and uh, go to the office next door and say, just take a tour of it. It's, it's, it's so fantastic. Uh, gold gilt. You know, it has boxes and it has a beautiful balcony and has a ceiling. Very... Uh, European in its 
in the, it's about 900 seats, I'd say. Hmm. So it's not a small hall. Wow. And um, we had a nice crowd and they loved it. We did three encores. No, we did, yeah, we did three encores, you know, and uh, they had a nice reception. I'm, I was beat afterwards. I'd, I'd driven up there. And then, and then I did the rehearsal all day and then did the show. And then I drove halfway back. So I got back to Texas yesterday. Uh, we celebrated my mother-in-law, Nadine, her 99th birthday. We celebrated it today. It's, it's two days away, but the weather right. was going to be bad. Right. And so we, so we did a drive. We did one of those drive-bys, you know. We got, I have a tent, like one of these like uh, event tents, mm -hmm. it's 10 by 10, it's really cool, keeps her out in the sun, out of the sun, and people would come up with their cars and they'd get out and they'd bring her cars Oh, that's great. And stuff. It was lovely, it was very lovely. Wow. It was, it was great, and she really seemed to perk up by having uh, that little bit of excitement in the day. You know, the days are kind of all the same. It's uh, crosswords oh. in the morning. I like that. And then the soft, then the soap operas, little lunch. My stories. Nap. She's got to watch her stories. Her stories. Are there little any nap. stories left? What, what, what's, what, what does she watch? Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. Those are still on. Okay. Yeah. And then, then it's nap time. And then a uh, little reading. And then uh, pretty soon Nora O'Donnell is on at 530. And then mm -hmm. Jeopardy. And then... And then uh, Wheel of Fortune, and then it's shoot 'em ups, NCIS. And, <laughs> you know, she loves she loves the shoot 'em ups. She loves uh, Blue Bloods. I love to say that Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. Yeah. Well, I, now who I, is know, who are we looking at? Is that Charlie Parker? Oh, oh, I'm so excited about this. That is Charlie Parker. And so you're going to go with that? that did, is that the cover of your book? Yes, I so you're going with that instead of the one that I made. <laughs> well, you didn't make a cover to my. Don't you book. remember at office hours I slapped together a cover <laughs> oh, for you? I in, do remember that in yeah, thirty no, we're seconds. Not, we're, not we're not doing that. Well, how long did that cover take to make? I'm not going to dignify that. Mine year. only took thirty seconds. <laughs> I know, and it it looked like the, it looked like it only took thirty seconds. Thank you. <laughs> This is by a gentleman named Rudy Brown. And I started, I'm trying to figure Great. out the cover. And I thought, ah, a photo of Charlie Parker, maybe, but there's issues. And then I ran across his website and he, he, he paints in oil and it's all jazz musicians. Uh, and uh, I thought, this is great. It's called Bird in a Bowtie because hmm. Charlie Parker in a Bowtie. And he very, we worked out, he's very, has very generously made an agreement to let me use this wow. on the, the book and the CD and the audio book. So it'll be on a white background, like it's framed. And up the top, it'll say Charlie Parker, colon, a novel. No, wow. I'm sorry, Saving Charlie Parker, colon, right. a novel. And then underneath it, uh, by Mike Steinel. It's real simple, just go simple. You are, don't, you're incredibly prolific. Well, I try to be, I try to be, I try to keep busy. Right. But isn't that a great painting? It's amazing. Right? Look at this, yeah. look at this face. Yeah. You know, it's, it's his, the, the lines in his, I mean, that's probably from a photo. I think I've seen that photo. It's not with a bow tie, but 
it's not it's not just a copy of a photo it's it really captures the spirit you know bird played real uh charlie parker played almost motionless most great musicians don't move around a lot you know i know you see pop guys jumping all over but guys that really are have technical command tend to play like michael brecker the great he would just be rock solid and his, only his fingers would move you know i um, maintain the same applies to not all but a lot of great comics economy of words and motion unless you're you know robin or you know you, know, you have to be big but it's the the smaller the better like jack benny i mean yeah. just a look yeah and yeah. the timing right. i watched the norm nor i watched the norm mcdonald um special boy that's good that's so funny you know and and, and then i started noticing that because some of the stories some of the things i've seen before his whole thing of like his speech where he sometimes leaves out a word or he'll just say a f sentence fragment which you would which you would kind of identify at first as someone's kind of error in speaking mm -hmm. an error e-r-r-o-r but it's so studied and and so f you know like the timing is so great you know he was he was brilliant he was he really hey, you're brilliant too man you yeah. uh, the norm what. is i mean I'm, I'm an algorithm with youtube and so he's so prolific and stuff just keeps coming at me and people keep sending me stuff and i'm sending stuff i just sent something i can't even begin to describe what the some i mean it's just great it's just and it's high and low comedy and right. right yeah some of it's you know like the thing about auto asphyxiation you know that's one of your uh, was, did he do a lot about auto erotic asphyxiation yeah he has a whole thing about it it's hilarious i mean it's a horrible thing. <laughs> 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 you know but you it's something last watch the last special okay does he talk it's about fantastic does he talk about auto erotic asphyxiation the last special yeah to heighten to heighten the uh, orgasm right yeah yeah i mean it's not <laughs> something it's just you know you hear that people do this and if you're a comedy writer or a comedian you kind of uh want to try to understand why somebody <laughs> has to improve on the mona lisa like why you why an orgasm isn't good enough now you have to wrap a belt around your neck and make it even better what does he say about it <laughs> well i'm not going to spoil it i mean oh. you gotta you gotta watch it okay. he basically says you know like uh his bit is like uh, i'm not going to do his bit but he says you know you, a lot of people wonder what happens after you die you know, but I'll tell you this, what happens after you die, you're found. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets into this whole thing about a son who is, you know, like what, what the memory of a son would right. be. But he has to find his dad that way anyway. Yeah. And by the way, I, there are things in your show that have made, that have been so funny. I thought you and Guillermo, you kidding him or whatever you were doing about meditation. <laughs> that was you just kept at it and he just kept he just it. he kind of did yes and like the, yeah. you know the, the but but he sort of did 
yes and no, you know, and, mm-hmm. you, just, and it, you just kept going. But you know what's weird? I listen, I listen to the show while I'm driving, and I can tell you where I was on the highway between here and Kansas when I heard that. I can tell you exactly where, where were I was. you? I was in, I was coming into Norman, Oklahoma. I had just gone over the Arbuckle Mountains. So I was coming into Norman, Oklahoma. Um, the Arbuckle, the Arbuckle. People don't know about the, if you haven't been to Oklahoma, you got to go to the Arbuckle Mountains. They're beautiful. And you go they're, through they're a beautiful. tunnel that was bored by a Coca-Cola bottle? I don't know what that means, David. <laughs> what are you talking about? Ar- the Arbuckle Mountains. I bet Anna oh, Lee. Oh, Fatty Arbuckle. Okay. Was that a Fatty Arbuckle reference? Yes. That's even too old for me. And I'm I, 70. Did, did Professor <laughs> Anna Lee get that? I hope she did. I'm, I don't do the chat. I don't do the Let me chat. Just check in, Professor Ann Lee if she got the. You know, I thought about last week. Yes, I brought, she got uh, it. Okay, that's all that matters, Professor Ann Lee. I thought about Co- wine in a coffee cup, and then tonight I thought about doing coffee in a wine glass, but I just went with the wine in a coffee cup. What kind of wine are you drinking tonight? Uh, this is a very nice. Uh, I, I go for the red blends because they're kind of cheap. This is called bread and butter. Hmm. No, no, this is Magic Box. 11 bucks, you know. Is Two Buck Chuck still around? Oh, Two Buck Chuck is not bad, you know. Two Buck Chuck. Is yeah. that still around? I don't I don't frequent Whole Foods. You can only get it at Whole Foods, I think. Oh, okay. Hey, you know, um but you know like there there I remember uh where I was when Judy Gold said something so funny a, a, a like maybe a fall ago. And uh, I was, I know where I was when I did, and I know where, uh, I know where I was when I uh, heard your, about your son's memoir. <laughs> that was, <laughs> I know exactly. I've written a little song about that, if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Just for my, for my listeners. <laughs> so my son, we're on with the Hershenfelds, Dr. <laughs> Philip Hershenfeld, Freudian psychoanalyst. About a year ago, my son calls me. He says, I'm writing an autobiography. And I said, what's it called? And he said, Daddy, don't. And I lost it. And then I told my friends and they lost it. I did, too. I'm, I almost drove off the road. Daddy, I know where I don't. Was. I was, that was right before Guillermo. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, I was. I know where I was on the road when I heard that. And Dr. Philip Hershenfeld summed it up perfectly he said it's a rorschach test you Ah. you hear what do you remember dr hershenfeld said yeah you hear what you want to hear you hear what it could be anything daddy don't don't go (laughs) don't i know what i heard (laughs) you want to hear the song daddy yes please Okay. I know what I heard. That was so great. Here's uh, (laughs) Professor Mike Steinel's new song, Daddy Don't. Can you hear the piano? Yes, sure. Thank you. 
Daddy don't <laughs> Daddy don't Please Daddy don't Daddy please don't Daddy don't please Daddy Let's try it again. Daddy, don't. Daddy, don't. Please, Daddy, don't. Daddy, please don't. Daddy, don't. Please. Daddy. That's it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is the ultimate Rorschach test. That is. Yeah, just three words. Uh-huh. I just put please in there, you know, a little bit of please. It, it's one of those. <laughs> It's just great. It's just, it's just great. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. He is. You're welcome. You're welcome. Gonna, you, you're welcome. You're, this is this is what I. Now he's going to hear this, and it's it's going to make him more incorrigible. He is one of the funniest people I've ever met. I would love to meet him. Yeah, I think I'd like to meet you. Yeah, I sort of met Hannah on yeah. the, you know, you know, on Friday nights, you know. Lovely children. Yeah, my kids. Like my, I said last week, I think you were a great father. You are a great father because well, they stick around you and they seem to. Your son calls you a lot, right? He calls me an he asshole. Calls me a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, my son is interesting because he's a verbal clown. Like the jokes are never at anybody's expense. They're always at his expense and it, it's bizarre and uh it's i can talk to him for an hour non-stop and he'll just make jokes non-stop non-stop wow. it'll just like i'll have a, a conversation with him and everything is a setup mm-hmm. uh and he doesn't want to do comedy that was well it. he's doing it all day long yeah Maybe, you know, with his friends and with yeah. you. He's a great kid. I have a question. Yes, I have sir. a question. Every now and then you say, and then I have my day job. David, are you selling your body on Times Square again? <laughs> <laughs> Is that your day job? What were some of my day jobs? I told you. What, what did... I pump gas in Sausalito. Right. 
I sold a fat man a burrito. <laughs> I don't remember the rest. We should bring that song back. I was a referee maybe. at a cock, cock fight. I was a referee at a cock fight. Yes. I had a fling with Walter Cronkite. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud of that rhyme. Uh -huh. I had a fling with Walter Cronkite. I have some music. I can't play the videos, but I do have the filibuster blues. Yeah, you want to play that? Yeah, yeah we'll we can, talk uh, for it. Let's talk for a few more minutes. And, okay. Uh, so when do you go back up to Kansas? Not for a while. Not for a while because we got stuff to do here. And, uh, you know, it's everything. We did all the family stuff and got the house in shape. It's a very comfortable house now. I will have to go up and uh, turn, uh, prepare it for winter. Right. You know, shut the water off and. I'm in an apartment in, just, I'm in an apartment in Manhattan. Yeah. And I do Zillow, the Zillow porn. And I have these fantasies <laughs> of somehow, you know. But living in a house is a full-time job, isn't it? Well, our house here is very new, you know, it's 12 years old or whatever. So there's not much that goes wrong with it. But it's all, if you, you know, got some, When you I get up in the morning, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get up in the morning and see something, mm -hmm. then have to make a call, then have somebody come out to fix it and make small talk. And then it's one in the afternoon and I've yeah. just been waiting all day for somebody to fix a hose. Yeah. How often do you yeah. have to do that? I'd lose my mind. I could hear myself saying, I just wasted six hours of my life because of a effing hose. Well, see, anything you would probably buy in Manhattan would be maybe 100 years old, wouldn't it? Well, I'm not going to buy it. Nobody buys in Manhattan unless you're. Nobody buys in Manhattan except oligarchs. Hey, you got to be an oh. oligarch. Oh, ooh, ooh, Varsity Blues. Did you see that little thing about the, the people? Look, the New York Times and Sunday did a little thing about all the different defendants that the hedge fund gone to, guy. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing that's weird about that. Almost all of them got their kids into first a bribe. But then sports and then sports. Isn't that weird? Is that what you know? Because that's the thing I know. Yeah. They got the kid into Harvard on sports, USC on sports. And some of them in that like couldn't even uh, one girl hadn't even made her high school tennis team. Right. And they got her in. The only thing I can think of is that and the rowers, of course, Lindy Loft, what, what are uh, Loftman, yeah. Loftman, when her, her kids, her two girls were. On the rowing team, and they never rowed. Right, but posed. So there must for, be posed somebody for in pictures. those schools. Here's the thing: somebody in those schools is putting that idea in their head. Right. You know what I mean? Some uh, those got those people went to jail, but it, there had to be somebody knowing what's going on. And uh, did you in, see in, sixty in those minutes? Did you see sixty minutes last night? They profiled no, Professor Adnan Hussein's alma mater. On sixty minutes, I. What were we doing last night? I I missed it. What was last night? Sunday. Last night was Sunday. Oh, I was I was I, you know I I drove back from that concert and I was so, sh I was wrecked. I thought you were going to shit faced on the. <laughs> no, I was just tired and I went to bed at eight, 
And I, th I don't think I watched 60 Minutes. But well, Deep Springs, Professor Adnan Hussein, I think it goes without saying that he's... Oh, the, the place where they, they, they grow their own food and everything like that? Yeah. Dude, yeah, I saw that. Watch uh, 60 Minutes, their profile on Deep Springs. It, it's uh, where Professor Adnan Hussein went to college. I and that's all that. I'll say. There's a, you know, he's brilliant, but you can tell that that's, he carries that school inside of him. Yeah, I mean, this, this uh, varsity blues thing, who would do that to a child? Who would, they had this hedge fund manager who refused to plead guilty. But, you right. know, Lori Laughlin, low-hanging fruit. Uh, here's the thing. She made her daughter pose like she was rowing so it could be photoshopped. To, oh, man. That speaks volumes to your complete lack of character that you would. It's one thing to lie. I mean, it's it's bad to lie, but to make your daughter a liar. Be part of that. Oh, that's, that's horrible. child yeah. abuse. That really is, it's almost worse than hitting a kid. It's saying it's okay to mislead and lie and to get something you don't deserve. The message is so corrupt. I have no sympathy for Mosimo, the husband, and Lori Laughlin to, because they, they involve their daughter. And then the hedge fund manager who got his kid into Harvard or USC, there are two trials going on where they were just found guilty. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? No. Uh, first of all, it's bad enough that you think you should go to Harvard. That in and of, in and of itself mm -hmm. is a character defect. But then to go to Harvard and have your self-esteem built off this f false mammon, false god, and then to discover your father paid him, I think he paid a million dollars to get his kid into Harvard? I know, it's it's crazy, it's crazy. You should have your- I want to- You should have your kids taken away from you for doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, it's horrible. Uh, but I, I'm thinking that there's gotta be somebody on the inside suggesting, here's what we do. Mm -hmm. Listen, rowing, no one's going to, if you put right. your kid in, in uh, like gymnastics, we got a really high level gymnastics thing. Right. They're going to notice that, that they're not, that they suck. But you put them in rowing, you know, you give them the, you know, we'll put them on the rowing team. They'll be third, you know, whatever. Bum, bum, bum. Right. And <clears throat> nobody will notice. And we'll t we, we know the rowing coach, he, he needs the money, you know, like. Right. I was uh, you know, we, we used to. It's just everything. we had a thing at North Texas that was weird. Here's the weird thing: um, we had very low in-state tuition, but rather high out-of-state tuition. And we had this thing: if you got a scholarship of a thousand dollars, at least all, the minimum thing was a thousand dollars, you got in-state tuition. So we and we parlayed that. We would recruit kids. Look, you're going to get. We can give you a thousand dollars scholarships. Not much. But you'll get in-state tuition. In-state tuition was like five thousand a year. 
at that tone, as opposed to 18,000 a year if you got out of state. And I once had a parent go, hey, uh, could I just give you guys like $1,000, you know, for this scholarship, and then you give it back to my kid, and then he gets the in-state? And I said, wow. no, we cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, you know, it's, it's similar. It's a similar thing. It's like playing the system, but uh, educate yeah, students are not consumers. Education should be free everywhere at Harvard. What they should do is these universities with, you know, $40 billion endowments should be cracked wide open. There should be Harvard should be in all 50 states. Yeah, I heard you say that to Guillermo. Yeah, Princeton think, should be in all 50 yeah. states. Columbia, any college that has that big an endowment should be broken up and spread out throughout uh, the country. West Virginia, well, yeah. West Virginia yeah. would be a blue state if, anyway. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Hey, did you did you read uh, Ezra Klein this week? Which the, uh, which story? I'm big, supposed to say you mean Joe the, Klein. Remember last no, week we fought no, over this. No, this week it's Ezra Klein. Okay. And uh, big thing: can Democrats find a winning message? Big two page spread. The one thing I read every Sunday is the Sunday Review because it has the editorials. Right. But he gets into this guy. Um, David Shores. Oh, about the hyper-educated white kids who, who are knocking on doors, trying to get... Well, he, he, one of the things... That, that, that's he, what he you're was, talking about, right? No, he, there was a bunch of different things. He, David all, Shores he is, the, that, is the 30-some, 30 30-year-old 30 Democrat who warned that one of the reasons Democrats don't win is they have hyper-educated white kids doing retail politics and you don't right you don't get right. people of color or to vote because a, a hyper educated white kid knocked on your door well that's that's one of his things there's a lot of different things and Ezra Klein does a pretty good job of like disputing some things but there's some so he, this guy is a a polling guy and was he was on Obama's team and got Obama elected twice. You got to say that, you know, but he says, like, here's the reality of the Senate. If Democrats only get 40 percent, first, we said everything is skewed since the Senate is like a gerrymandered in a way because the, the small states have the same power. You know, Democrats routinely get a majority of the sem the Senate votes things. But um, they have to get so much more to have any sort of traction. He said, even at the very best, scenario number three, if the Democrats get 53% of the vote and Republicans get 47, in 2022, Democrats gain one seat. And in, Dem in 2024, Democrats lose three seats. They lose three seats because the way the way the states line up so it's really stacked against and he one of the things he says is you got to give uh, washington dc and puerto rico statehood you know we got to get those states in there yeah but here, here's what he said 
he said everybody thinks it's a class thing, you know, that you have it's up, you know, like um, that it's a class structure that divides right and left. And what he fa- he's found from his polling is that it, it isn't class as much as education. Because you can have a very upper class, very wealthy person who didn't go to college or dropped out of college and started a, a company and did great. And they will swing right. Whereas the guy, the adjunct professor making slave wages is going to vote left. So he, he says it really, it, it's, it's education, you know, more than, more than class. And you can, I, I thought that was interesting. It's a very long article, but you ought to check it out. But those, um, he says, even if we get 50-50 in the next election, we will lose two seats in the Senate in 2022, and we'll lose eight seats in 2024 because of the way the states that are rolling over into 2024, what they're going to be, you know. It's pretty, it's pretty dire. But he, he says that the, the problem is, uh, you know, you got career um, consultants and everything that just don't, won't realize that we have the wrong message, you know. Yeah. That uh, is, we have to find the things that don't, that really, really sell the, the you know, progressive, the progressive agenda. And he, he, he had an interesting thing. He said they did, they did um, research work with, during the, the um, Kerry and, uh, and what was it? Bush. Kerry Bush. Kerry Bush. Yeah, and uh, I said, Carrie Bush, watch your language. (laughs) Um, They, you know, they had a a focus group, women, and they talked about immigration. And the more they talked and and the the people of the Democrats laid out their whole thing about immigration, the more they talked about it, the more the people swung to the right. It was and then if and he pointed out that that uh, in the 2012 election, you notice Obama never talked about immigration and Clinton I think he bought he Clinton took the bait and tried to like give the 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 positive narrative about the immigration thing and he, he says there are certain discussions Democrats should stay away from you know because it it hyper polarizes what's you know it's a very it, it was a very depressing article but um, Ezra Klein, I think, is pretty solid in his analysis. Yeah. Would you Would you agree? Yeah. I. I yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, I have some pretty strong opinions about this stuff. Uh, not necessarily correct, but I, I think the Democrats could win by a landslide if they made our lives better. The Republicans make our lives worse. Democrats are supposed to make our lives better. They're supposed to provide us with be, fight for labor rights, raising the minimum wage, expanding Medicare, hearing aids, dental, eye care, free college tuition, universal preschool, elevating the dreamers, making them citizens taking on Wall Street, 
getting rid of student debt, arresting corporate hucksters who rip off ordinary Americans, protecting the LGBTQ community, protecting African-Americans from the police. That's what the Democrats should stand for. And they would win by a landslide if they would deliver to everybody in this coalition. And they don't. They just cater to Wall Street. And they say, we want to help you, but how do we pay for all this stuff? And the money is out there. It's easy to pay for this stuff. You tax corporations. You tax the richest 1%. You collect the $1 trillion a year that the IRS leaves on the table because they are understaffed. The money is there. The Democrats are run by Wall Street bagmen like Chuck Schumer, Wall Street bagman, Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco bagman. Paul Pelosi is worth $200 million. Joe Biden is from Delaware. The only reason Delaware exists is so corporations and oligarchs and mobsters don't have to pay taxes. Schumer, Pelosi and Biden answer to the people who don't want to pay taxes. So they make these promises, but they say, but it's paygo. We have to figure out a way to pay for it. And you, you can't tax my benefactors. So we get pretty much nothing. And now they're complaining that the Biden administration isn't getting credit for the $300 child, $300 a month child tax credit. I see people on CNN and MSNBC saying Biden should be getting credit for this $300 a month tax credit for children, which isn't permanent, by the way. No. And they say he's lifted so many people out of poverty with that tax credit. If you honestly believe that what differentiates a poor child from a not a poor child is $300 a month, you need to get out of you need to you need to get out of my country. The, the Biden Mr. Yeah. We gave kids $300 a month temporarily. Why aren't we getting any credit for this? They think you they've know, delivered. They think that's they think that's Medicare and Social Security. You know, the Hunter Biden the, story. Yeah. One of the things I took away from the Ezra Klein thing was I'm sure Demo- a lot of Democrats are going, whoa, we're going to be in four years. We're going to be the minority in the Senate. There's we've got to keep the filibuster. That's the only way they can have any control, you know, or get rid of the filibuster. Improve people's lives. Yeah. Then get a filibuster proof Senate and bring back the filibuster. I guess I could do that. I mean, yeah. you, you could, there, the Democrats should be able think, to. I don't think we're going to get I don't think it's going to be. If you read, you should read this article. It's like we're screwed until, if for the next 20 years. You know, the left is screwed. 
the progressives are screwed because of the Senate, the, the way that um, it's, it's basically constitutionally gerrymandered to, you know, to lean toward the small states, give them just as much power. I know you, you've talked about you're in favor of, this, of the uh, filibuster. No, no, no. I say get rid of it. Well, you were in. No, I was. I'm in favor of the electoral college. The electoral college, which is similar in a way. Yeah, and I know people get really angry that I say that. The problem isn't the electoral college. The problem is the Democratic Party. These hyper-educated fools who can't figure out how to win a ground game in swing states. It's sickening, and so they go change the rules. We can't we can't figure this out. We don't want to spend time in West Virginia. Change the rules. Right. No, you you move people to West Virginia and spend time with real people, not Princeton graduates. But the Democrats don't want to do that. Democrats are run by elitists. And, and I remember when George W. Bush used to accuse Al Gore of being an elitist. I was much younger at the time. And I used to th- say, how can why would they call the Democrats elitists? George Bush is the rich one. Well, you say it breaks down along education more than anything else. And hyper educated people are elitists. They think they're better than other people. They think yeah. there are they think there are people who deserve to be served and People who deserve to be servants. You know, Barack Obama is really smart. He thinks he deserves to be served. That he should have servants. That's a problem if you're the leader of the Democratic Party. Yeah. It's a serious well, problem. Yeah. It's... It's it's an interesting article. I think everybody ought to read it, and uh, you know, it raises some interesting points. But I think we're in in for a, a rough time. But we're, we're in for out. a rough time. I, I got a CD coming out and a yeah. book. What, what, do you, what do you mean in for a rough time? <laughs> what do you mean in? Uh, gonna, I mean, right now we're in pretty good. We're, we're in. They could really do some stuff now, you know, but they're just not. And, and it's leadership. Well, and all these consultants and whatever, you know, yeah. I don't really, you know, I'm just I'm just a musician who writes novels. You're a I genius. don't really know much about it, but I but I read I try to read and keep up on it and listen. I listen to your show and other shows. There are other shows out there. I hate to tell you this, David, but there's a few pod. Oh, I, I, I thought of uh, like doing some awards. Mm-hmm. Best segment, you know. I, I'm, I'm going to nominate some of your best segments. I think uh, G- Guillermo on meditation. The Gil- you the you should just you sh- you should have like the the, the Mikeys. The what? The Mikeys. The Mikeys. I'm going to I'm going to start that. Yeah. The Mikeys. And been some- you you come up with the nominees and you just give out the awards and I'll bring them. Uh, yeah. 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 And we can have a little. We can have some music and they mm-hmm. can hold the statue. Yeah. Uh, okay, Mikey's. I'm working on it. I had an idea. Oh, you can buy stuff. Anyway, I, I in L.A. There was a uh, 
a company, it was on Pico, that just made statues and awards. Yeah. And I never had enough money to pull this off, but I just wanted to create my own award because in L.A. they have they have the producers awards, the publicist awards. And I just I think you and, and then you have trophies for teams like my kids. You know, those those effing I know particip- those trophies. Yeah. The participation trophies. It's like at, at some point you have to throw them out. The faux marble <laughs> and they, their names are. And you think, oh, my God, I don't want to throw this out. And you go, they, it costs like five. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Thank you, Professor Mike. Oh, let's play filibuster blues. Yeah. Okay. That's in the news. Yes, filibuster it is. blues in the news. Filibuster blues in the news. New, not new music, but archive. We'll come archive. From the and archive. Appropriately enough, this song is forty-eight hours. What? It's a the filibuster <laughs> blues. It should be a forty-eight hour song. Here we go. <laughs> the filibuster blues. some luster but I still got some style I'm not in the constitution I was birthed by rule 22 if you want to slow things down I'm just a guy for you I'm getting kind of tired I'm really past my pride Think I should be fired, but Schumer won't get off a dime. Please, Mr. Schumer, Mr. Schumer, please put me out of my misery. I'm getting down on my knees. You can shoot me in the head, you can drown me in the bathtub. If you think I'm not quite dead You can hit me with a big club In the chamber of the Senate When nothing's happening at all Just roll me in a carpet And throw me in the hall
some folks say I'm part of history That I'll always be around Let's do away with the mystery Let's run me out of town I'm ready to go I think I've done my time Just put me out to pasture I'll be just fine Please, Mr. Schumer Mr. Schumer, please Put me out of my misery I'm getting down on my knees That's right Uh-huh It's time for me to go That's all there is There ain't no more to this show So kick me out Roll me in a carpet And throw me in the hall I'm no use anymore To nobody at all That's right It's time You know it Yes it is It's time I'm going Yes it is You're a genius. You really are. Thank you. You got to unmute yourself. Oh, I muted you. Am I muted? No, I'm fine. There that song's a lot like Daddy Don't, I just realized. Daddy Thank Don't. You. Daddy Don't. That could be a classic. Wasn't there a Wayne Newton song called Daddy Don't You Walk So Fast? Daddy? I don't know. I think there was a Wayne Newton song. There was a voice, Wayne Newton. Whew. Good or good? Yeah, I mean, I mean an amazing voice. Don Shane, darling, way up high, you know. Right. Almost like in a uh, in a, uh, an alto's range, you know. Clear, beautiful. But then he ruined it by just overplaying Vegas, right? Oh God, he, you can't sing. You can, you cannot sing three shows a night for seven seven days a week for. 30 years and not have damage to your voice you, know? you you have spotify right i think so yeah yeah i do I, 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 there is an album that i play over and over again it's count basie and frank sinatra at the sands oh frank sinatra that's one of the greatest ones yeah it is it like every i listen to it every day and i hear like I've got you under my skin with the Count Basie. It's the Nelson Riddle arrangement, but it's Count Basie. And yeah. uh, every time I hear it, I just hear something new. It, it's, it's not, the older I get, the more I get Sinatra, who I didn't get until I became middle-aged. His phrasing is so subtle and so hip, you know, so... You know, and then that bear, that he, he just swings. He's a very swinging singer, you know. He's a jazz singer, even though he doesn't necessarily do scat. He doesn't sing solos, but right. the way he, way he interprets a song, you know. I like and, the and, older Sinatra. The younger, when he was a crooner. In the, yeah. I just, but uh, yeah. 
he was great. I had a lot of friends that played on his band, and um, it, it, he was he was really into music, loved jazz players, and you know, um, very respectful to to j just guys. If he heard somebody he, he dug, he learned who they. Like a friend of mine played drums on on uh, Woody Herman band, Ed Sof, you know, and they were doing a double bill in Vegas. Might have been during that time. So Woody Herman played and then Basie played with Sinatra. How much and theory do you think Sinatra had? Do you, if they if they said let's sing let's play this in C or A minor. Well, he, he just had a great ear. I don't know about that, but I tell you what he did. He did he was a very school he studied voice. He yes. took lessons. His diction was perfect. His you know for singing, it's all about placing the vowels. How you pronounce a word, pronounce a word, uh, determines whether it resonates in your voice. And he, he was a master of it. Who was the trombone? Was it Woody Herman? Who was the trombone player? He was, he, he used to open for. There was a trombone player who taught him how to breathe. Oh, Tommy Dorsey. Tommy, Tommy Dorsey. Dorsey. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was, a, he was a singer in the Tommy Dorsey band. Yeah. And Tommy Dorsey, he had that real high, he could play real high on the trombone, you know. Uh, I'm getting sen sediment all over you. I'm getting sentimental over you. There's another one. I'm getting sediment all over you. I'm getting married in the morning. <laughs> His, Sinatra's version of I'm getting married in the morning. Unbelievable. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thank you so okay. much. All right. Give my best to Nadine. Yes. Absolutely. Happy birthday. Thank okay. you. Let's wrap up Bye. today's show. Uh, but first, Benji. How are you? Hey, how's it going, David? Good to hear your voice, Florida man. What you up to tonight? Oh, just talking to some guy from Florida. Steinel, man. Is he not cool as a cucumber or what? Yep. He's he's unbelievable. Just uh, You can't imagine this show without his music going along with it, man. It just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. How's man. life in Florida? Man, I'm just sitting in the la-la waiting for my yaya, man. Just, uh, <laughs> I've been busier in a one-legged man in a buck-kicking contest. Uh, or a one-armed man with crabs. It's a sliding scale. <laughs> hey, good news, though, man. Uh, contrary to our Florida governor's efforts, the uh, importance of getting vaccinated seems to be sinking in. You know, I yeah. just saw two homeless guys uh, behind a convenience store vaccinating themselves. <laughs> they seem pretty uh, enthusiastic about it, too. You know, it's great to see. <laughs> that's, that's great. Hey, then I was walking on the sidewalk and I found a hat full of money. Yeah. I'm thinking, man, what a lucky day. Then some crazy guy with a guitar starts chasing me. <laughs> he wasn't fast enough to catch me, you know. Good. Thankfully, the crutches slowed him down. <laughs> hey, man, as my, uh, my bitter half waits for me, uh, let me ask you, uh, would you consider any of your uh, ex-wives high maintenance? Sure. I mean... I mean, uh, my wife's to say she's uh, she's taking the definition of high maintenance woman to new heights, you know, or lows, depending on how you're measuring. <laughs> but uh, I don't mean the cool kind of high maintenance woman either. Not like the janitor girl I used to smoke pot with. <laughs> <laughs> she's more like Josh Gabor getting an unwarranted parking ticket, you know, on the day her volume script ran out. I remember that story. She slapped a police <laughs> officer in Beverly Hills. It was crazy. 
I was going to say that it's worse there. It's worse during certain times of the month, but uh, the menstrual jokes just aren't funny. Period. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you about Tampax's new ad campaign. You no. know, we're not number one, but we're up there. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to. It's just not funny, man. It's just. Right. And why I'm at it, you know, poop jokes. They're not my favorite either. You know, they're a solid number two. <laughs> Hey, man, uh, things can always be worse, man. Like a friend of mine, first, I mean, it's, gosh, man. First, his wife gets run over by a UPS truck. Mm-hmm. He gets fired from his job as UPS driver. <laughs> you probably saw that coming. Then. No. Too, too bad she didn't. <laughs> no, but hey, man, I got to get out of here. I gotta, it's time to go tame the shrew, brother. Uh, I'll see you Thursday night, man. I All love right. y'all. Thank you, Benji. Our Florida man. Florida man. Benji, good show tonight. I want to thank all our guests. They were John Ross. John Ross. Don't tell me. John Ross. Uh, Howie Klein. Then David Cobb. Uh, Dr. Harriet Fraud is fine. Uh, She'll be back next week. Uh, Paul LeBeau, Alliance for Money. Then we had uh, Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom, Professor Marianne Cummings, Professor Mike Steinell, uh, Peter B. Collins. I'm leaving somebody out. Well, that's our show. If you would like to attend a live taping, go to my website and hit the attend a live taping button. Don't forget, we do office hours Every Friday night at 8 p.m., if you would like an invitation, please go to my website and uh, you'll uh, be taken right in. Well, I cannot play our closing number, so I'm just going to say goodbye. I can't do it. Where uh, I, My machine got tired. Uh, all right. I know what I'll do. I'll just play... Professor Mike Steinell and stare into the camera and then say goodnight. I'm David Feldman. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak.
Times in the city Hot times in the city 